from days of long ago. From uncharted regions of the universe comes a legend. became the mighty Battle Cat, and I became He-Man, the most powerful man in the universe. Star Joe's Podcast, episode 216, Star Joe's uh, Real Animated Hero. I'm your host, Ryan. And I'm Robert. Hey, Robert's back. Hey, everybody. Hey. <laughs> uh, welcome back, Robert. So, yes, we are doing another animated episode. It has been a while since we've even done one. Uh, it's been too long. Yeah, but it's been even longer since Robert's done one. <laughs> I thought we weren't going to go into that. Oh no, we're totally going into this because <laughs> oh, I did my I did my research. <laughs> uh, well, that's one of us. <laughs> so, um, so the last time we did an animated episode as as a podcast was in January on January thirty first of this year. So we at least whoa, did an, what? It's been a, almost a year. Almost a year, but at least it's been only about a year. <laughs> wow. Because the one before that was two years before that. So. Oh my gosh! Well, I knew. Okay, so I knew there was a break, but yeah. I thought the last one was like in the summer or something. I had no idea it's no. been that long. And I didn't realize it had been that long either, and I feel bad about that. So, wow. so just to let people know too, Robert and I have come up with a plan. Yeah. To to do episodes more regularly. Now it'll, the plan's going to have to change a little bit when he goes over uh, overseas because you're going to be teaching over across the pond, basically. Yeah. So I'm going to be in France uh, January and February and first part of March, about two two and a half yeah. months. So um so during those months, it'll, you know, we'll him and I will coordinate a little bit to uh, as best as we can to still get him on regularly. But then once mm-hmm. he's back, we have a plan to like every other week basically that we'll meet up and then we have a backup t- day in case right. for some reason one of us is doing something. And then uh, I'm going to let John know about those days. John was actually supposed to join us tonight, um, right. but he had to bail because of some work related things. So, uh-huh. um, but the plan is that every other week, <laughs> some of us are going to be here recording. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, a couple of things. One, it gives you guys something to plan on. Um, right. 
we always got such good feedback about the the episode review, um, you know, podcast yeah. episodes, and yeah, uh, and we just have so much fun doing them. It was just really, I got excited again, and me and Ryan just kind of had a post food coma Thanksgiving chat, oh, oh, and yeah. um, and it was just good to touch base and kind of work out what kind of schedule we could both commit to. And it was mostly me. Obviously, Ryan's continued to put out episodes as he runs the channel, but just. Yeah, when um, no one shows up, I'm just like, screw it, I'm recording. Yeah, which is smart, <laughs> because otherwise, you know, then you're waiting. I mean, what we realized, just trying to coordinate schedules between, yeah. you know, all 15 hosts, uh, you know, it just gets to be too much. <laughs> so instead, like, you know, we're going to kind of, like, guarantee, you know, we're going to be here. I mean, unless there's some kind of crazy family situation, but generally, you know, we, we're going to plan on it. And that was the big thing. That was the sticking yeah. point is. I didn't know when the next episode was going to be. Right. And if I know it's always every other Tuesday and if, if my wife knows, then we plan around that and yeah. then it's, uh, then I can do it. And same, and same thing even for myself and my wife, because yeah. she's always been very flexible and, and awesome about that. Like I'll, I could tell her that day, say, Hey, I, I, we're looking to record. Is that cool? And as long as we have anything going on, she was totally fine with it. But I told my wife the plan and she's just like, Oh, well then I'll always know when you're recording. <laughs> it's like, yeah, so it works out. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so I mean, we'll shoot for doing these episodic, you know, uh, a little bit more regularly. shows, yeah, uh, more regularly. So it, I guess every you know every the every other Tuesday that we're doing an episode together, it yeah. might not be an uh, you know a TV episode, right? Um, but I think more often than not, we'll try and make that it, happen because yeah, it, we yeah. like doing them and. Absolutely. Well, and there's so many other cartoons that we, you and I want to cover too. It's not. Yeah. When we first talked about this, we were kind of on a good roll and we yeah. were cranking them out. And the idea was like, we'd wrap up Joe, the first season of Joe and then move on to something else. We'd come right. back and do more Joe possibly yeah. you know, down the road. But uh, yeah, we want to jump around the properties. So yeah. So, uh, so, and we're so close to the end of the first season. Yeah. So, so yeah, that'll be fun. this, this will be good. So, um, so yeah, so I did say January 31st was the last time we did an anime episode. Robert, do you have any idea when the last time you were on an animated episode was? <laughs> well, you said the one before that was two years ago. Right. Oh, my gosh. And I probably – I can guarantee I missed that one, too. Yes, you did. That, that's the last time Shannon was on for an animated episode. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so let me – I'd say you know, it was like so, – so this would have been 2016, right? Right. Uh, and I would say maybe – Oh, 2016. I don't even know what my life was like in 2016. <laughs> um, I would say March of 2016. Just throwing it out there. So not even close. <laughs> uh, it was <laughs> it was October 21st of 2014. What? So what? it was over four years ago is when you did an animated episode with us. That sounds insane. I went through the list. Twice oh, because oh, I, I thought believe you. no because I thought it was insane too. Yeah, that seems. So the last time you were on an episode was when we did the episode with the Viper. Is coming, yeah, yeah, and and the conch shell where I couldn't breathe oh, or continue <laughs> because you were doing the Barry White voice. <laughs> Maybe it was subconsciously I was worried I would I, you would break or something like yeah. if we kept doing. This. <laughs> I don't know, man. That's insane. That's so yeah. crazy to me. Yeah, I would, so, wow. And it felt, didn't feel like it was that long ago. I know. I feel like, I mean, I knew it's been a couple of years, but it I wouldn't have said four years. Four years, yeah. So, yeah. So we are here for five more episodes. 
uh, of Joe. We, we watched five more episodes. Yeah. And, uh, and this, this is a pretty good batch. We were talking a little bit about that before. We didn't reveal uh-huh. too much of what our thoughts were with these episodes because we wanted to save it for the show, but we did right. say this was a pretty good batch, uh, to, to cover. Mm-hmm. Um, something new we're going to do for the, uh, going forward is yeah. we have a rating system for each episode. Yes. Um, so I was kind of thinking, uh, and just in my notes, I was thinking, man, this was a really good episode. We'll get to which one that was. And I thought, you know, but it's not like the perfect Joe episode. There are things that you can you know, pick. And, and then it kind of got me curious. I'm like, I almost want to go back and kind of rewatch some of the ones we've, we've seen and give them a similar rating just to kind of see where these sit. Yeah. But then I so I kind of went back and I was given an out of five, like five stars, you know, just a right. one out of five, three out of five, whatever um, to, to rate it. And, you know, if we go to other properties, we'll change up the rating system. So it's a little more appropriate to that property. But this is kind of a G.I. Joe specific right. five star rating system. All right? right. So my thoughts on this. OK, if this if the G.I. Joe episode is just the worst, right? <laughs> if it's. Uh, you're like, were they even trying? You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> Which so we've had some of those. <laughs> there have definitely been one out of five. So we said a one out of five is a fudgy. <laughs> Which a refers fudgy. back to the first time um, Bazooka and Quick Kick meet. Yes. Uh, Quick Kick was doing his commercial for fudgies yes. in the in the Arctic for some reason. <laughs> and let's face it, fudgies can mean something else, too. <laughs> But Bazooka was just like completely enamored with the word fudgies, like for that whole episode. All right, so a one is the worst. It's a fudgy. Okay, uh, a number two is kind of like <laughs> how appropriate a number two. A number two, like we start with a fudgy, then we go right to the right to the deuce. Okay, so we're gonna call it a Duke Deuce for right. number two. This is a two out of five. You got a Duke Deuce. Right. Okay, I would classify that episode as it's got maybe one to two like good things that stand a out. A couple like, redeeming oh. qualities to it. Yeah, it's yeah. got a couple redeeming qualities. It's not a total fudgy, but right. like you're like, oh, it introduces vehicle for the first time, but the story premise is crap, and we don't see any characters we like that kind of stuff, you know? Right. Um, so it's a Duke Deuce. All right, a three, <clears throat> three out of five. I'm gonna call it a Cobra Command. All right. That means it's a commanding episode, right? And I think Cobra Command, the three, you know, the trinity of Cobra Command, Cobra Commander and Baroness and Duke, a three out of five. Destro. Destro. Duke's not out. Oh, Destro. What did I say? (laughs) Sorry, my bad. I I mean, Duke Duke is captured enough with Cobra that he's part of Cobra Command. He might as well be. Yeah. He can substitute any given episode. Uh, No, but so we got Baroness, Destro, and and Cobra Commander. As a Cobra Command, it's a three out of five. So how would you classify a three? Yeah, the three is like it's a good episode. Uh, I enjoyed watching it. Uh, nothing necessarily wowed me, but I enjoyed it from beginning to end. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And I would I would watch it again. Yeah, right? absolutely. Like it's like something about it. I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that one fondly. Right. But you know, then you go back and watch it, and you're like, wait, this isn't as good as I remember. <laughs> right. <laughs> but 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 I would do. Hey, you know, I tell a friend, oh, you should watch that episode. You know, but yeah. but don't expect too much. That's what I would say. Yeah. Okay. So three out of five. All right. A four out of five. Now we're getting um, <laughs> above average, right? We're talking about above average. Yeah. So we're gonna call a four out of five. It sounds good. It's an ace episode. Ace, right? right? So four out of five is an ace. But my thoughts for why four would be called an ace is because I figured that was the average amount of sky strikers that ace crashed <laughs> every episode. I love that. So. 
<laughs> so we're sitting at a four. So it's it's almost perfect, but it's probably it has something that made it crash. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we, there's room. We said there was room for improvement. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> if you got Ace flying and he's your Ace pilot, there's room gonna, for improvement. He's, yeah, he's gonna get you there, but. Might not get you home. <laughs> He's not gonna get you back because there's not a, right, right. an aircraft to take you. So, right. all right. So four out of five. So th- this I would definitely recommend as an episode. You're like, oh, this is a good episode. Yeah. Like, there's like either a weird story element or plot element, but for the most part, like there's there's vehicles that we love to see, well, and there's or like or like why did they put that character in there? Like, well, know. yeah, or like for the most part, like the characters we get a good variety of characters, right. or it's a great spotlight of a character where we get some backstory or. Right. Uh, you know, character relationships are starting to get a little deeper than surface level stuff. But then there's this, this one crap thing. Maybe like the location is dumb. A story plot is dumb. A character is like, why is that character even around? Why they put, why they bring torpedo into a desert situation? <laughs> exactly. Oh, we're going to talk about this. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. We're going to be getting into this. But yeah, so I mean, but something like that. Something throws it off that's just a bit weird. All right. Right. Okay. So then we're at a five out of five now. So, it's it's to us like the epitome of a Joe episode, and I don't think there's that many of them, to no, be honest. No. Um, I so, will give you a good example of one we've done in the past that I think is a five out of five, which is the World Without End episodes. Oh, uh, yes, the, for sure. And, are, and, and taking them as a whole, right? Like yes, as, as a yes, story arc. Yeah. Yes. No, I would completely agree, and that's a perfect standard for this. So a five out of five, we're going to call a Flint. All right. And the reason why we're calling that is because me and Ryan are dictating the scale. <laughs> <laughs> And he's the best leader. <laughs> and he's the best, right? He's the best, right? So five out of five. Uh, it says if if you want the perfect embodiment of uh, a GI Joe and a male specimen, then we're looking at Flint. All right. Um, I like your I like your reasoning why it's a a, a Flint is because we're dictating. And because it's our it's it's this it's our, because because Star Joe's is your show and right. I came up with the scale. Right. <laughs> So right. that's why. So, so there's why? no room for argument. Right. If somebody else wants to make a scale, sure, create a podcast to make your own scale. <laughs> right. <laughs> Whatever. You, you go right. ahead and start with episode one, or as yeah. we did, episode zero, yeah. and create your scale. Go for right. it. Right. <laughs> and then, or you can guest on somebody else's show, do a couple episodes, wait four years, do another one. <laughs> And, and up make up a, a random scale. That's those right. are the qualifications, people. So right. if anybody wants to argue with their scale, those are the qualifications before you can argue. Right. <laughs> I'm I'm totally okay with that. Yeah, yeah, I'm totally fine with that. Uh, this episode's already off to a good start. I I love it. We're 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 hitting it, hitting right. the ground running. Okay. That's right. All right. So uh, so before we get into the episodes, is there anything else you wanted to throw out for people? Uh, like anything you've been up to, anything been going on for you? Uh, sure. You'd like to let people know. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, I've been on the show since I mean, I've made uh, a move down to Savannah, Georgia. Um, and while I'm still doing a lot of freelance artwork, um, I'm mostly my full-time job now is I'm a professor at the Savannah College of Art and Design, which is where I graduated from uh, to get my graduate degree many years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's been really interesting. It's um, I had always wanted to teach, so it's kind of like a kind of a dream job in that way. Um, I, I'm, I'm grateful for all the industry experience I was able to get, and especially the properties I got to work on, because uh, I feel like that really gives me a foundation to teach from. Um, and it, for the first time, I'm able to work on projects and 
really you'll be making headway on catching up on commissions and stuff like that where I'm not so reliant on my artwork paying the bills. Yeah. You know, teaching pays the bills and I get to do art kind of for fun again, which, you know, I felt like I kind of hit a wall where I was just scrambling to get the next job to pay the next bill. And I was kind of, you lost the enjoyment of what you were actually doing. Yeah. It's like, I could sit there and still get lost in the craft of drawing. And I, enjoyed the properties I worked on, you know, and the commissions I did, but it was always, uh, there was always a stress factor to it. Yeah. And, um, so now I've, you know, uh, it turns out when you're not as worried about how much money you make on a given project, then a lot more opportunities open up. Right. So there's jobs that I might've passed on before because they just weren't going to pay enough to be worth the time. Whereas now I can do them, uh, because it's a property I love. So for example, um, I worked on a Ninja Turtle, a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle board game for IDW. That's awesome. And it's a lot of the card art. So I got paid a decent amount to do the cover box art on the first game. And I did a lot of the art for the cards and the cards don't pay hardly anything. Yeah. It's really not worth your time to be honest. Like you could, <laughs> you could be working at McDonald's and make way more, uh, which is ridiculous that, that that's right. part of the industry, but it just is. So typically you get paid a lot for the box art. And you're doing the interior art. Uh, it's a way to kind of break into the industry mm-hmm. or you're just doing it for a love of the property. So with my job now, I've been doing a couple of these games. We did the first game that's out and available. <clears throat> and it's like the Bebop and Rocksteady kind of Ninja Turtle card game. Uh, I haven't played it. I tried. Well, I just looked at it you know, briefly with my kids. and I was like, oh, yeah, this is too complicated just to sit down <laughs> and start playing. Like, I've got to take a closer look at it and work out the mechanics or just watch a YouTube video or something. But... <laughs> Uh, but then, and then right now I'm doing card art for, um, well, I don't know if I can announce it. So, uh, you're doing card art for something else. Well, it's, it's definitely <laughs> for Ninja Turtles. And, and I'll say this, like it's for Ninja Turtles. It's a secondary game and IDW will be running a Kickstarter for it. Um, th- I mean, I'm pretty sure they have all the funds to do the base game and get that out, but they're doing a Kickstarter for all these expansion sets. Okay. So I've already done artwork for the first expansion set. So they're assuming they'll at least hit their first stretch goal. They'll get that set funded. And then if there are more stretch goals, then we'll get to get further into more expanded card sets for this game. And I'm actually okay. very excited about this because the entire game is based around the IDW comic book run. That's awesome. Which I, blew my mind. Like that yeah. Nickelodeon was so... Like that they acknowledged, you know, the quality of that run, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so all the style guides, all of the, hey, we need this character, we need that character have all been referenced from the books and there are plot lines and stories and I can't get into the specifics of which, but, yeah. um, that I've gotten to draw. So it's been that. Well, I, gotta, so, I mean, it's the long, it's the longest comic run of the turtles. And yeah. And there, I, I can honestly say I cannot think of one dud of an issue since it started. Um, I can't, I, I can, nothing really stands out to me either. And they've yeah. gone through a few, you know, like, uh, creative teams, but overall yeah. it's that consistency and like a singular vision, I think from Tom Waltz yeah. and the editorial, um, that I, have kept I mean, it so on. Yeah. Track. I mean, there might be like, uh, I, and I can't think of anything on the top of my head, but there may have been like a mini series or a one shot here and there that I was like, ah, I didn't enjoy that as much. But as far as the main series goes, it's been phenomenal, and most, uh, if, most if not all of the miniseries that have tied into it have been really great too. So, yeah, and to be honest, I think so many other properties could kind of like take a page out of their book in Absolutely. 
in how they've uh, renewed and adapted an older property to make it relevant for modern era, keeping all the characters very true to what they were in the past and not feeling like they have to change the world just for the sake of changing the world. And however, when they have made big changes, it's been done in the spirit of what the book is about or what the property is about. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, you know, being able to go back and do like the secret history of the, the foot clan. Yeah. Like, and, and, and throw in all of that backstory and information that has maybe been touched on, or we've seen different iterations of it previously and to like flesh it out so faithfully and it just be another version, but done so well. Yeah. That, uh, man, I mean, if we could take the same approach to GI Joe or He-Man. Well, and even like the, uh, Krang and, and the neutrinos and stuff, it's different from what I remember and and Triceratons and stuff like that, but it still has that same spirit of what I know of those characters. And it, and like you said, the, the changes are what are changes that work for the story that they've been telling. Mm-hmm. So this way it wasn't like all of a sudden like, oh, my God, why is this be- being th- shoved in here or thrown in here? It worked for the direction the story was going in already. So Well, and I think I don't know if it is um, maybe it's a difference between, you know, what you and I think uh, now correct me if I'm wrong. But when they started this run, um, Nickelodeon didn't own Turtles at the time. Yeah. I so Nick, yeah. yeah, Nickelodeon's purchased the turtle since, yeah. and then so that means that IDW had to renew a license with the new company. That would have been an easy point to just stop right. the series oh, yeah. and start with the new number one or the new direction, and uh, which I think has been the downfall for GI Joe. Oh yeah, for sure. And we'll talk more about that in a different episode. But yeah. I think just in general, like they they were willing to commit to this idea and direction and just stick with it. And anytime you do that on a series, like if you get people who are committed and have good ideas, like it's, it's going to be quality. So absolutely. absolutely. Anyway, so, um, to kind of tie it back. So just in general, my work has been mostly teaching. I'm not doing, I'm, I'm probably not going to, you know, I don't want to say never, but I, I don't think it's possible for me to do monthly comics anymore. I don't expect to be. Right. Um, but I have been in talks with a few writers, uh, to potentially come in, come back and do some Joe stuff, but on like a, if they were to do an annual, so yeah. we're pitching some annual ideas. So it'd be like, like a, a double size. Stuff, yeah, yeah. One shot, double sized issue at least once or twice a year. Yeah. Um, so we're in the process of pitching that that may or may not happen. Um, and there's, uh, of course I've got other kind of creator on projects that, uh, just kind of working on. So, and it seems like it, it seems like IDW is kind of open to the idea of one shots for Joe because they're about to come out with a yearbook for a real American hero again. Uh, mm-hmm. which is a, a, essentially a one shot. And then they're looking to do some of the, like there's a new Joe thing that's about to come out that I think is just going to be a mini series. And so like, it seems like they're kind of open to the idea of, Hey, maybe if we just sprinkle some stuff in there here and there and not worry so much about creating our own continuity. I mean, I don't know what their future plans are, but I, I think it's open for stuff like that to happen. So yeah. And I think, you know, right through the middle of all this and, and it's not all been, you know, I'm not going to put all the blame on the, the variety of creators or even one particular editor Sure, is because IDW has gone through a huge change up in yeah. editorial since yeah. when I was working there. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, so it's, you know, different, different editorial directions. And, and I found that I found out years ago, how subjective editorial was. 
Yeah. Um, and I think that just surprised me. I just thought good stories were good stories. And right. You know what I mean? Like all the editors basically know how to run comics and, and, um, you know, kind of let the creators do what they do. And I'm like, well, no, that's not the case at all. Like an yeah. editor has their favorite style and look and kind of story. And they're right. going to apply that to the books that they edit. Like, yeah. So anyway. which sometimes can work and sometimes it can't. Um, but yeah, to your point, we're gonna. Uh, it's definitely a topic that we are going to unpack in a future episode. So stay tuned right. for that. Uh, Robert and I have been talking about like, yeah, we need to talk about the state of GI Joe, and mm-hmm. uh, in every aspect, whether it's uh, the comics, toys, uh, movies, all of that stuff. Uh, right. So, so you know, like I said, in, in the future, uh, definitely that's gonna be something that coming up because. Oh, you and I could talk about that for a very long time. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, just even just I'm like trying to hold back and not right. down that rabbit hole because there's <laughs> right. like so much to talk about. But we'll, we'll get into that. For Absolutely. Sure. So. All right. So you ready to talk some cartoon episodes? Yeah, the, let's the, do it. The fun stuff. Um, <laughs> all right. So first episode we have uh, is The Gods Below. And as typical, Robert, I'm going to uh, refresh not only the listeners' memories of how this goes, but also yours because it's been four years for you. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so I have a summary that I pulled from JoeGuide.com, uh, and I'm going to read through it. Uh, Robert will interject whenever he has something that he remembers from the episode that he wanted to talk about. Uh, uh, he has free reign to cut me off at any time. Uh, it, it's, a lo- it's what makes these episodes so much fun, uh, because yeah. it's just like, Oh my God, I got to talk about that. So, uh, <laughs> um, and then usually I have my own things I'll interject as well. So, yeah. uh, so it's a good time. Uh, these episodes tend to be very long, uh, especially when Robert and I are together. <laughs> so, all right. So you ready to go? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So the gods below, uh, sitting on a throne, Cobra commander tells Dr. Marsh that he has made an impressive find. The discovery of a tomb for the Egyptian god Osiris, which contains enough gold to help finance Cobra's purchase of weapons. Dr. Marsh tells Cobra Commander that the tombs will be filled with traps around every corner. The Baroness uh, asks, is that so? And Dr. Marsh adds that the Egyptian government is on their way to the tomb and that Cobra uh, will not be able to beat them. Yeah, so this was, I remember, I watched these out of order. Uh, just on accident because I put in the disc <laughs> and I started with the next episode. So I watched the four yeah. and then I, and I remember thinking, um, I was like, Oh my gosh, like Cobra loses so many resources in every single fight they have with GI <laughs> Joe. I'm like, how do they possibly fund this? Right. And I just, that was kind of sitting there in the back of my mind. I was like, well, you know, they're, they're terrorists. They figure it out. Right. But, and then I went back to the gods below and I was like, Oh, oh, they're actually, they actually have just like you were talking about. I'm going to bring it all back here. Just like you were talking about how you had to think about your finances and, and it caused some stress and struggle. Cobra occasionally in these episodes has to think about their finances. I know they're like, man, you know, terrorizing just isn't fun anymore. It's all just about paying the bills and buying right. a new Rattler right. because my guys can't fly worth a crap. Uh, and then he's like, you know, you know where I, I remember her, here and there's some money is d- deep in the tombs of, of Egypt. Of Osiris's tomb. Of Osiris's yeah. tomb. Oh, yeah, I heard something about that. Yeah, let's go check it out. <laughs> uh, so Cobra Rattlers and Ferrets attack the Egyptian government's convoy of tanks and trucks, and Cobra Commander tells Dr. Marsh that nothing is impossible for Cobra. Uh, the Crimson Guards 
drive the still-functioning tanks and trucks to the tomb. Dr. Marsh explains to Cobra Commander that he hasn't a clue where the treasure is hidden, but the Baroness pokes Dr. Marsh in the ribs with a coiled whip and tells him that he will uh, discover the treasure since his life depends on it. Okay, so... Does really anything need to be said there? <laughs> uh, well, you know, I was a little interested in that she kept brandishing this whip very dominatrix like threateningly throughout the whole episode i'm like mm-hmm. when did this become a thing yeah and we never see it again never I... i'm like whose idea like in the story it was like you know what i'd like to see <laughs> baroness with a whip baroness with a whip <laughs> and i was like sure <laughs> like how did that how did that happen i don't know i almost wonder like i don't know if there's any way if we ever got like buzz dixon on or some of the writers and just be like yeah so what were you thinking? Well, exactly. That's what I was going to say. Like, we have one question for you. What were you thinking? And go. Exactly. <laughs> Who knows if they remember, but anyway, yeah. So I, I definitely, I was like, what? And then like later on, we'll talk about it. She's all yeah. threatening people with her whip. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Inside, and, and this guy, yeah. this guide that they have, I was like, I was really interested with the premise, right? Like, Ooh, it's going to be like a tomb raiding Indiana right. Jones situation. Right. I was like, yeah, dude, let's see these traps. Let's, let's figure this out. It that guide off, is worth. It starts off that way. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, and, and to be honest, like that's a good part of the episode, and that's right. probably the best parts of the episode. Right. But but this guide, this doctor, whatever, yeah. he's worthless. This right. guy, right? He knows where the tomb is. That's I, it. I, I, I could take him where the tomb is. <laughs> like the Egyptian government knows where it is. They could have. Right. They could have kidnapped anybody. It sounds like. And he knows one other thing. He knows. Uh, he knows that there's little holes. Where you can hear people. Oh, that... That's the only other thing he contributes. <laughs> we'll get to that. Okay. Yeah. 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 So inside the compartments located under the trucks, Duke tells the Joes to give Cobra, uh, the Cobra Yahoos, the party of their lives. <laughs> the doors, I love this part. The doors swing open, the Joes roll out and take aim. However, Cobra is not present. I know. They're like, you're going to get it, Cobra. <laughs> like, where are they? Wait, wait a uh, minute. <laughs> believing their foes have walked into the tomb. Uh, we have Duke, Lady J, Alpine, Bazooka, and Barbecue uh, that walk inside, and Cobra Commander appears behind a rock near the tomb and tells the Baroness that Cobra will seize the treasure from the Joes, and the Joes will also spring all of the traps. Okay, so this kind of starts off, over the next five episodes, um, uh, I have the, why the heck are you here? Right, <laughs> right. All right? Every single one of these episodes, I'm like, yes. What? Uh, and so obviously barbecue here, like I actually love seeing these tertiary Joes that we don't get to see that often, Yeah. but good grief, make it somebody who like the environment applies to their skill set. Like, right. Were there any fire elements in this story? <laughs> there, well, there was the torches that they found that they carried, <laughs> carried. that they needed to carry safely. And in case well, like, it, I also question why Alpine was there. <laughs> I mean, he does well, become relevant well, later. To this, Alpine was there because Bazooka was there, and right. I think Al, Al, Alpine is his social worker. <laughs> <laughs> well, and Bazooka definitely plays a major role in this episode. Exactly. I think that you know Duke had his list, his roster. Right. And some people are on leave, and some people are dealing with other you know you know uh, skill set appropriate missions. And he's like, "Crap, who do we still have in the base?" Right. And he's looking around and he's like, well, we have uh, I could use Alpine in case we get stuck in a pit. Right. And I could use uh, barbecue, uh, you know, just because he's around or potentially there might be a fire (laughs) trap. And we're actually not legally allowed to leave Bazooka here by himself. (laughs) (laughs) 
or it's the other way around. Maybe we're stuck and I need to blow a hole in a wall, which we actually right. see quite a bit. Bazooka right. doing quite a bit of stuff. Oh, he just blows everything up. <laughs> yeah, but he's he can't uh, you know be gone without an advisor or somebody there. Right. Um, well, and I also found it interesting that Cobra Commander thought that the Joes would get the treasure and then they would just seize it from them. I'm like, the Joes aren't there for the treasure. They're there yeah, to exactly. Stop you. Like, <laughs> yeah, that All was right. a bit weird too. So, uh, so here's Barbecue's big role. It's coming up. Uh, bar- <laughs> barbecue lights a torch. That's right. <laughs> That's yep, a big the problem. end. All right. right. Uh, Bazooka and he doesn't even up. hold on to it. Like, there's one point no. where they fall through. We'll see that in a bit. They fall yep. down this hole. The only one still holding the torch is Duke. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, oh, we're going to talk about Duke's involvement in this episode. <laughs> 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 so, and that, that comes a little bit later. But, uh, and Bazooka finds uh, on a wall several hieroglyphics. Uh, which he joyfully calls funnies. Oh, I know. I was like, what? <laughs> Lady <Jane> funnies. <laughs> he just speaks in one-word sentences. <laughs> right. That's it. Which is why he needs to be monitored. Exactly. Yeah, you just can't leave him alone. <laughs> Lady t- uh, Jay tells the Joes that they don't have time to translate, but her intuition tells her that the message is probably not a good one. Now, well, okay, so this made me wonder, because later on she translates an entire with wall. No problem, yeah. Like, with... <laughs> These I was like, when did tough. she learn Egyptian, like hieroglyphics? But I in the beginning of the episode, she kind of... I think it's one of those things, like, she knows them a little bit, but it's like when you immerse yourself in, in society, like, they say if you want to learn Spanish, you need to, like, go live in Mexico or something like that. Yeah. So she, she got immersed in the hieroglyphics, so as she went further in the tomb, she became more fluent in it. Wow, that's giving her a big pass. <laughs> I got to say, that's a bit of a stretch. Like, I'll give it to you. I'm and, totally uh, making it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's all right. Again, if you want to argue with me about this, go create your own podcast. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. So the the uh, the Joes turn to walk away, and two statues shoot spears at the Joes. Uh, they duck, and the spears land inside two holes in the wall. A uh, mm-hmm. trapdoor drops down at the end of the passage, and another slides uh, to the ground after Bazooka blows away uh, blows it away. Uh, the Joes run to the other end of the passage as a set of doors begin to close, but they fall into a hole in the ground and slide down a tunnel. Into <laughs> okay, the before they fall into this hole, yes. they're running down the hallway, and they say, oh, there's like a, a clearly it's colored different, you know what I mean? Yes. Like the flooring yes. is a bit different, and they say, I think, I think that's a trap. And Duke says, you're right, and he jumps over that hole, or that you know plate on the ground or whatever, yeah. and he <laughs> lands into <laughs> The square he lands on just after that is the actual trapdoor. Right. And there's like there's a a very distinguishable distance between Duke and the rest of the group. Yes. So he jumps in first. He's like, oh crap! And then falls down this hole. And the whole the four of the other ones just like <laughs> what? And they all just <laughs> right. they all just one after the next dive down the same hole very accidentally. I'm like, come on! They all of them had time to stop and be like, oh crap, we should. Do something else, but they so, all just tumble into this hole. It's ridiculous. Well, and here and here's the thing with, and this is the running theme throughout this episode is we know that Duke gets captured all the time. <laughs> this whole episode is a whole tomb of Duke getting captured, <laughs> and everybody else just happened to follow him, and they follow like, him. Yeah, I know. It's like who They're put like, this guy in charge? Duke. Duke said to go this way. Well, you know, Duke. I would be like, well, you know what? Duke gets captured all the time. We're gonna go this way. <laughs> <laughs> That is a valid point. I'm like, well, at the same time, you've got you've got Bazooka on the team, so 
Because I was actually a little disappointed because Duke wasn't getting captured. I was like, wait a minute, this whole episode is just uh, him setting off traps and getting captured. (laughs) Right. It's not getting Uh, captured by Cobra, but it's getting captured by something. No, Uh, it doesn't even take high tech, elaborately laid out plans. All it takes is a hole in the floor and you've captured Duke. (laughs) Right. And the rest of the team. And the rest of the team. (laughs) Right. Because they followed him. Uh, Well, they figured they would never see him again if they didn't follow Right. Uh, so Alpine asks if they should make room for uh, for one of the sewing uh, for sewing or a nursery, uh, but Duke tells Alpine to knock off the comedy, and the Joes watch more doors slide open. Uh, that's another interesting thing with these traps. There's a trap, but then there's nothing deadly at the bottom of the trap. Yeah, it's just like an empty pit. <laughs> and then another door opens up. <laughs> and then a door opens. I'm like, man, right. this is this is very elaborate. Uh, at the entrance to the tomb, Cobra Commander uh, finds a hole in the wall and whispers to the others <laughs> that he can hear everything the Joes are saying. <laughs> and this is Dr. Marsh's other big contribution. He explains that the conduits were designed to carry air to the workers in the lower levels. The Baroness reminds Cobra Commander, obviously, because we know Cobra Commander needs this reminded to him, that the Joes could also probably hear him. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, so he was just like, oh, what's this hole in the wall? And he just kind of looks in this hole. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, I can hear everything they're saying. And he's like all excited and everything. Right. And Baroness is like, well, you understand. Then they can hear everything we're saying, too. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And he just like fumbles around. And he like covers the hole up. He like slams his hands on it. And he's like, oh, gosh. You know, and he's wearing his battle helmet. Right. So you can't see his face. But I'm just like, what a goof. Like, oh, my gosh. So uh, Alpine, uh, after hearing the noise, Alpine replies that the noise was just the foundation settling. And Barbecue says, after 5,000 years? Yeah, so, yeah, so that was interesting, too. Like, like they were all nervous. The Cobra's all nervous that they heard him speaking, you know, and then we cut to the Joes, and they didn't. You yeah, know, they didn't. They it wasn't fine. distinguishable or whatever. They didn't notice it. Right. But, uh. So Lady J. I thought uh, it was funny. I thought it was funny that Bazooka was calling Alpine out, though, on something that was illogical. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, and if I was Alpine, I'd be like, yeah. Really, dude? I know. <laughs> really? Fudgies. Fudgies. <laughs> Do I have to bring the fudgies up again? <laughs> Funnies. So uh, Lady J reads a stone panel in the room. This is when she also knows it all. Yeah, just like, bingo. Right. And she tells Duke that the tomb is for Osiris, who was killed by his brother Set. Uh, Osiris was resurrected by Isis, his wife. However, Osiris uh, believed that his true place was in the land of the dead, and the tomb is a getaway. Uh, Suddenly, Lady J notices a snake near Duke, and he tells her, just what I need, an asp in my ear. Uh, I thought that was an awkward phrase. Yeah. (laughs) And then in an amazingly quick move, uh, Duke grabs the snake's head and tosses it to the ground and watches the reptile slither away. Uh, yeah, I think it was at this. I mean, these again, this group of five episodes. I really realized how much Lady J is kind of a Mary Sue character. Oh yeah, right. So somebody, you know, just a character that can kind of do it all, and it it helps them get out of plot points and you know just like explain away a plot because so and so can just do it, right? Right, right. And and what's interesting is you even like they bring a lot of attention to it in later episodes. We'll talk about, but. Here, like, she can just read Egyptian. Of course, of course she yeah. knows Egyptian. Yeah. And yeah. ancient Egyptian history and, like, I'm like, that's weird. So it stood out to me here. This is the first time in the series of episodes where I was like, that's weird that she knows this stuff so fluently. But I'm like, well, maybe that because she, maybe she did. Maybe she studied it in school. Who knows? Whatever. Um, 
Maybe wow. she's had maybe she's had a few mi- previous missions or something to Egypt and, and whatever. I don't and see that, what the problem is. Lady J is awesome. <laughs> no, no, I agree. I'm not, I'm not complaining. I just it was kind of a realization. Um, but then, and I'm like, well, then maybe that's why Duke chose her to be on the team. Like maybe right. that's I mean maybe that's a very valid reason why she's here. But then what I didn't like about it was um, earlier in the episode she's like, I don't know how to read this stuff, but this is my guess. This is my yeah. intuition. Yeah. And then here she's like, blah, 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 I know it all. I was like, I would have preferred it just be like <laughs> to be consistent throughout. Like Duke's like, uh, well, time to earn your paycheck, Lady J. Like right. you've studied Egyptian hieroglyphics, and she's like, yeah, well, I know all this. You know, or, like, just, or even all it takes he, is one line of dialogue. Yeah, or even if like like I said, if it was either consistent where she doesn't know it all the way through, or she does know it all the way through, or if she didn't didn't have the time to do it the first time, but now they have to take the time because they're in this trap. You know, so that's true, too. Um, but, it, you know, what, what I would love is like is a perfect. Um, I love the little lines of dialogue that give us a bit of backstory for yeah. each character. And it, they could have said, like, well, from that time I was stationed in Egypt or yeah. something like that. And you're like, ooh, that's kind of neat. You know, like, what was that mission about? You know what I mean? Like, that's all it would have taken. Well, see what it is back then. The Internet didn't exist. So no, oh, one, could call, no one called them out on their crap back then. <laughs> it's true. No, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be too logical about this, of course, but I just kind of, those, these no, are I totally agree with about. you. No, I totally agree with you. Yeah. I think the same thing when I watch these things, but then I'm like, yeah, that's because they didn't worry about it because they didn't really hear it back about what a stupid thing that was until like months later. And then they're like, okay, well, we'll think about that next time. Yeah, they just kind of <laughs> write it off. Yeah. Uh, so Duke asks Alpine to draw out his rope so that the Joes can climb out. So this is where an Alpine actually becomes relevant. Mm hmm. And the Joes soon find themselves wandering uh, down a hallway that is cut off by a stone door that drops down from the ceiling. Uh, and this is when Bazooka steps in and blow, blasts that away. I, and throughout this episode, I'm like, how many things does Bazooka bring with him? <laughs> yeah, he doesn't have a backpack. And he doesn't have any extra ammo on him. It, like, big shells, you know what I mean? Like, right, right. And they just, as soon as he shoots it, it's magically back there again. And he shoots his Bazooka, I think, three times? Yeah. Maybe four in the episode. At least three times. Yeah, and I think this is the one where it's like, uh, uh, like the door comes down, Duke's like, I guess we'll go the other way, and Bazooka's like, no, if you want to go this way, we go this way. I know, <laughs> like, bla- They blast the door, and all these bats come out, and I'm like, maybe that's why you weren't supposed to go that way. <laughs> <laughs> I did like that Alpine on the previous scene, was like, quit shooting that Bazooka, like, you're you're yeah. killing my ears. I was like, well, that's a, I like that practical line. Absolutely. That was kind of cool. But then again, the whole rest of the episode, it didn't bother him. <laughs> and he just kept repeatedly shooting everything, you know, like uh, a high impact, uh, you know, projectile within this 5,000 year old tomb. Like, right. good luck surviving that. But Right. <laughs> uh, the Joes walk into another room with a uh, dead end. And just as Bazooka offers to blow yet another hole in the wall, <laughs> uh, sick, uh, the circular room begins to spin. Uh Pinned to the wall by the centrifugal oh, force, yeah. except for the torches, which I, I'm like, that would have burnt them alive. <laughs> yeah, no, they would, uh, well, one, like, if a torch just, like, went in their face or something, then you have, right. like, a scarred, you know, right. bazooka from that point on. Um, but the, the wind, right? That would have just yeah. put the torches out. Torches out, yeah. Uh, the Joes are hurled into, a, uh, into a room without a door, as Lady J disgusted, uh, disgust, disgustedly notes, uh, another dead end. Cobra Commander tells the Joes via the conduit system that since they are no longer any use to him, uh, he will show, allow Scrap Iron to the pleasure of firing several heat-sinking missiles from a stinger at the Joes. Cobra Commander nods to the Baroness, who raises her hand to 
signal uh, scrap iron, but Lady J tells the eavesdropping Cobra commander that she can't believe they're going to be going to die with so much treasure there. Yeah, so that was quick thinking. I thought it was yeah. cool to see scrap iron. Like yeah. that was a that was kind of like I, I think he was just kind of tagged along too because he didn't have anything else to do. Yep. They did not. They did not get the voice actor to do anything for him because he did not speak. <laughs> yeah, he just showed up. That was interesting right. too. Yeah. Right. But it was cool to see him. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Cobra Commander throws down his hand. Uh, throws down his hand, but immediately tackles the Baroness before she signals Scrap Iron to fire. Yeah, that was uh, so weird. Yeah. <laughs> he just like throws his body on her. Oh, like, like he uh... he can't just yell to not fire. <laughs> like he can't override the Baroness. <laughs> Oh, he was riding her. No, oh, yeah, he was. No, he was. <laughs> <laughs> she had that whip. Uh, oh, gosh. <laughs> she's unconvinced that the Joes have found the treasure, but Cobra Commander, who does not want to take any chances, orders several Crimson Guards to go into the tomb and investigate. <laughs> but after they destroy the wall in front of the Joes, the Cobras find uh, a room, empty room, but the Joes move a stone floor panel, which somehow they found. Uh, and this thing side. is thick. It's like a <laughs> foot thick. Yeah. And crushes the Crimson Guards. <laughs> oh, gosh. The, uh, the Joes don the uniforms of the Crimson Guard and walk back to the surface and try to convince Cobra Commander that they were attacked by the Joes, uh, but they were captured, uh, they captured their weapons. <laughs> I want to do a comic of like, uh, all the Cobra troops who leave in the morning. So they leave the Cobra Temple in the morning. Yeah. And they're all decked out talking about what they got to do for the day and, then at the end of the day, they're all walking back to the Cobra Temple. Yeah. But just with like uh, a wife beater and boxer shorts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, we get we get the casual Cobra characters in a later episode, which just cracked me up too. <laughs> oh yeah, that was funny too. Yeah, but it's like so many episodes, they take their uniforms and they're just like random Cobra troopers, like with no clothes. Right. And like, well, time to go back, I guess. Like they don't ever kill them or capture them or anything. They just take their clothes. I'm like, oh man, I gotta get another, uh, I got another uniform from the quartermaster. He's gonna give me crap, you know. It's right. just like, anyway. So the Baroness reminds the Crimson Guard that the penalty for withholding, uh, information is quite severe, and Duke quickly tells Cobra Commander that they found the treasure. Uh, as the Joes blindly lead Cobra Commander around the tomb, and Cobra's leader asks how much farther, Lady J subtly hints to Dr. Marsh that since the hieroglyphics depict the tale of Osiris, they must be near the treasure. The Joes uh, walk into a corridor with Dr. Marsh, uh, which he purposely activates a trap that causes the Joes to be separated from Cobra, although not for very long at all. <laughs> yeah, it was like it was like two seconds. Like, just real quick to, to go back. Yeah. When they were in the fight with the Crimson Guard, I just made a note how Duke body slams two Crimson Guards. Like he did you remember that? Like he picks both of yeah. them up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Simultaneously and slams them against the wall. I'm like, that's got to be at least three to four hundred pounds. Right. And I'm like, they are not consistent at all <laughs> no. with regular human strength. No. Yeah, just, then, that, that, no. I thought that was all. interesting. Yeah. Well, but he, then also, got, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say he got really strong from when he had to fight that giant Goliath character at the very oh, yeah, I guess. beginning of the series. <laughs> he's been, he's been. Well, anyway, so so that was weird. Like, and then they're just not consistent with that. Which I mean. There's another time later where Gung Ho like drop kicks a, uh, a Skyhawk, but we'll we'll talk about that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um but in this scenario, so uh, but yeah, moving on. So when they get separated from Cobra, I'm like, oh, they got away again, and they, they literally turn the corner after running down and the hallway, right there. and Cobra's right there. I'm like, you yep. guys suck. Like your guide is the worst. Like he is just <laughs> like he doesn't know what he's doing. Right. 
Uh, Alpine points to a room nearby and tells the curious Lady J that the treasure has to be somewhere. <laughs> uh, which I'll use. Where's, where's it's gotta the be somewhere. It's, it's over there. It's gotta be somewhere. Uh, <laughs> Cobra Commander walks into a small chamber and finds the crown of Osiris, lifts it into the air and shouts gleefully, it's mine. Uh, but gas fills the chamber and everyone falls to the ground choking. Unlike uh, every one of them is wearing a mask. Right. <laughs> except Baroness. Right. I'm like, wouldn't Cobra Commander have, like, breathers units in there or something? Yeah, in that what's mask? the point of all of those masks? <laughs> uh, the and, jokes, then, and later, uh, yeah. Lady J takes the helmet off and she's like, how do they breathe in these things? Right. I'm like, well, so, if it's because it's filtering air. Air, right. <laughs> right. Jeez. But they can't handle this special Osiris gas. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. The Joes toss their helmets uh, to the ground and ask Dr. Marsh to lead them to the surface above as Lady J pulls her helmet off. Uh, she wonders how the Cobra agents can breathe. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, see, trap doors drop from both ends of the room and the floor descends to a, <laughs> to a room surrounded by panels of stars and, sh- uh, and they're shooting above them. And that, that says, was definitely weird. I was like, "What?" Yeah, this is so. So, th- so it drops down. And this is the transition. This is when the episode gets really weird. <laughs> this episode jumps the shark. Like literally, right. it, this is a whole different kind of show. Like, <laughs> and not like different genre. Yeah, different. Um, it is. Weird. It's not GI Joe anymore. Like, and it actually made me question. Like, how far are they going to take this? Like, right. I didn't remember this episode. Like, as a kid or yeah. anything. Like, yeah. I felt this was all brand new to me. So. I'm watching. Was, and I'm uh, like, oh, cool, a cool Tomb Raider type episode, yeah. and I'm and then I'm like, what just wait, what just happened? <laughs> yeah. So they 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 drop down, right? So they come up from the right. gas, right? Right. They, they they drop down like an elevator, like it's like a platform elevator, and then the walls start to become like space, like outer space. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is weird. I was like, I don't think they teleported anywhere. I was like, is this just painted on the walls? And then. Yeah. Then, then the crazy starts. Then the crazy starts. So a tall golden figure appears behind the Joes and asks who has entered the court of Osiris and seeks entry into the land of the dead. Uh, and this guy's and, huge. Yeah, yeah, enormous. Like, they're all up to, like, his ankles. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as more Egyptian gods appear, they decide that the Joes' hearts must be weighed to determine whether or not they are worthy of <laughs> passing into the land of the dead. Uh, after being picked up by a flying snake. Alpine and, just has so many dad jokes in this. Oh, It's yeah. ridiculous. He's like, my weight's about six pounds. And he's like nudging Lady J. And she's like, you're an idiot. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, after being picked up by a flying snake and dropped to the ground, Duke, Duke asks Dr. Marsh if the whole scene is real. As the Joes and Dr. Marsh fly into space on a golden onk, uh, oh, the doctor can only believe that they are really being judged. Uh, meanwhile, <laughs> yeah, Cobra no, Com- okay, Cobra we'll Commander, we'll just put a pin in that. <laughs> right. Cobra Commander awakens Set, uh, Egyptian god of evil, and right. he asks uh, Cobra Commander who has disturbed him. Uh, Set picks up Cobra Commander, sees the Cobra emblem on the uniform of Cobra Commander, and asks uh, if he worships the serpent. Cobra Commander screams several times that he does, and as soon as Set places Cobra Commander on the ground, the Baroness tells Set that they will crush the followers of his brother's army, uh, and this pleases Set. Hmm. Uh, however, he demands proof of their loyalty, so he turns into a giant Cobra and tells Cobra Commander, Baroness, Scrapiron, and the rest of the Crimson Guard to kneel before him. 
Yeah, this seems like a much easier test than what the Joes were going through. <laughs> right. Like the Joes right. get teleported into space and then have to go through this whole ordeal. Well, yeah, and I'm wondering why does Set have to turn into a giant cobra for them to kneel before him? <laughs> yeah, he could have just said, "All right, kneel," and they're like, right. "Okay," and then he's like, "Let's move forward." Right. Like, that was very. It was weird. I thought they were going to have to fight him or something, you know. Well, I think you know. I think this this whole episode just stemmed from somebody doing research about Egyptian gods. And we're like, these look cool. And then so I think of that, you know, a cobra being like some other symbol of set or something like that and thinking, oh, cool. Well, that ties into our bad guys. I think this whole episode stemmed from someone smoking something halfway through writing the script. <laughs> well, that's also like definitely true. <laughs> They're like, I got a cool tune story going on here. Okay, then the gods show up. <laughs> what? Egyptians? Sure, why not? Uh, so as Alpine points out to Bazooka that he could always pump off the Ankh towards Earth, or jump off the Ankh towards Earth, uh, Duke asks Dr. Marsh what will happen next. Uh, as Dr. Marsh explains that they appear to be part of a soul court, the Joes meet Mob, M-A-A-B, uh, the guardian of universal law, and Amun-Ra, the eldest oh, of the right. gods, and, and her father. Uh, which he was originally like the sun, and then he turns into a being, like mm-hmm. very, very trippy. Uh, she explains that if the Joes survive their test, then they will be found worthy. Um, then, uh, let's see, the, uh, they fire, all of a sudden they send out this, you know, bear looking bird thing. <laughs> yeah, it was like a dude with a bear head and yeah. like golden eagle wings. Yeah, yeah. it was like a uh, fire shot from the mouth causing Alpine to uh, fall from the Ankh, and Bazooka jumps after him. And without <laughs> hesitation. Right. Like, again, I think that this was just like a, uh, like, Alpine! And it's like, it just, it proved to me how much Bazooka is literally in love with Alpine. Right. That and how much Bazooka's like, oh, I'm gonna jump to my death, it doesn't matter. <laughs> no, yeah, he's just like, life isn't worth living if my guardian isn't here with me. Right. Uh, I, I really think that Bazooka thought maybe he could fly Alpine back up. <laughs> uh, probably. That's also very true. <laughs> so, uh, grabbing Lady J, uh, Set Met, uh, which is the bear guy, uh, mm-hmm. burns the advancing Duke and, uh, Dr. Marsh to ashes and then turns to fry barbecue. Oh, yeah. And this is the thing. Okay. The guy's breathing fire. This is why you're here, barbecue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Let's step it up, man. Like, how's that flame retardant suit doing, you know? Right. Uh, he fires a gun and destroys the fireball, which, mm-hmm. you know, that, that works. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> Lady J hits the god's nose and uh, she's dropped from his grasp. Then uh, Mob declares that the trials are over. Uh, Sekhmet flies back into her father's eye. <laughs> well, okay, yeah, so this was, it all happened very quickly. It was like three distinct, like, attacks yeah. and people trying to yeah. save each other. Yeah. Um, but I thought the whole punch punch a, a god bear in the nose. That was pretty cool. I was like, because that works for sharks, I guess. <laughs> right. And yeah. god bears. And god bears, yeah. Yeah. Wings, yeah. And then uh, Mob uh, restores Duke and Dr. Marsh. And as Alpine and Bazooka fly back on a golden mongoose. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what the crap? That's what I did feel like. This is a weird, trippy 70s show. It was, like, right. it was the flying mongoose thing. Yeah. Uh, or I'm a goose, god. like a it was like a yeah, swan like a, or something. Yeah, it was a yeah. swan type thing. Yeah, they put mongoose in here. I'm like, that's not a mongoose. No, it was uh, <laughs> it was just a goose. It was yeah, a it was like, yeah, big bird. 
Uh, Amun-Ra explains that because everyone sacrificed themselves for the sake of another, they've been found worthy, which I did like that, you know, that mm-hmm. whole aspect. Um, so then we go back to uh, Cobra Commander and the rest of them, and, and Cobra Commander says, my knees ache, which evidently is when you prove your loyalty. Because <laughs> then Set was perfectly fine. He transfers transforms back to his half-human shape uh, and declares that Cobra, the Cobra agents are loyal and asks if they have a plan. Yeah, I'm like, Duke was burning alive. <laughs> right. Cobra Commander and just And Cobra Commander knees. just has to kneel down for five minutes. <laughs> right. And he's like, ah, arthritis. And he's like, all right, that's good. You're yeah, we're good. Enough. You're loyal. You're good. <laughs> Baroness steps forward and tells the god that if he will give them the riches to the tomb, Cobra will raise an army large enough to destroy all of his brother's followers. Uh, mounds of gems and gold appear. And uh, Cobra Commander jumps into the pile and tells the others to radio the Rattlers since they will need help carrying out the treasure. Yeah, so this has been like the, the Uncle Scrooge moment. They all started right. diving right. and swimming through the gold. I was, I, th- I, I, I kind of lost the plot a little bit here. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, well, actually, in reality, a little bit sooner than this. But at this point, yeah. um, I was like, so we'll get to this. But if any of the treasure is removed from the tomb... Right. Right. Then it kind of starts to fall apart. Uh, and Osiris is like no longer in power. Right. So does that re- that release is set kind of right. on the world. Right. Right. I guess. Right. Yeah. But it seemed to me like eh, maybe we'll talk about it when we get there. It will be there in just a couple minutes. Go ahead. Well, and I, I wonder, too, why couldn't set just put like a couple gems in into some people's pockets, like sneak them in there? Yeah, like if his goal is to get to get to be released, he has to get a piece of gold out of the tomb. Right. He could have done this a long time ago. <laughs> right. He could have just thrown some pieces out. <laughs> yeah, he can physically interact with this world. Right. Right. I don't know. So, so the Ankh lands back in the court of Osiris, uh, and despite Duke's request after being found as worthy souls, Osiris cannot send them back to the land of mortals since they left that realm when they entered his court. <laughs> I was like, whoa, what? And he's like, yeah, yeah, you're dead, man. I was like, what? He goes, no, 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 this is all just for funsies. Like, this isn't, this doesn't mean you get to go back. Like, you're, you were dead a long time ago. You were dead when that gas kicked out of a, you know. We just, we were just trying to decide whether or not you stay here or you get to go to the land of the dead. <laughs> You either spend forever in this tomb, or you go to. The no, land. I think it was like he was like, well, if you're worthy, you you still go to the land of the dead, but you like get to live in peace or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like if they weren't worthy, then they probably would have went to the bad place or something. Right. I guess. Yeah. yeah. But still, I was just kind of like. Yeah. And he's like, and they were like, well, no, you're dead, and they're like, <laughs> all right, and they just walk down the steps to go yep. see. <laughs> so yeah, so a flight of stairs appears in the floor, and Osiris tells the Joes that Anubis. Will ferry yeah. them to the land of the dead, uh, which I I love Egyptian mythology. So like seeing all these gods was kind of cool. But yeah, I was actually cool. pumped to see Anubis because I, yeah. I do like I do like that and I love yeah. the design. I was yeah, like, oh, sure. well, that's kind of cool. But man, yeah. were the Joes so willing to just be like, sure? <laughs> yeah. Well, again, Duke's like, all right, let's go, and they were all like, <laughs> okay. It's like, well, we better go, or you'll be captured by Anubis. Because yeah, because Duke's idea was maybe we can jump ship, and. Yeah, he's like, let's get captured first and then find a way out. That's his game plan. Right, every time. Yeah. So Set leads Cobra Commander to a tunnel and tells him that he and his followers can travel back to the surface, and he explains that he will await uh, their return. Cobra Commander and the Baroness stop, turn around, and Cobra Commander says uh, uh, an attempt to deceive the 
God of Evil by saying, oh, we'll be back very soon, and set Slumbles <laughs> to himself sooner than you imagine. Um, uh, as Cobra Commander and the other Cobra agents reach the surface, a thunderstorm and devastating winds erupt. Crimson Guards are knocked back down into the tomb, uh, and Cobra Commander and the Baroness are able to fly away with the treasure. Uh, well, like as soon as as soon as they come out, which is great because Cobra Commander was like, "Oh, we'll we'll be right back." Yeah. And what you don't see through his mirrored mask is the shifty eyes going from left oh, to yeah. right, like, like totally. "Oh, we'll be right back." So as soon as they get like above ground, he's like, "Get out! Get the f out! Go! Go! Go!" <laughs> it just reminded me of the old PSAs, like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> go! He's like, "Get out of here! Get Grab out of the here. treasure! Get out of here!" And then, uh, you know, but then like the ground starts shaking and. All of the Crimson Guards just like fall back down the hole. Yep, like the these guys go from being just complete doofuses to actually being like pretty awesome sometimes. Like yeah. it's there, there's a huge range of a big gap Crimson there. Guard ability. But right, these anyway, are the new recruits. Yeah. So so <laughs> you know, yeah. So uh, Cobra Commander is just like, oh my treasure! Like he's all upset, and they you know so they throw what they've got into a Rattler and fly yep. off. So uh, as Anubis steers the fairy from the staircase with the Joes inside, he explains to the Joes that if one of the gems is removed from the tomb of Osiris, then the world will no longer be under his protection, and the gods in the world will be dis- will be destroyed. Lady J realizes that only Cobra Commander would be so stupid to unknowingly cause the end of the world. She's like, yeah, I know who did this. Right. <laughs> and she offers to help if Anubis can take them to the surface. <laughs> She's like, I've got two guesses, and Bazooka's with us. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, because Bazooka would totally do it. Bazooka would be stupid enough to do this. Well, Bazooka, Bazooka. Would, <laughs> Bazooka would take so one. So probably gem, Cobra Commander. <laughs> right. Uh, despite the protest by the Baroness, Cobra Commander flies uh, with the cursed gems. Uh, avoids set as he appears in the sky and is shot down by the Joes, who are flying in the air on Anubis's ferry. So uh, weird. Yeah. The Cobra agents eject. Uh, from the burning plane, and the bag of gems is caught by Anubis. Do they uh, still no. have their guns this whole time? Where'd they get the guns to shoot this? I don't know. I yeah, don't that, know. those disappeared out of nowhere, I guess. Yeah. But they, yeah, Anubis had them. They were in his ferry. Here's some guns, man. <laughs> They're in his I got, boat. I got these he had to conceal last. and carry in the boat. Yeah, I got these from the, the last group that I took down to the land of the dead. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, uh, nice, uh, Duke says, nice catch, dog face. <laughs> and uh uh the uh duke says that's army talk it's a term of endearment i was like i've never heard that term of endearment i was like before. what i was like you're not covering yourself well here man right uh when anubis is over a uh, river the boat flips over and the joes fall into the water climbing onto shore alpine tells the joes and dr marsh that anubis dumped them on purpose lady J adds with a half laughing voice that the ferryman probably took offense to duke's remark of dog face and Duke replies, yeah, well, bow wow. And yeah, she like calls him out on it. I was like, all right. <laughs> and that ends the episode. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, I was like... Um, kind of a weird place to end, too. <laughs> Just like, okay, they're now they're in Egypt. What happened to Cobra Commander? What's going on with the Crimson Guard? I don't know. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. So, okay, <laughs> there's a couple things i got to point out. So, whenever... Yep. Um, Bazooka and Alpine are uh, specifically when they're in an episode or sometimes uh, other people will get the Bazooka award, which is the the dumbest quote (laughs) of the episode. So Bazooka, I mean, he's got a number of gems through this entire through this entire episode. But at the point where um, 
so at the point where they've gone through their trial with the gods and Ra, yeah. and Bazooka and Alpine are flying back on this goose, you just see like them fly past the screen, and and Bazooka just goes birdie, <laughs> yeah. like as they're flying. I'm just like, oh my gosh! And then as they're flying up, Alpine's like, what's the verdict, sister? And I'm like, what? <laughs> At what point were you so friendly with this person who, like, had your lives in their hands that you're like, what's up, sister? Yeah. It's like, Alpine. <laughs> what's with the jive talk? He's been, so, hanging, he's been hanging around with Bazooka too long. <laughs> no, too way too much. He's just got such an attitude. So, all right. So I rated this um, uh, a, a Duke Deuce. So a two right, out, two out of five. I'm right there with you. <laughs> All right. So for me, the redeeming qualities was just the concept of the tomb raiding. I thought was yeah. awesome. Yeah. I loved seeing scrap iron. Um, we didn't get like a ton of like I always kind of throw vehicles in there as a qualification because to me yeah. that's a huge part of Joe. Sure. Um, so what it's always going to kind of be part of my grading is what what characters were in there that we don't normally get to see. Did yeah. they use their abilities like their skill set? Uh, what vehicles did we get to see? Uh, and again, were they appropriate or did they use like some aspect of that vehicle that helped them out of a situation? Like I love that kind of stuff. Absolutely. And then any kind of like look into a character's backstory or their knowledge or their skills or something along those lines. Like yep. there's, there's other qualifications, but just off the top of my head, those are three kind of main ones. Yep. Um, so like not a ton of vehicle stuff, but, uh, I did like kind of seeing the strikers and, um, and, uh, or scrap iron there, you know. Yeah. Um, and bazooka actually use a bazooka. Yes. Um, and the idea of the tomb rage I thought was pretty awesome, but yes. that's man. That's and, and a little bit, a little <laughs> bit of like lady J like being like, Oh, she knows Egyptian. Like, okay. Yeah. You know, as soon as they established, she clearly knows this. I'm like, well, that's cool. Cause that's and, a skill. And like a couple and tied in with the tomb thing, like a couple of the traps were actually kind of cool. Like when the statues shot the spears and it caused a door to close down, like, yeah, it was that, like chain reaction stuff. That yeah. was neat. Yeah. Uh, and you can tell they did the research, like the writers did the research to come up yeah. with, uh, the look of all the different gods were so yes. unique, but obviously based on mythology and lore and then yeah. how some of these traps would have worked. And like, yeah, I, th- I thought that was all interesting, but man, that's it. And that's like, yeah. we're stretching to give it credit for just about anything. It was right. pretty lame. Right. I think if they just stuck with the fact of it being like a tomb raiding episode and they have to stop Cobra and like, I think it could have worked out well had you elaborated some of the traps a little bit more like, and and made those a real threat and everything. I think that could have been enough. Um, I think but, you could have even had some mysterious things happening. Sure. Like that, that they couldn't explain right off the top. And they think, oh, my gosh, is this like the influence of their religion or their God yeah. or whatever? You know, yeah. they're, they're alluding to like maybe the, the ancient people, you know, and, and if there's an ancient person who was trying to raid this tomb, they would get thrown off thinking like this is the God of, of mischief or Anubis or somebody playing with them kind of thing. Um, And then so it being like this weird, ambiguous, like, are are those gods real? Or is this really just like the mechanics and a big trick? And then at the end, you either get a reveal or maybe not. But the fact that they interact physically with these gods, I was like, (laughs) whoa, whoa. Like this, like I understand G.I. Joe is kind of like a, a, uh, where they always called it a military fantasy. Like those are Hasbro's words, like whatever they're describing to us our approach to working on the property. They're like, remember, right. this is a military fantasy. We'd hear that a lot. Right. So 
I'm totally fine when they introduce technology that doesn't exist. Right. Like, I think that's cool. I think there's a sci-fi element, and that's a big part of G.I. Joe. Yeah. But, like, sometimes they cross over into supernatural or mythology, and and you're like, is this really still the property? Like, is this what the property's about? And then this, what like, didn't just touch on it or barely cross over to it. It full-on just became, like – right. Some other bizarre show. I, and, there's, very and, there, and there's times they do it where I personally, I think it works. Like when they did the one episode we covered earlier, I can't remember the name of it, but where they had like the three ghosts that were tied into certain objects and Cobra. Cobra oh, Cobra. yeah. I thought that yeah, was done that really was... well. And it still had that supernatural element to it uh-huh. and everything else. I thought that was a really interesting episode. This one, I was like. What the hell is going on all? Yeah, this went off the rails. Like this was just too much and too big, and right. uh, it was just a different show. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like this came across as like a, I don't know, just some you know yeah. fantasy adventure show. Yeah. Way different than like a Johnny Quest or something like that. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, and actually, I, mean, I think this would this type of episode would have worked better as Johnny Quest episode because Johnny Quest did deal with some of the stuff like this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like Tomb Raiding and like yeah. and supernatural stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's why that's why I threw it out there. But just so it was just a little too too weird for GI Joe. I thought it was yeah. a bit of a stretch. I but. agree. All right, so next episode we have is Primordial Plot, or as I like to call it, the birth of the Dino Riders. <laughs> <laughs> Dino Rider. <laughs> right. Um, or AKA the influence for the uh, book and movie Jurassic Park. I know. I was like, what did Michael Crichton write Jurassic Park after this episode of G.I. Joe aired? I looked it up. (laughs) Jurassic Park came out. The book came out in 1990. This was definitely before. Oh, this was in 85. (laughs) Yeah. This is like November 85. I think is what I looked at. That's Wow. That makes me wonder. There are elements in this that are very much Jurassic Park. Very specific. When they were like, what can we do with these? I was just waiting for somebody to say theme park. Right. Well, one guy said I have investors. So Yeah, I know. Exactly. Okay, we'll get into it. Yeah, we'll get get into this. Okay. All right. So as a doctor and his workers uh, pull several (laughs) 30 million million year old bones, which have not been uh, undergone fossilization uh, because they were in pools of oil, Wild Weasel flies his cobra plane above the archaeological dig and fires at the people on the ground. The men scatter, and the doctor asks the foreman if they've paid off all the government officials. I was like, dang. Like, <laughs> right off the bat, they're corrupt archaeologists. They're right. paleontologists. So I'm like, right. you got to watch out for those criminally organized paleontologists. Right. So I felt like they got what's coming to them. Yeah, me too. I didn't feel uh, bad for them at all. He's no, like, that's no, all right. No. We got more where that came from. I'm like, right. <laughs> the foreman tells the doctor that they will uh, will have made all the right bribes, and Wild Weasel lands, uh, picks up a few bones, and flies away after placing a radio call to let Cobra headquarters know that the first of the plan is complete. And I think he was just a collector. Yeah. Like, just some really ambitious collector who owns his own jet and, like, will right. flat-out shoot a dude. Well, and they pointed out that uh, he didn't take the most valuable pieces, yeah, like the feet or something like that. Right. Like, oh, we can find a jawbone like all over the place. Yeah, exactly. It's Tri- weird. We're tripping over them. Yeah. Uh, inside a building at Massey Laboratory, uh, Dr. Massey stands behind a table and announces to the audience that they are about to find out whether they have accomplished a miracle or squandered their investors' money. Uh, yeah, I was like, wow, geez. Yeah, so <laughs> that's the, that was immediately was like, okay, this is Jurassic Park moment. Oh, yeah. Uh, egg inside a glass box cracks open, and Doc, uh, Dr. Massey, who is standing behind the table, picks up 
a garden snake and declares the cloning project a success. Uh, however, Roberts, a Cobra agent, uh, is <laughs> Ben Dan Roberts. Uh, I know. <laughs> uh, like, is that his code name? Like, that's lame. I guess so. It's like, oh, we got Wild Weasel, we got Scrap Iron, this is Bob. <laughs> like, oh, man. Uh, he's wearing a communicator watch, he signals the Fang, and the Crimson Guard commanders tell the Fang pilot to proceed. Uh, Roberts uh, strips off his lab coat in order to reveal he's a Crimson Guard underneath, because no one would have noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, check it out, suckers. And Dr. Massey, on be, uh, congratulates Dr. Massey on behalf of Cobra, grabs the man, and after the Cobra Fang destroys the wall behind the ro- behind Roberts, well, and uh, doesn't Annette it is like thrown. it's it's, is it a glass, it's a glass wall, so it's like it's helicopter blades like yeah. tear the wall open. I'm like, no, like, that helicopter is now crashing. Like, exactly. That's not how it, that's not how it works. Those fangs are those fang propellers are tough, man. Oh, <laughs> they, can take, they can take out anything. That's why don't, they don't need they don't even need a canopy or armor or any no. way to defend the pilot. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Just bust right through the glass. That's yeah, right. None of, that, none of that glass shattered the pilot at all. Exactly. There's nothing to keep that pilot from dying from debris <laughs> as it flies back and, in his face. And from the fang that's crashing because it, yeah, exactly. the propellers can't do that. And there's no way to eject. If you're eject, that's a death sentence just to eject. But. Right. Uh, so a, a net is dropped onto the pair, uh, and they're whisked away. Uh, <laughs> under uh, foggy skies, Scarlet, Gung-Ho, and Roadblock listen to Flint explain that the intelligence department believes that Cobra has uh, an island in the South Pacific, which that raised a flag for me oh, with Jurassic gosh. Park. Yeah, it's a small <laughs> island that they're doing these experiments in on. the South Pacific. South Pacific, because I feel like that's in Jurassic Park where they're like, I have this small island in the South Pacific. If they had said uh, Bella Nublar or Isla Nublar or whatever, I would have been like, <laughs> yeah. Crichton stole all of this. Yeah, like boo. <laughs> well, okay, so this just became this episode more than I think any that comes to mind had some of the most animation mistakes. Oh, yeah. Um, where there was glitches, like things yes. where like the background plate was there, and you have moving figures that you know, are redrawn and moved through the scene. But then you also yeah. have set props that are something that's an overlay that will go over the background that the characters will possibly walk around or interact with, but yep. that it's not animated. So there's a lot of times where those will drop out of a frame, bef- yep. like, pre-cut or something like that like we'll, we'll get into it more specifically but in this scenario there's a few miscolors so when scarlet comes walking in with the group she has no pants on yes <laughs> and it like flickers yeah. and i was like what i wouldn't have noticed it i don't think no. except that it it flickers first she when she first walks in it looks like because she, she has her like tan leotard over the gray you know pants yeah. And when she walks in, she's just wearing a tan leotard and her p- pants are skin colored. So it looks like she's kind of wearing a bathing suit. There's a few but, times where it flickers or, or it looks like it's a, it looks like a shaky cam as they're panning over. <laughs> yeah. Panning across oh, yeah. <laughs> but like, so then, then it flicks on like she is wearing pants, but then it starts flicking on and off like as they're doing frames as she's walking. Right. And it was just like this animation team <laughs> where they're two guys. Working on this same scene, and one of them decided to just not have her have pants, and the other pants one's like pants and no pants. Pants and no pants. Uh, I just thought it was a very weird thing to mix up on. Like everything else is fine. Yeah, but it's just whether or not Scarlet's wearing pants was the issue. <laughs> that was weird. Uh, so on this island, they're cloning dinosaurs. Uh, cloning dinosaurs is taking place. Uh, Gung Ho scoffs at the idea of dinosaurs roaming the land again. 
However, Scarlet walks up to Gung Ho, places a hand on his shoulder, and reminds him Cobra has an irritating habit of doing the impossible. And this is right about when Roadblock's uh, famous quote where he says, time to clone the bone. (laughs) And I was like, what? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) There's an appropriate time to rhyme, (laughs) and it's not at this time. That's all I can say. Oh, man. So, uh, <laughs> Roblox counters that the dinosaurs will need at least 30 years to grow up and become dangerous, which is just in time for the Joe's, uh, Joe's retirement. Uh, Airtight, which is the, is in my opinion, is the Joe that I don't understand why he's here. Yep, there's the cameo appearance. <laughs> like, I had no idea that Airtight was this scientist, but apparently right. he has uh, a chemical he, background. Yeah, he enters the room and burns uh, down Roblox's attempts at levity. As he tells the Joes that Dr. Massey has also developed a rapid growth serum, because of course he did. Yep. <laughs> and Roadblock is No, so Roadblock ins- was like, oh, ain't no thing. Like, he's like, we'll be, was like, we won't be Joes anymore by the time these dinosaurs grow up. Yeah. I'm like, so you're just gonna pass it on to your kids? Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> hey kids, grow up in this world where dinosaurs rule the earth now. We could have done something about it, but Batman. no big deal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, we didn't feel it was worth our time, right? <laughs> I know. So, I was like, what the heck? Roadblock's so impressed and worried that he replies, whoa, instant monster. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Deep Six radios Flint that he has found a weird island that has uh, that is not on the map. Flint tells Deep Six that the entire planet has uh, has been mapped. Uh, evidently not Flint. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and he was like, uh, "I'm looking at it." <laughs> I was like, "Dang, Deep Six uh, with some lip." Right. Cobra Rattler appears, and Deep Six dives into the ocean. Flint promises to send help before Deep Six can uh, say over and out. Deep Six says, uh, uh, says it's beating Flint to his own reply. Uh, rate, the radar dish swivels and missiles launch, uh, ter- uh, launches turn and the Crimson Guard drives Cobra Ferrets on the island. Uh, oh, hey, real quick. So yeah. cutting back just real fast, like yeah. to me, okay, the airtight cameo was dumb. Didn't yes. make any sense. That could have been anybody, right? Right, right. The Deep Six, I liked. Right. A lot. I thought yeah. that was awesome. He comes flying in with the shark. So vehicle appearance, yep. character appearance, who comes with that vehicle. Makes the sense. The rattler shows up and he, was it a rattler? Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Rattler shows up and he dives yeah. to avoid it. And he yeah. doesn't try to take it on. They don't have some dog fight. Like that's right. not what, what a deep six is about. Though later on we see a little bit more of it, but yep. and I thought that was awesome. I really liked that. And when the uh, when I was mentioning the cobra ferrets coming on the island, I think this is the point where I thought something was wrong with my screen because the cobra ferrets kind of like moved really slow across the screen. <laughs> it was like yeah, so their perspective, what the artistically what was going on was the, their perspective didn't change even though they were right. moving you know towards you. Like so, there right. should have been a forced perspective shot, and they just start panning like from yeah. left to right, like they're yes. on a, a weird conveyor belt. Right. And they just like make them jump a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger, but they weren't oh, yeah. following the track as if they were driving in a straight line. It was, it was, yeah. a... that reminds me of something that happens later. Too. Oh gosh. There's so many animation mistakes in this episode. <laughs> there was a huge one that just had me cracking up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I was like, that? if I was like, if we were doing a mystery science theater 3000, I would have totally. Awesome <laughs> so anyways, inside a base, uh, Destro looks at the bug-infested swamp and listens to Cobra Commander tell him that the world was once ruled by reptiles and will soon be again. Uh, but the reptile in power will be Cobra. 
Uh, and this is when I, this is when I thought of Dino Riders because I'm thinking he's just going to mount weapons on these things. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like you know what he was thinking of when right. he. Uh, Destro turns from the windows and explains that he doesn't see any wisdom in Cobra Commander's plan, but Cobra Commander turns to Tomax and Zaymot, who explain that they have acquired the bones and once slightly used scientific genius in a disposable container. Uh, as the twins <laughs> laugh at their own joke, because no one else was laughing at it, <laughs> Cobra Commander tells Dr. Massey that he has enough bones to create an infinite number of dinosaurs and suggests that the doctor start right away. Uh, he said, don't, Dr. Massey, don't you know? We cloned the bone. <laughs> no. <laughs> Dr. Massey's like, wait, what? What? Uh, Gung Ho, <laughs> Scarlet, and Flint each fly a Sky Striker, and they evidently took lessons from Ace in this part. I wrote that down. I said, it's the Ace School of Piloting. <laughs> nice. His top three graduates. <laughs> right. They're searching for the island, and Gung Ho believes they have found. <laughs> the place since the island looks weird to him while Dr. Mar- Massey scrape, uh, scraps the bones under the watch fly of Destro and Cobra Commander an alarm in the base is heard as the Joes fly over the island uh, Cobra's missiles, missile defense shoots down the Sky Strikers <laughs> and Gung Ho and Scarlet uh, bail out however Flint is unable to eject because his controls are locked okay okay let's unpack this for a second all right <laughs> So, for one thing, yes, they are definitely from the A school of piloting. They come flying in with three Sky Strikers, absolutely no flight suits. They're just wearing the regular suits, right? Which is typical right. of G.I. Joe flying Sky Strikers. Okay. So, you've got, I mean, Gung Ho doesn't even have a shirt on, let alone right. any kind of flight <laughs> helmet or flight jacket. Okay. So, they're flying around here, and <clears throat> they're like, all right, let's find a flat place to land, as they come, like, buzzing over the treetops of the jungle. Right. Then... Missiles fire. They each get hit. Bang, bang, bang. Okay. And then Lady J was like, well, looks like we don't have to worry about well, a place to land. Oh, Scarlet. Yeah, yeah. Scarlet's like, well, I guess we don't have to find a place to land. And she sounds so unsurprised by the fact that they were <laughs> shot down yet again. Like that. In fact, this is probably part of their training. It's yeah. happened so much right. that they've been desensitized to the fact they're flying a, like this giant fireball. Right. Uh, so, like, all right, well, we'll just parachute out. Yeah, so you and I would be sh- panicking the hell out of them. Oh, no, yeah, exactly. <laughs> be like, what the crap? So Scarlet's like, well, it's just another day in the life of uh, Ace's school of piloting. Bang, pulls out the ejection seat. He fl- She flies, gung-ho flies, easy, right? So right. Flint, oh, I can't, my controls aren't responding. And, and then you actually see the canopy start to fill up with smoke. I'm like, well, this is kind of a, this is getting dangerous. I kind of like this, you know, just like right. what's going to happen. And he you know, kind of finds a way to crash land into this lake, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he, so he's, he doesn't, uh, they, and then, you know, gung ho is following and, and Scarlet's like, they're rushing to try and find Flint. And, but at that moment, uh, the sky striker starting to sink into the lake. He just pulls out his sidearm and shoots the canopy open and then hops out. <laughs> right. It's like, what the dude, why didn't you do this? Before you died of asphyxiation with the smoke filling your canopy. <laughs> like, and, and he has, I was like, well, maybe it's because his, you know, like your, your parachute's tied to the seat that you're in, right? So you right. eject the entire seat and the parachute's there. No, he's wearing a, a parachute. Like they took the time right. to animate a parachute on his back. Right. Dude, just shoot the canopy over <laughs> 10 minutes ago. Like, well, Ace didn't teach you that? 
Well, see up, see up in the sky, the glass would have shattered into his face, but down on the ground, it just it would shatter in his face. <laughs> anyway, I was just like, this whole sequence, jeez. Right. I get, and it made me regret the fact that uh, I lost my old notebook from four years ago when I was still doing these shows, oh, and yeah. I was keeping tally of how many sky strikers they had crashed. You remember? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I and I I'm pretty devoted over Christmas break to go back and rewatch these episodes and, and continue the tally because I'm okay. actually very curious about it because I worked out the amount of a an F14 Tomcat right. at the time of a 1985 F14 Tomcat <laughs> and how many of these did Joe is absolutely trash. Now we understand why the government shut down Joe at some point. <laughs> <laughs> like guys, this is ridiculous. Unless you can find some Egyptian hoard of cash, there's no way we're going to continue the program. Or if you could find someone else to train you on how to fly. <laughs> <laughs> Step one, fire ace. <laughs> okay, oh, we're going to hear we're going to hear so much from Jason Adams on this one. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, hey, <laughs> hey guys. <laughs> right. uh, so yeah, so smoke fills the fills the cockpit of Flint Sky Striker. He crashes into a swamp. Scarlet and Gung Ho uh, run to help. Their teammate, Flint, shoots the canopy of his plane and dives into the water of the swamp uh, before the Sky Striker explodes. Scarlet and Gung-Ho, who evidently did not see him do this, uh, right. arrive to watch... After, after right. it, well, as it explodes or whatever. Right. Gung-Ho tells Scarlet that they he thought Flint was going to escape and asks what they should do next. Uh, with a great sadness in her voice, she tells Gung-Ho we carry on. Uh, they turn to walk away, but a loud gasping noise is heard behind them. They turn around and watch Flint climb out of the water and ask, does anyone have an aspirin? And they're like, like they hold a two second memorial service for this guy. Right. Like they walk over like, well, well too bad for Flint. Then they just gotta, turn and walk off into the jungle. Got to carry on. <laughs> uh, the Joes immediately run for cover as three Crimson Guard and ferrets arrive, deciding that no one could have survived the plane crash. The Cobra agents leave. And Flint, Scarlet, and Gung Ho come to the realization that since they do not have a radio to call, an airstrike, and rescue party, they will have to attack Cobra's fortress by themselves. So this kind of this made me wonder too. Like, it's interesting that they have technology. I mean, it's it's nineteen eighty nineteen eighties you know futuristic technology. So it's right. like they can create a mass device, but they don't have a sat phone. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they, they don't. Have, they, they're still like dealing with like, are you carrying a, a backpack with a radio on it? Right. You know, from World War Two era <laughs> stuff. You know what I mean? Like there's right. not um all their money yeah. is going towards Sky Strikers, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> we have no time to invest in the R and D it would take to build a sat phone. If we have a satellite, the only thing it does is shoot giant beams of energy down to the ground right. <laughs> and we can't use it to bounce telephone signals off of, please. Nope. Nope. <laughs> Uh, much to his own surprise, Dr. Massey successfully creates three dinosaurs. Uh, meanwhile, the Joes continue to march through the island jungle, and this is the part that cracked me up. They're marching through the jungle. The jungle's not moving. They're just bouncing up and down. <laughs> <laughs> like, are they just standing in place, just hopping? Are yeah. they doing the pee-pee dance? That's like, what, that, what is going on with these that, guys? That's what it looks like. Well, is this, like, where, is this where, <laughs> is this where Gung-Ho was talking about his primal urges? Yes. <laughs> yes. That's exactly the point I'm getting to right now. So they listen to Gung Ho complain about not being able to satisfy some of his primal urges, such as food and sleep. That's not what I thought he was talking about. No, he goes, he goes, <laughs> no, I've got a few primal urges. 
And and then I thought he said, uh, and the the first I think he said the first R food and finding a place to sleep, right? Right. Uh, and but then I I, I thought he's like, I need to satisfy some primal urges, and the next ones are food and sleep. And I was like, wait, what? And I rewinded it. <laughs> Because I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And this is as they're just like bouncing in place, like next yes. to each other. I'm like, yes. uh. <laughs> I was so distracted by them bouncing in place that I almost didn't hear anything that they said. I was like, uh, someone needed to move the backdrop so it looked like they were going somewhere. I was like, are they on treadmills right now? What is going on? <laughs> uh, so. Oh, no. Yeah. He said, he said, uh, he's like, I got to fulfill some of my primal urges. And I thought he said the next two are food and shelter. Gotcha. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, wait. <laughs> so uh, Scarlet tries to lighten the mood by joking that the place uh, should remind Gung Ho of home. And he replies, it does. Now you know why I left. <laughs> the dinosaurs are placed in a tank of water. And after Cobra Commander orders the tank to be drained, he allows Destro his brief moment of glory by letting him activate a machine to brainwash the dinosaurs. Uh, Flint and the other Joes march through the jungle and find the Cobra base while Gung Ho's stomach growls loudly. Uh, he says, uh, if that isn't the luck of the Irish, uh, is what Scarlet says, and Flint states that he is not Irish and growls from base, uh, from the base are, are heard by the Joes. Let's just pretend it's the wind Scarlet half wishes. Uh, yeah. As Cobra Commander watches several Crimson Guard use guns that shoot electricity in order to direct the dinosaurs to, uh, to brainwashing, the brainwashing pit, he hears them shout, alright, you overgrown iguanas, let's move it. Cobra Commander turns to the Crimson Guard commanders and tells them, your Crimson Guards are either incredibly brave or incredibly stupid. I know which one I would guess. <laughs> well, I kind of took this as, like, Cobra Commander was a bit impressed, right? Yeah. With the Crimson yeah. Guards. And, and then I think, like, their response was just like, or do you have written down what they say? No, I don't. It was just like uh, they just have a interesting. Oh shoot, what was it? It was like um, he says that they're neither, but rather uh, uh, they are simply have an unusual idea of how to have a good time. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. So he kind of passes it off as they're just like you know carefree, like uh, play with danger kind of attitude. And I'm like, well, this is kind of an interesting like look into the Crimson Guard and what sets them yeah. apart from a regular Cobra Trooper or a Viper. Right. Because you know, it was always like, well, they're way or red, but really what sets them apart? You know, they work for the Crimson Twins. Yeah. They find stuff like this to be fun. So. Yeah, exactly. So uh, there's a couple things in this episode that point them out as a mercenary group as opposed to being, you know, like a very structured dreadnoks, right? right. Somebody right. That, that Cobra hires out to get something done as opposed to just being like a Cobra troop, trooper fanatic, you know, is there to support the cause, is, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Uh, and I thought that was interesting. Like, I thought that was an interesting insight that the Crimson Guard troops are definitely not Cobra Commander's troops. Yeah. And and he's still kind of learning about them in a way, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, once the minds of the creatures have been quieted by Destro's brainwashing machine, Destro informs Cobra Commander that they can now use the cybernetic control disc uh, to order the dinosaurs. Placing the disc near his head, Cobra Commander tells the reptiles to stifle themselves. <laughs> this was a dumb... This was just the dumbest. <laughs> right. Gosh. The Crimson Guards lower their guns and are surprised to see the dinosaurs become dead silent. <laughs> okay, look at that. Make it work. Yeah. 
Uh, as, I don't man. Yeah, the, this is again the jump the shark moment. <laughs> oh gosh, it was not two that, in a row. Not that dinosaurs weren't a jump the shark moment, but um, as the Joes approach the base, Flint hopes that Doctor Massey isn't the dinosaurs' first dinner. Uh, but after Scarlet points out that the doctor would only be an appetizer, Gung Ho grabs his stomach and asks the others to please stop talking about food. <laughs> I was like, they're talking about cannibalism, or they're talking about <laughs> cannibalism, but just right. like, but just like humans being eaten. Ter- He's like, yeah. mm. <laughs> like, why good. would that be appetizing? <laughs> you don't know what's in gumbo. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> the Joes trip a, a light sensor, and Destro tells Cobra Commander that Joes have survived. To the dismay of Dr. Uh, Massey, who tells Cobra Commander that he must feed the dinosaurs, Cobra Commander orders the reptiles to be released and tells <laughs> Dr. Massey, feed them. That's exactly what I plan to do. It's like this great like upshot where he's just laughing and he's yes. like so happy with himself. Like, yes, he gave me the perfect opening to say this line. Like, he was so proud of himself. <laughs> uh, the Joes watch uh, the doors at the bottom of the Cobra base swing open and they retreat as dinosaurs walk out. Flint takes a shot at one of the dinosaurs, but after the laser shots bounce off the creature, Flint and Scarlet dive for cover as a tree is smashed down by an angry dinosaur. Uh, Gung Ho tells the Joes that he will wrestle one of the smaller ones, which uh, looks like an alligator, but the Joes, uh, Joe, who wrestled gators in his youth, asks the teammates upon seeing the huge dinosaur, would you believe chameleons? <laughs> Bad joke. Sensitive. Oh, it was, it was, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, camera rises from the ground and Cobra Commander recognizes Gung Ho and then orders the dinosaurs to devour him. Gung Ho rejoins his teammates and Scarlet tells Flint, I thought dinosaurs were supposed to be stupid. Flint replies, they just don't make them like they used to. Scarlet spots the camera and after Gung Ho picks the camera off with a shot from his gun, Cobra Commander then tells the others that he will have to rely on the dinosaurs' instincts for food to destroy the Joes. Because, you know, you can't look out the window and see what's going on. Yeah, it's like, if I can't see where to tell him to go, I can't. <laughs> uh, Destro, who is unimpressed with the turn of events, suggests that using the instincts of the dinosaurs may help them learn uh, why they became instinct, uh, extinct. Uh, but Cobra Commander is not impressed with the play on words. Uh, Destro turns to a group of Crimson Guards who are drinking coffee and donuts and <laughs> tells them that they should be looking for the Joes. However, they respond that they will look after their coffee break. We're union, you know, one of them says. Destro yells to move it, and every Crimson Guard runs for the from the room, uh, saying, yes, sir, in fearful voices. So, like, like they talk back with a lot of sass. Yes. Uh, at the first time, he's like, hey, shouldn't you be doing something? Like, hey, man, we're on break. We got donuts and coffee. And he's like, <laughs> move it. They're like, yes, sir. And they just, like, run out. Like, it was like a complete 180. The second favorite, there was any pressure. My favorite thought on this, too, was what the hell kid knew what a union was back then? <laughs> I know. Yeah, that was like a weird line. Yeah. <laughs> but again, this was my other point, just to be like, you know, they were, Destro was intimidating, and they yeah. knew that he was like the boss. But right. at the same time, like, they they were just like, you know, hired soldiers. Yeah, mercenaries. Right. And yeah. like, they have a coffee break built They're into their, coffee break. Yeah. their union laws and all that. Right. Uh, Flint leads the Joes. Yeah, reunion. Flint leads the Joes to a cave, and the Crimson Guard arrives on Cobra Ferrets behind the dinosaurs who are pursuing the Joes. A small dinosaur enters the cave, which I don't know where that one came from. (laughs) Um, and attacks Flint. Him running up to the cave. This was another kind of weirdo animation drawing situation. Like, he starts out really large in the screen, and then gets like weirdly minuscule. 
<laughs> I, I thought he was actually a big dinosaur that was changing in size, like, right. you know, because that's not unheard of in a weird story like this. Right. Um, and then, like, he enters the cave. I was like, oh, so he's just like a velociraptor size or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And that was a, it was a weird animation transition. There. It was. It very much was. Uh, and he attacks Flint, uh, who tries to crawl away as Gung Ho and Scarlet shoot at the dinosaur. Flint, uh, right in the butt. Like, yes. Like, right in the pooper. <laughs> They're just he, like trying to shoot this dinosaur. He, he rips, uh, Flint's backpack off of him. Uh, Scarlet realizes that the reptiles are only after Joe's food packs, which evidently include giant chunks of meat. <laughs> like, what is that? <laughs> right. It's like a, it's like a pre-cooked ham, just like sitting in the back of his backpack. <laughs> it's like, why wasn't Gung Ho breaking that out earlier? Right, because he was so hungry before. Could have been gnawing on it. Just gnawing that huge pot roast that's been sitting in your backpack for the so last three hours. So she pierces her food pack, which, again, is a giant ham, uh, with an arrow, <laughs> and stands close to an opening of the cave and shoots the food pack towards the Crimson Guards, which evidently causes all the dinosaurs to turn around. <laughs> And go and that's after. not how arrows work. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> you can't just skewer like a five pound ham. And launch it from a and crossbow. And launch it from a crossbow. <laughs> uh, one of the Cobra agents picks the arrow up and comments that the weapon looks quite strange. Yeah, I would be weirded out by the fact that an arrow was carrying a giant ham. <laughs> hey, delivery. <laughs> He looks up and sees all the dinosaurs bearing down on him. Uh, the Crimson Guard retreat, and after the dinosaurs destroy the cobra ferrets and stingers, Flint finds some dynamite in the debris, because, you know, that's just yep. <laughs> st- standard issue. Just standard <laughs> issue for the cobra Crimson Guard. Uh, and tells the Joes they should come in real handy. Uh, as Destro explains that no mind control device can control the need for food, Cobra Commander threatens to feed both Destro and Dr. Massey to the reptiles. Uh, Flint orders Scarlet and Gung-Ho to rescue Dr. Massey while he prepares a welcome for Cobra with the explosives. Uh, firing a hook with a rope attached, Scarlet and Gung-Ho scale the side of the cliff, uh, burst into the Cobra uh, command room by breaking through the window, and kicks Cobra uh, commander to the ground. Uh, Dr. Massey yells for Gung-Ho to, to grab Cobra commander's command disc, but as soon as he jumps on top of Cobra commander and yells, Gimme! Scarlet calls Gung Ho's name uh, with a reminding tone that her voice uh, in her voice that the Joe uh, and the Joe looks up and sees that they are surrounded. Um, which just that just cracked me up because it was like get they were ordered to get them and all of them are carrying guns and no one shot a fu- shot one. Oh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I was like I wrote down like why are the crimson what well, two things why are the crimson guards so slow. Because yes. it was like, they cut back to Scarlet, then they cut the gun, they're, to the Crimson Guard, they're running. Yep. And then all they have to do is get across the room. And then they cut the gun, yep. go, they cut back to the Crimson Guard, so they're still running. Cut back to Scarlet. They have a conversation. Back to the Crimson Guard, still running. Like, like, what are they doing? And then on top of that, they're all carrying guns. Just shoot her. She has a crossbow that's not loaded. Yeah. Just shoot her. Yep, yeah. <laughs> or whatever. So they're all running. And then it cuts to Scarlet, and she does shoot the crossbow. Yep. She like loads or whatever, shoots it, but then it's weird again, a weird animation. Yep. You just hear an explosion and the camera shakes and all the Crimson Guards fall over. Yep. But like <laughs> what? <it>. Like <laughs> you see her shoot the crossbow, but you don't see what it hits. Yep. And then it cuts to the Crimson Guard, then they all fall over. I'm like, I just wrote like what happened? <laughs> 
So, wishing to demonstrate Gung Ho's stupidity, Cobra Commander challenges Gung Ho to explain what he would have told the dinosaurs if he had the control disc, since the fortress is impregnable. Gung Ho rubs the back of his neck and explains that he didn't plan on bringing the dinosaurs to the fortress, but did plan on bringing the fortress to the dinosaurs. Flint's dynamite explodes and the foundation of the base is rocked. Scarlet knocks her Crimson Guard captors aside, which I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, and grabs the disc and orders the reptiles to wreak havoc on the base. Uh, she basically tells them that there's food inside the base. Right. Uh, the disc is knocked out of her hand by the Crimson Guard, and Dr. Massey picks it up, uh, picks up the rolling disc and is told by Flint, who climbs through the window, to tell the dinosaurs there's food available in the base. Uh, Cobra Commander tackles Dr. Massey, and the disc flies out of the window and out of reach of everyone. Every Joe and Cobra stands horrified as they realize that no one can control the reptiles. Uh, the dinosaurs enter the base and begin to destroy everything in sight. Uh, they even find the, the, the commissary. Uh, <laughs> as a dinosaur enters the command room, Destro punches uh, a button on each of his metal gloves, which this was I was, this is the moment I was like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, I've never seen this before. I almost no. feel like it was like the animators didn't know what his little rockets right. on his gauntlet actually were, that they were like little missiles. Right. And they thought, oh, this is like a jetpack, a forearm jetpack. <laughs> or they didn't know how the hell they were going to get him out of there. So like, uh, we'll make him be able to fly using his rockets on his arms. And yeah. Oh, no, how are we going to get the Crimson Twins out? Oh, there's one for each leg. <laughs> They'll cram his legs. <laughs> oh, so. Is that a first? I don't, I don't think that's ever been shown before, certainly. No, no. He, no. He's shot his missiles before, right? Yes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But no, he's never flown with them before. <laughs> so the weird. Joes and Dr. Massey and Cobra Commander jump out the window and tumble down the hill uh, to escape the sharp jaws of the dinosaur. Uh, at the bottom of the hill, Flint asks if everyone is okay, and after learning that no one was hurt, he then orders Cobra Commander to jump with the Joes. Uh, unfortunately, Cobra's leader has escaped. Scarlet wonders what the Joes should do with the dinosaurs, and Dr. Massey uh, suggests that his investors would probably like to open a museum. If he had that's said what I thought they were going to say theme park. park. <laughs> yeah, if they had said theme park, that's it, Crichton, you're done. You watched this episode as a child. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, so... Uh, However, Flint interrupts and tells Dr. Massey that the investors can suck an ex- can suck eggs. Yeah, that was I remember I, that was like a saying back yes. in the 80s. Oh, it totally was. And uh and I just kind of forgot about that as a saying and I was right. like, "Oh yeah, that people said that." Like yep. it's such a weird thing to say. Yep. Uh since the Joes are leaving and Dr. Massey can stay, uh any questions Flint asks the doctor menacingly? Uh, yeah, Gung Ho says, where's the grub? Scarlet points out the crates of food which are being devoured by the dinosaurs and tells Gung Ho they'll have to share. However, Gung Ho's own primal urges for food, again, his primal urges, <laughs> for food urges. And I was like, bring this up again. Uh, urges him forward and he tells the dinosaurs, move over boys, I'm famished. Uh, yeah, no, I wouldn't try to share any meal with the dinosaurs. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> So I, I wrote like, uh, I just wrote as notes after the like stuff disappears a lot, like animation wise. (laughs) There was a one point where the dinosaurs were, I think when the Crimson Guard were like tasing them and getting them to move out into the jungle, the front row of dinosaurs just disappear. Yeah. And then like vanished. And then the second row kind of make it to the edge of the frame. And then there was another time when they break into the commissary and all the troopers are like, 
oh my gosh, get out, get the F out. They're like, oh yeah. my gosh. And then the tables they were sitting at just disappear. Disappear, yeah. <laughs> so weird. And uh, yeah, there's, and then there's a number of other just weird color changes like that weren't, weren't consistent throughout. It's like this, the animation job on this episode was really poor, yeah. like in general. So with the with the animation being done so poorly, with the ridiculousness of the concept, with just I actually put this one as a fudgy for me. Yeah, so I I put one and a half fudgies. <laughs> so uh, the only the only the, what gave it that half point was Deep Six cameo with the shark. Gotcha. gotcha. Uh, and we get a better shark episode later. Yes. But this uh, just the the idea like. The way to evade a rattler is like this is a like a, um like a dual environment vehicle. You know, that yeah. the shark can fly around and can submerge is what makes it unique. And yeah. that he didn't take on the rattler head on but just evaded, I thought that was really cool. Like that was I think was probably my favorite moment of the Yeah, oh for sure episode. But and it lasted two seconds. Yeah. Everything else is just a complete joke. It's so dumb. Yep. And I'm like, uh, this was like a field mission. Like, you got you got Flint, Scarlet, Gung Ho. I'm like, this should be an awesome episode. Right. And, and it I is like, not. And I like dinosaurs, but it just did not work for me. Ah, <laughs> uh, no, this is lame. Luckily, uh, they get better after this. Yes. So, uh, going into the next episode, we have uh, Flint's Vacation. <laughs> I wrote down Flint's Vacay. <laughs> Uh, I was already excited when I saw that Flint's name was actually in the episode. I know, so, yes. <laughs> so as a, uh, I love how this one opens up too. As a paperboy yawns and leaves for his morning delivery, a man is narrowly missed by a woman in a car as she backs out of her driveway. <laughs> oh my gosh, so close. Such a close call. <laughs> the man turns and numbly says, Mrs. to, uh, tells Mrs. Harris, have a good morning. <laughs> I know, it's like, dude, you about lost your legs. <laughs> right. Uh, then we go to the Joe base, uh, where you have Breaker tosses a dart at his Cobra Commander dartboard, uh, strikes the center of the board and shouts, Bullseye! Flint congratulates Breaker on his shot and tells Lady J and Footloose that he is ready to take his vacation. Grabbing Flint's arm, Lady J walks with googly eyes <laughs> to Flint's car and asks what his plans are for his days off. So do you mean that just because she had, like, crossed eyeballs? <laughs> no, because I mean, because she's... You could totally head over heels in love with them in this. Okay, in this yeah, episode. no, she was really like handsy. Oh in yeah, this episode. like yeah. she's she's all over him. But um, there's like maybe it's in the last. It was I think it was later in this episode. Yeah, when he's a bit brainwashed, he's yeah. got just full on cross eyes. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> so in this like this episode, the animation's better yep. in general. I mean, just more up to the standard of GI Joe. But there's a lot of crossed eyeballs in this episode. Especially. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> Uh, Flint explains that he's driving to the coast to visit his cousin's family who are living in an experimental housing project. Uh, see you later, Flint says, and Lady J leans off the, uh, two-door coupe and waves as Flint drives away. Okay, so he specifically says, like, time to go see how the real people live as he drives off in his sports car. <laughs> Still wearing his beret. So wait, he's not going to take that off. No. Did he sleep? Oh, only no. when he sleeps. Only when he sleeps is that beret off. But the second he wakes up, I think so, he does put his pants on first. And they show you. Yes. But then he puts the beret on. Yeah. And then he goes looking for people in the house. That's the, I mean, yeah, that was the part that cracked me up through this whole episode was he is constantly wearing the beret. <laughs> pants, shirt, beret. But nothing else breaks up the, right. the order. 
So Flint drives up to a house in Pleasant Cove, and a weatherman on television announces in a monotone voice that they will have a pleasant day tomorrow, fly, followed by another pleasant night. Then hands off the off the uh, everything to Bill, the anchor on the news show, uh, who which is also pleasant. <laughs> it's uh, Ratner's voice too, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, um, it's like you could tell, especially when it's a Flint episode, and you're prepared to be all. Flint all day, and then when he voices any other side yeah, character, you like, totally it's, it's pick up on it. that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the other thing too, Flint said he wasn't, he didn't call ahead, like he wasn't going to give him a heads up. He was just going to drop in. Right. Yep. I thought so that was ap- a bit weird too. Yeah. So after ringing the doorbell, Flint is welcomed inside by an unemotional cousin <laughs> Ted. Uh, his, fam- <laughs> his family's cracking me up. Yeah, his family answers all of Flint's friendly catching up questions in the same monotone voice as the television news team. Uh, the thing two- is, I've had these, I've had these awkward family conversations oh, yeah. before, like where you're trying to drive conversation and they're just not having it. Yeah, no, not at and all. And you're like, hey, hey, cousin Ted, and then they're like, look, it's your cousin Flint, which Hi, is not his Flint. real name. Yeah, that's, no, I know. that's that's the part that cracked me up too. I I didn't realize until the very end of the episode that they were referring to him as Flint, and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Yeah, or Cousin Flint. Like, it's a yeah. weird thing to say. Like, like, I don't call my cousins, like, Cousin right. so-and-so. But I'm like, that's not the name you knew him as his whole life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so weird. Well, but I do love, like, how they greet him at the door. Yes. <laughs> like, come in or whatever. Like, and he's, I, But the whole conversation like, well, how's school going? And they're just yeah. like, whatever. And then they decide to go to bed, and he's like, oh, it looks like you have them trained really well. Uh, and then uh, Ted and his wife decide to go to bed, and... Flint's like, okay, that's weird. And they're like, well, early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and and Flint goes boring. <laughs> I know, and he's like got googly eyes again there too. He's yeah. got like little cross eyes as it gives him yeah. this this funny expression. I'm like, this is so so bizarre. He's like, wow, I guess I should have called ahead. I'm like, yeah. Well, he comes in, he's like, so I just in the area, just passing through. Yeah. One of these days, like, Robert, okay. I'm just gonna show up because I'm just passing through. <laughs> You're like, hey, Robert, I'm like. Hi, Ryan. <laughs> and he'd be like, so how's it going? He'd be like, uh, everything's great. Yep. All right. So, man, I hope work's going well. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, well, I just thought I was in there. I thought I'd stay. If I could just crash on your couch, I'm going to leave first thing in the morning. You won't even know I'm here. Great. Great. I'm going to go to bed. <laughs> so Flint calls Lady J after she answers the phone, and Flint tells her that he's happy to hear her voice. Uh, and she says, I knew you'd miss me. Uh, Flint tells her the cousin was, uh, so, was, wasn't so happy to see him, went to bed 10 minutes after he arrived. <laughs> Lady, J, Lady J points out that it pays to, uh, it helps to call ahead. I know, yeah. Uh, so I, you know, this was actually one of my favorite parts of the episode. Yeah. And I mean, not as far as action or whatever. Sure. But just like character development. Character stuff. moment, yeah. Because like, so he calls her, you know what I mean? Like he calls yeah. her. Yeah. Uh, just to check in, like, hey, I'm here. This is like real life stuff. When you go on, you travel, you call your yeah. spouse, be like, hey, I got here, or whatever, yeah. you know. And yeah. uh, and she's like listening to him, but then also kind of giving him a bit of gruff, like, yeah. or whatever, just being like, yeah, you should have called. What the, totally what the heck are you thinking? Thing. Yeah. Yeah. I just, sure. I like that a lot. I did too. I did too. I think it, exactly for those reasons. So. Mm-hmm. Um, now running down the street, uh, uh, Flint's feet are uh, grabbed by snakes. However, he chops at the oh, snakes. Oh, gosh. Okay, yeah. So yeah. he starts dreaming, yeah. So he falls asleep yes. and he's dreaming, yeah. And at the time, we don't really know it's a dream. It's pretty obvious that it's a dream, but... Uh, yeah, it's a bit, It's a bit like, kooky. All of the... Everything is in this green, like, yes. monochromatic, uh, yep. just green tones. 
I was like, oh, he's got like green camo pants. And then yeah. I was like, oh, wait a minute. This is like a dream. And then like the perspective gets a little skewy and we kind of. <laughs> and we get like a tall Cobra commander and uh, he tells Flint that he cannot escape since he has uh, Joe in the palm of his hand. Then we see that he actually has Flint and the whole town in the palm of his hand. And he yeah, and you're like, it. oh, yeah, this is this is some bizarre dream. Well, I like is when the snakes first grab his legs and trip him. Yes. He karate chops the karate crap chop out of those yeah. snakes. He said, and it's like this sound effect that's just like, like that's that kung split. fu grip man it's like he's like what pow and he like kung fu karate chops this uh snake that just disappears into like video game bits yep. it's pretty cool and uh so he wakes up yelling uh and he realizes it was just a dream he looks out the window and notices the townspeople are all walking along the sidewalk in the middle of the night flint rushes uh to the bedrooms but not before he puts his pants in his in his beret on this is a weird, you could have just shown him like sit up in bed yeah. and then shown him like run out of the bedroom, like dressed. Right. Like they took frame time, like animation, storyboarding frame time to show him yeah. get out of the bed. He grabs his pants. Like, were they on the floor? Yes. And starts pulling his pants up, yep. takes the shirt, and then he runs out and he's got the beret on. I don't think yep. we see him put the beret on. No. Uh, he uh, rushes to the bedroom, sees that his cousin Ted and family are all gone. Uh, ducking behind a uh, bush, then catches sight of a Cobra agent. Flint follows the town's citizens to the dock and tries to signal Ted while behind Oh, sorry, crate. sorry. Real, yeah. real quick, to, to go back just a second. Yeah. He didn't even knock when he busted in on Ted's bedroom. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, that could have been a very awkward, like, hey, hey I'm just in the air. You don't know how I'll, his family I'll is. leave in the morning. I didn't bother <laughs> calling ahead, and I'm going to bust into your bedroom without knocking. <laughs> Hey, Flint, very, what the heck, dude? They're a very open family. <laughs> I guess. You're like, hey, guys. Uh, unfortunately, okay. no, you're good. So, unfortunately, a Cobra <laughs> agent sees Flint and begins to fire at him. Flint jumps over a wall and runs into the sheriff's office. Oh, no, uh, no, real quick. Again, yeah. sorry, sorry. I keep yeah. interrupting. But, no, you're like, good. Flint dives behind this huge metal crate, right? Right. Like, to get cover for this Cobra agent. Who and lasers him. just shoot right through the crate. See, it's like it's paper. Like, it. <laughs> There was nothing like I, I wrote down in my notes. Lasers cut right through his cover. Flint's dead. Like <laughs> these laser blasts come right out to the right of his head, just to yeah. the left of his head. And yeah. I'm like, I'm like that's the Flint's vacation. Yep. <laughs> and he just gets it right <laughs> through the head. He's done. And then like done the end. And there's like the end. Giacho. Like, <laughs> I was like, whoa. Anyway, okay, uh, sorry. So then he so, goes no, to the sheriff's so, office. So he goes to the sheriff's office, which I immediately thought, why would you go to the sheriff's office when you see all the town folk like leaving? <laughs> like, no, call GI Joe. Right. Do uh, where there's three deputies playing cards, and obviously we can already tell that they're the, yeah. the dreadnoks. Flint tells the sheriff that Cobra's kidnapped the townspeople and asks if he can use the sheriff's phone, but the sheriff tells uh, his deputies that they have uh, a loon in their midst. Flint looks at the deputies and recognizes them as Torch, Buzzer, and Ripper, uh, who then collectively are known as the Dreadnoughts. The sheriff then rips off his mask and uniform and reveals himself as Zartan, which he must have had some padding in there because he was a big, fat sheriff. He was like a big dude. He like <laughs> just rips off this fat suit right, and then just starts flexing his pecs. Did you see that? Yes. So he, he like he stands up real tall, and his pecs just inflate. It was insane. <laughs> And I don't know how he always disguises that reverberating voice of his. <laughs> yeah, because the second he takes, well, you know, I don't know, maybe it's like a Mission Impossible right. you know, face-altering thing. But as soon as it's Zartan, he's got like this uh, you know, mechanical yeah. overtone or whatever. 
So Flint kicks and punches his way past Cobra, the Cobra's mercenaries, which I thought that was awesome. That was a very cool scene. I yeah. like that. Yeah. And uh, Joe smashes through the window and drives away in his convertible, which just happens to be there. Uh, the Dreadnoughts fail to trap Flint a uh, four-way intersection and instead crash into one another because he does this papa wheelie on the side. <laughs> yeah, that was some sweet driving. Right. I was uh, like, There's, there is some interesting skills. Like, um, yeah, I don't know how much thought. They probably didn't put any thought into this. But, no. like, we, we revealed uh, Lady J can read Egyptian hieroglyphics and do other things we'll talk about in a later episode. Right. And Flint is like a stun driver. Yeah. And so I'm just kind of like, you know, that's an interesting skill. I mean, I'm sure it's just for the plot of the show. It's yep. just a throwaway little thing. It's the fact that he can also fly a sky striker. But, yep. um, you know, I don't know. It was just interesting. Uh, you know, it's a throwaway scene. I get that. And I'm looking yep. too much into it. But at the same time, I was like, well, okay, well, let's like chalk that up to a little bit of, you know, Flint's skill set, right? Yeah. To the fact yep. that he could, that he's comfortable with the vehicle. I think that's yep. really interesting. No, I thought it was awesome. Uh, so driving on a road paved uh, near a winding cliff, Flint is pursued by two Fang helicopters. He pushes a button on his dashboard, uh, a, a door drops open, and Flint grabs a gun inside, shoots down a Fang, which I was impressed by that. With a handgun? <laughs> With a handgun. <laughs> but like, yet, okay. these, yet these Fangs can plow through a window. <laughs> they should have uh, invested more in the armor of the... Right. However, the second Fang shoots the back of Flint's car, and he's now <laughs> driving a flickering, flaming vehicle. <laughs> it's not the first time. I mean, he, he, yeah. it's not a sky striker in midair. <laughs> right. He's used to fly to drive, drive, you know, piloting vehicles on fire. On fire, yeah, he's good with that. Uh, Flint loses control of the car and drives through the guardrail and over the edge of the cliff. Uh, but he jumps out and grabs a branch sticking out on the side of the cliff. <laughs> I would have liked that he just goes over the cliff. G.I. Joe. Like, that's it. The second time. Episode's done. <laughs> he just goes off the cliff, and, and then the Joe sign comes up. Yeah. End, of, end of episode. End of episode. <laughs> uh, we watch his car plunge into the water, believing the intruder has been killed. The fang flies away, and Flint begins the long uh, climb to the top, but Zartan is waiting with a gun in hand, and Cobra agents at his side. Uh, tragedy about your car, he tells Flint. I was looking forward to confiscating it. Flint raises his hands over his head and tells Zartan that he will, uh, would not have wanted his car since it needed a tune-up. Uh-huh. That was a weird thing to say. You should have just told him to go suck an egg. It <laughs> <laughs> was a weird thing to say. <laughs> Inside an underwater base and standing on a platform and overlooking a garden uh, composed of brown plants, the Baroness tells Cobra Commander that he needs to, he has quite the green thumb. Cobra Commander turns to her and says, Your sarcasm is irritating, Baroness. Uh, Zartan radios Cobra Commander via wristwatch communicator, and he tells him that he has a new recruit. Cobra Commander angrily tells Zartan that Major Blood handles recruiting, but Zartan I thought, adds... I thought that was interesting, too. Yes. That's a nice little uh, depiction of like what their roles are and everything. Uh-huh. Yeah, because like, you have this Cobra Command, like this Trinity we talked about. Yeah. And I'm like, well, where does Major Blood fit in? Where does, you know, we've talked about like Firefly and yep. the Dreadnoughts and the uh, the Crimson Twins as being like mercenary type things. But like, I, I see kind of Major Blood as part of the organization. Yeah. Right? You know, part yeah. of the hierarchy, but not uh, at the same level as a Destro or a Baronet. Right. I'm right. like, oh, he's in charge of recruitment and right. uh, getting the troops in line. So he's maybe more right, direct in line with the troops. Yeah. Like, I like that a lot. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned Firefly. 
I believe that's why every single one of these episodes Cobra loses because Firefly is nowhere to be seen. He is not in a single one of these. Yeah. <laughs> um, Zartan adds that his recruit's name is Flint and Cobra Commander is extremely happy since Flint is such a hard worker. Uh, Zartan's submarine docks and he leads Flint out so that Cobra Commander can escort Flint to a jeep and show him around Cobra Incorporated a business where the employees are allowed to sleep only if they are re- work really hard. Flint calls out for t- uh, for Ted while they are driving. However, Ted continues to dig, and Cobra Commander tells Flint, now there's a man absorbed in his work. Uh, the Jeep stops near... This is near, such a weird sequence. It, it's very weird. The Jeep stops near Major Blood, who tells Flint that he will change his mind after he sees the training video. Uh, on a screen inside the Jeep, a uh, news anchor explains that Pleasant Cove fireman Dan Jenkins risked his life to save a cat, Fluffy, from the tree. And as Flint's pupils begin to shrink, Cobra Commander hisses, yes. <laughs> like, this is a weird transition that we were, like, having this kind of drive, get out of town, everybody's acting like zombies. Right. Boom, we're in an underwater base that, you know, like, Which, it's like, wait, what? And couldn't Flint, like assume that they're going to try to brainwash him and just like close his eyes and go la 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 la. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like obviously people are getting some kind of, yeah. Like uh, you would think as a, a special forces, you know, type right. soldier, he would be wary of that. But he would know, the other yeah. thing, well, so this also, wait, so we've seen the submarine at this point, right? Yes. I did like the submarine design. Yes. And it made me wonder why they'd never built a Cobra submarine toy. That's very true. I don't know. Because it shows up quite a bit of times throughout the series, but it's a different design almost every single time also. Every single time, yeah. So that, could, <clears throat> so I, that could play into it, yeah. I think, you know, it's... I don't think when people were drawing this episode, they were referencing previous episodes besides the character. So right. I think there's a lot of things that were designed for the sake of the episode, like this vehicle or this location. And yeah, unless it was like, part of the character Bible, like a character turnaround or the... um the you know headquarters base yeah it wasn't like there was vehicle bibles like okay this this vehicle now made this introduction at this point like unless it was a toy already yeah if it was a toy it definitely would have yeah but things like the throwaway extra little uh tanks or uh, especially cobra vehicles it seemed like yeah so uh standing next to Lady J and Footloose, uh Breaker yells at Barbecue, Airtight, and Quick Kick to come over and watch television since Cobra Commander is on the air. Cobra Commander addresses the nation of the world and threatens that unless the world surrenders to him, he will destroy all the world's vegetation with a rocket. Uh oh, this was uh was it here? Yeah. I said this was very G.I. Joe Resolute. Oh yeah. With uh, Cobra Commander. It's almost the exact same speech. Yeah. And uh, and it has a very similar timbre and tone of voice. And I was like, oh, man, this is amazing. And he even does a demonstration yes. where he blows up a thing. But it's like it's a very unpopulated you know, area. Right. And he's like, I'm going to destroy, yeah. you know, like your food source and your, you know, whatever. This is what I can do to you guys. Uh, but in Georgia Resolute, he just wipes out Moscow. Right. Uh, that's the difference. But yeah. I was like, eh. Yeah, I think this scene could have been very directly referenced from the G.I. Joe Resolute, because it's almost word for word. It could. It very well could. Yeah. Um, so as he demonstrates the weapon's destructive power on the wilderness area, the lush forest is decimated and turned into ash and sand. Uh, just think of your backyard, uh, what your backyard what might look like uh, that, that tomorrow, Cobra Commander adds, uh, before the camera shuts off. 
Uh, Flint walks behind Cobra Commander. Uh, Lady J recognizes him and exclaims that Cobra has Flint doing slave labor. Footloose says, man, doesn't that sound, doesn't sound like much of a vacation. Uh, Lady J picks up a phone and orders a carrier command to be alerted. She hangs up and tells the Joes that Flint traveled to Pleasant Cove, so Cobra's base is likely to be near. Breaker suggests that they drop in, and he and Lady J parachute from a Sky Striker and land near the house of Flint's cousin. Oh, so this was, uh, yeah, Cobra Commander, like, says, like, in my, from my underwater base, like, yeah. That was dumb. That was dumb. <laughs> like, does he not run his speeches by anybody? <laughs> and I think is, if he's writing his own speeches, then this is very telling of his intelligence level because he just completely gives away. Like, there's no way that he would have known the Joes knew that Flint was vacationing in Pleasant Cove or whatever. Right. But why even say you're in an underwater base? If Like, if, up to that point, they had zero idea where this was at. If Cobra, if Twitter existed back then, Cobra Commander just wouldn't tweeting everything, every secret out, like, <laughs> to brag about it. <laughs> uh, Breaker pops his gum while they uh, peep into uh, Ted's house and Lady J tells Breaker to stop making so much noise however Breaker says that no one will probably hear them since the people look zomb- zombieized uh, while in front of the TV uh, Breaker then hears a hum sees a pair of satellite dishes on a hill and tells Lady J that the dishes should be aimed to the sky not at the town which I thought that was pretty cool to show his expertise yeah uh, the two Joes climb to the top of the hill, knock out two Cobra agents, and break inside. Uh, <laughs> this is this is my line of the show, where he's like, over and out. <laughs> and he like punches the screen all He-Man style. Yes. I thought that was pretty sweet. That was cool. Uh, Breaker hands Lady J a set of headphones and tells her that he wants to show her something uh, but not hear it. He plays the nightly news and then shows Lady J every 20th frame in the broadcast, and the two Joes see Cobra Commander who tells the viewers to go to bed early since they will need to report to the docks at midnight using subliminal message uh, suggestion to control the town. Lady J orders Breaker to figure out a way to reverse the process, and she runs out of the station to see if she can uh, rescue Flint. Uh, while at the docks, Lady J radios the USS flag and tells Barbecue to, to bring the ship and that she is going to try and sneak inside Cobra's base. Deep six. Again, why is Barbecue doing that? I don't know. Because <laughs> uh, because it was either him or Bazooka. <laughs> uh, Deep Six hands Breaker's dartboard to Ace, and then Ace boards a Sky Striker and flies away. Meanwhile, Quick Kick, Shipwreck, Polly, Airtight, and Barbecue. Yeah. So I, w- I want to ask, what were you honestly thinking the moment you saw Ace get in that Sky Striker? <laughs> He's not gonna make it. <laughs> <laughs> no. There, well, he'll he'll come back just fine. Right. Minus one sky striker. <laughs> there goes another one. <laughs> so, meanwhile, quick kick, shipwreck, poly, airtight, and barbecue uh, coast along the ocean waters on a whale and try to find the Cobra base, but a Cobra Moray with Zartan and Dreadnoughts intercept uh, and attacks the Joe with a This is like, we went from having just like a random vehicle appearance to like this. It, it, this episode just vomits awesome vehicles yes. over and over and over. Like, this is so great. Yeah. Oh, man, it's so great. So anyway. But and then every single one of them gets blown up. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, it's kind of like the bigger fish eats the smaller fish. Yes. Eats the smaller fish. Like, it cracks me up. It, yeah, it just kept happening. So Shipwreck tells Cutter to, to use the vertical thrusters, which is that, that just cracked me up. And the whale rises above the water, and the torpedoes fly under the Joe's hovercraft. The yeah, dock, that is impossible. Yeah. 
Exactly. <laughs> the docks are damaged by the torpedo. It's just like uh, the same guy that decided to use uh, Destro's rocket wrists to fly <laughs> came up with this idea for the whale. It's like that or like the whale. Oh, when year did the whale come out? Oh, I don't even know. I can maybe look it up while we're chatting. Yeah. But so okay. I think um, uh, because I, I don't know. Have we seen the whale before? Oh, yeah, episode? we've seen the whale. Yeah. Okay, definitely. so it must have come out earlier that year. But yeah. to me, if I was playing like in my backyard or had these vehicles out in the bathtub or something because I wanted to put them in the water, right? Yeah. And if I play acted that a torpedo was about to hit the whale, that's something I would do as an eight-year-old kid. Oh, I would just yeah. lift the whale up, the torpedo totally. goes under, and the whale goes back down. Right. And I think that's the guy who's writing this episode is like, uh, let's just say he can fly. Right. <laughs> it's like so, oh, because why not <laughs> yeah exactly so the docks are damaged by the torpedoes and the uh the joes destroy the moray in their counterattack. as they shout and congratulate themselves the whale is struck from behind by a cobra water moccasin which has the baroness and the uh in the gun turret <laughs> and major blood in the driver's seat but the water moccasin is also hit from behind and is destroyed by a cobra <laughs> submarine which <laughs> avoids the angry baroness and uh and proceeds towards the Joes. Shipwreck orders the missiles on the hovercraft to be armed, but the hatch on the submarine pops open, and Lady J yells to her teammates that she borrowed the sub from Cobra. <laughs> hey, I found this. this, this just laying around. Just laying around. And then nobody picks up the Baroness. No. Nope. They all just take off. Baroness, middle of the ocean, dies. G.I. Yeah. Joe. <laughs> You keep wanting so, to end these episodes. <laughs> <laughs> this this episode, like, so there's so many deaths. That's amazing. Yes, yep. So uh, our favorite person, Bazooka, sh- parachutes to the television station, transmitting the subliminal message messages, uh, and meets Breaker outside, realizing that he forgot the darts for the dartboard. Uh. <laughs> Shipwreck receives uh, docking instructions, and after the Joes climb out of the sub, Lady J orders Tripwire to disarm the missile, while the other Joes and herself will rescue the townspeople. Uh, they run out and whisper together, Yo, Joe. Cobra Commander sees the Joes on a monitor and orders the citizens of Pleasant Cove to defend the city at all costs while on the monitors uh, around the city. The uh, the Joes arrive at the crossroads and are surrounded by the townspeople. Lady J tells the Joes not to harm the people. Shoving the people back from, uh, from them, the Joes try to defend themselves. Flint arrives and tries to choke Tripwire. But Tripwire breaks free and runs off to disarm the missile. Uh, Barbecue tells Lady J to follow Flint and try to stop him. And that when Flint is like chasing him with his arms out, and he looks all like Frankenstein zombie, he's like chasing him. Yes. I just wrote down like zombie Flint is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like he moved around so dumb. It's just like it's awesome. So as the Baroness and Zartan argue over who is to blame for the Joes appearing in the city, Cobra Commander screams at them to be silent since uh, he is watching uh, something very interesting, a brainwashed Flint attacking Lady J. Uh, while the Joes are inside an airlock, Cobra Commander orders Flint to close the door to the city and open the sea door. Uh, inside the television station, Bazooka looks at the dartboard, which is on television, and tells Breaker that he doesn't understand what is, go- what is going on. Which, <laughs> duh. <laughs> and then Alpine shows up, and he's like, uh, Bazooka, you weren't supposed to leave. I didn't know you were gone. I go to the bathroom for ten minutes. And now you're taking dartboards and <laughs> parachuting out of Sky Strikers. Uh, and, uh, which I don't even understand how that works. <laughs> How do you parachute out of a sky strike? <laughs> I 
think we've seen this before where like, yeah. it, remember when the pets were flying them? Yes. And so I think there's like an <laughs> autopilot. I think Which is not a statement. You, that's not a statement that should ever be said. <laughs> the pets <laughs> were flying the Sky Striker. Well, wasn't it like Junkyard yes. and, yeah. was oh, yeah. and the parrot was flying <laughs> yeah. a yeah. Sky Striker together? And timber and all of them, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, Breaker hopes uh, that Cobra Commander won't, uh, won't know either. Tripwire examines the missile's, uh, wiring system and realizes that if he touches the missile, it will launch immediately and that he has 10 minutes to figure out what to do. Uh, Cobra Commander watches the Joe's attack, uh, attacked by the citizens and before Flint turns the door handle, he grabs his head in pain. The Pleasant Cove townspeople run off to the sub and climb aboard while Lady J hugs a confused Flint and shouts at him, Flint, you're back. Uh, Destro informs Cobra Commander that someone must be interfering with the subliminal transmissions on television, and while the picture of Cobra Commander from Breaker's dartboard is on the airwaves, Cobra Commander asks, who is that fool on TV? Bazooka removes the dartboard from the screen and sticks his tongue out at Cobra Commander. <laughs> While he, uh, uh, while Breaker yells, ignore this, Cobra Commander, he's a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> this Ugh. is just like, this is Bazooka without his uh, parental supervision. <laughs> right. I mean, this is like, like Bazooka on the loose. Right. So, enraged beyond measure, Cobra Commander shoots the screen and then turns to face the Joes who enter the room, uh, armed, and Flint tells Cobra Commander that he is finished, but the rocket launches and Cobra Commander declares himself the victor. Tripwire uh, runs into the room and tells the Joes that he was, wasn't was able to deactivate the rocket. Cobra Commander insults Tripwire by calling him incompetent and also tells uh, him that the world will now pay for, pay the price. However, Tripwire replies, not really, I rerouted it. It's headed straight, uh, straight to outer space. Uh, Cobra Commander pushes a button and the Cobra Elite descend on a platform and es- uh, escape while the pla- explosions begin to tear the base apart, which at this point... Is exactly what I was thinking that you've been saying through the whole episode, which is G.I. Joe. Yeah, how do we get that in? Because yeah, they're, they're the flooding waters coming in. Yeah. Um, uh, as the water floods the city, the Joes sprint back to the Cobra submarine and escape. While the Cobra city begins to fall to pieces, Flint tells Cutter, Barbecue, Shipwreck, Polly, Quick Kick, and Lady J that even though the sub is small, he loves the speed. Uh, with the two Awestrikers parked in front of his house, Ted asks uh, Flint if he thinks Cobra is gone for good, but Flint tells his cousin that it's not likely and adds that the only thing that is gone for good is his car and his vacation. Lady J then tells Flint that Colonel Sharp has offered Flint uh, another two weeks of vacation, and Ted tell- tells Flint that he'd love to have Flint hang out for a while, but Flint replies, I want to get back on duty where I can get some peace and quiet, and Ted and his... Uh, his wife Flint and Lady J burst out laughing because that's what so, she did. <laughs> I thought it's like I sat there and he he has a little bit of a pause. He goes, yeah. "I want to get back to duty," and then I was kind of, and he just finishes it where people don't suck, and then just like leaves <laughs> where they don't suck. <laughs> like, like his family are the worst. Oh, so there's um there was another shipwreck was in this too, like kind of briefly. Yes. He wasn't in too much of it, but uh he had a quote too. I think when they were about to get blown up by one of the rockets that was hitting the multiple vehicles. Yeah. And he said, we're going to be kissing Carl. Do you remember oh, that? Oh, yeah. What was, was that? Supposed, it was supposed to be Coral. Um, oh, Coral. Yeah. 
But yeah, but he he said I'm so Carl. used to hearing I'm so used to hearing Rick Grimes say <laughs> Coral. 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 <laughs> okay, that's what okay, that makes a little bit more sense. Um right. so how do you rank this episode? Uh oh real quick before you get to that. So the yeah. whale came out in nineteen eighty four, so that would have okay. came out the year before, which makes sense that it appeared in previous episodes, sure. but the Moray came out in eighty five. Okay. And the moccasin first came out in eighty six. So I think that they must have had designs for the moccasin yeah. when this episode came out. This came out late. This episode, these episodes came out in November, uh, late November, and I think even into early December of '85. And I feel like so, we've seen the water moccasin quite a few times before, also. Yeah, so I'm kind of curious about that. Like, um, they maybe, could have just had the designs, and or they could have drawn it for the cartoon and then said, "Hey, let's make a toy out of it." So I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, uh, okay, so I gave this one a, uh, a Cobra Command. I gave it a three out of five. So did I. Um, so I wanted to give it more because it was Flint, but half the time Flint's like dumb. Right. Uh, just like, like he's acting silly. He's not really in uniform. He's brainwashed for a good portion of it. Um, the, what, the parts that I really loved was his his interaction with Lady J. Yeah. Uh, the amount of cameos, the unnecessary cameos. Was pretty cool. It was actually pretty good because yeah. it felt like the G.I. Joe were a group. There's plenty of people at the base, like with Breaker and all these guys hanging right. around. And then later on, people just start showing up left and right. Like we had, you know, Quick Kick is in there for a bit and Bazooka makes a weird appearance. And uh, like I said, Shipwreck was there for a bit. Um, and then of course all the vehicles, like I said, it was just like an explosion of vehicles, literally, yeah. uh, like over and over and over. Um, yeah, I just thought it was interesting. Um, but you know, like it wasn't like the best plot. It was just kind of like another yeah. brainwashing plot. It was a right. weird kind of throwaway thing with Flint being on vacation. Like, I don't know. So I, but I liked some of the other throw-ins like major blood being a charge of recruitment. We talked about. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Was there anything else that really kind of? Nothing else really stood out. I mean, there were like I I thought it was really cool uh, when Flint like broke away and was like being chased and all like the whole chase scenes I thought were really cool when he and then we mm-hmm. took on all the dreadnoughts and stuff. Oh, like that, that was, was a really awesome. good scene. Yeah. yeah, that was like a, just an awesome action scene like you could see yeah. from a movie or something. That was really yeah. Cool. Yep. All right. Uh, you ready for the next one? Yeah. It's going to be a late night. <laughs> Sorry, I always bring up all these tangents and I throw you off. No, there. you're good. No, we need to go on these tangents. So <laughs> I'm, I'm still going strong. I'm good. Okay. Cool. So uh, Cobra attacks. Uh, so this is uh, Hearts and Cannons. So we have uh, Cobra attacks a village in a uh, desert at night. And as a Cobra Fang ends uh, the attack by firing the last of its missiles. Major Blood orders the 140 villagers to be taken to, to Destro while the truck cart, uh, carts away Cobra's prisoners. A lone figure on a cliff watches the truck and swears, uh, by his oath as a warrior that he will have his vengeance against the snake warriors. So what I got from this scene was I would love to have a custom Cobra troop carrier truck. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like those blue trucks with like the canvas on the back. It was like an APC, right? Yeah. Um, but like blue with the Cobra symbol. I was like, that is awesome. Why didn't they make that? 
Like that would have been that would have been cool. It, like it they made a, they made the Joe one, but yeah, it would have been easy to do. It was just a repaint. It would have been cool. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Wild Bill pilots a transport plane across a desert in the middle of a thunderstorm and asks Footloose, uh, who is in the back of the plane with the mauler, if the Joe's tank is secure. Uh, Footloose tells Wild Bill that the tank is totally secure. And then the two... It's totally two secure, the, man. Totally secure. Then two of the planes... <laughs> Footloose is quintessential 80s, like in his name, in his attitude. Everything. He's like... He's like uh, Keanu Reeves from Point Break. Oh, totally. He's yeah. just like, <laughs> he's like, oh man, it's totally rad. We got this. Uh, the two of the plane's engines get struck by lightning, which I was like, wow, that's the hell of a coincidence. I got struck <laughs> once, right? And then <laughs> right. as it's going down, it gets struck again. I'm like, jeez. <laughs> the plane dives and cover girl, Dusty and Footloose watches. Equipment is dumped into the desert uh, so that Wild Bill can pull up. Unfortunately, Wild Bill tells the Joes that they are 400 pounds too heavy. So Dusty throws a parachute at Footloose, and the two jump off the plane against CoverGirl's protests. Uh, as the two Joes float to the ground, uh, Dusty tells Footloose that CoverGirl must like him, but Footloose remains unconvinced and tells his teammate, I think you're deeply deluded, man. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I was kind of like, is this, like, was this the beginnings of, like, a Dusty-CoverGirl relationship? Yeah. And as the episode goes on, I was like, no, it's just Dusty being a horn dog. <laughs> I, well, I also, yeah, right. I also wondered, like, is this where uh, our buddy Eric Grubb uh, got his fascination with CoverGirl and Dusty being? Yeah, like, as a thing. Yeah, like an right. item. And I was like, yeah. yeah, it might be. And But then Dusty's, like, hitting on every, Everything. Yeah. every woman in the episode over and over and over. He, he hit on a scorpion, too, so, I mean. <laughs> so anything waking, that moves, like Dusty's right. like, hey, what's up? How you doing? <laughs> right. Waking up from a really weird dream, Footloose catches sight of a scorpion mere uh, inches away from him and softly calls out for Dusty's help. Dusty distracts the scorpion and the two quickly dive to the uh, ground as shots from a weapon uh, race over their heads. Under the scorching desert sun, Destro watches an experimental plasma cannon quickly destroy several targets. Uh, Footloose and Dusty watch the show while partially behind uh, Dune, and Dusty tells his teammate that he thinks that they have found the base that Flint was looking for earlier. Uh, Destro is impressed with the performance of the tank against immobile targets and orders a Cobra agent to activate uh, robot fire bats, and the Cobra planes are destroyed as well. As Major Blood climbs out of the tank, Destro congratulates Dr. Winters and tells her that the tank has performed beyond his expectations. Um, however, Dr. Winters tells Destro that he now has, uh, has what he wants and she wants her freedom. Uh, Destro says in due time, my dear, and he orders the two Crimson Guards to take her to her room. Uh, infuriated that Destro has reneged on his, uh, word, Dr. Winters, uh, knocks the guards down and storms <laughs> forward and punches Destro's like so steel easy. mask. Yeah. Like, like so, so easy. Yeah. She just kind of wiggled a little bit. Yeah. And it never dawns on her either that his mask is made of metal and it's probably going to hurt her fist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, you're kind of like, oh, she's got, you know, like some attitude. She can take care of herself, I guess. Right. Like, or these are just the two worst Crimson Guards. <laughs> like, I, I'm like, come on. It's like two full-size grown right. men. And I'm like, look, there's some strong, powerful women out there that can take care of themselves. Like, I get right. that. Yeah. But, like, you're being restrained. Right. By two right. armed men that right. outweigh you. Right. And she just kind of wiggles a bit and kind of, and, I don't know if she strikes not, them or they just fall like, over. Yeah, it's not like she's, she, it's not like she's Scarlet or somebody that has like training. Yeah, she's a scientist. Right. So. Uh, 
so after the two Crimson Guards drag her away, Dusty and Footloose examine uh, the base at night from far, seeing that the many guards and barbed wire fences, Footloose jokes, Destro must be slipping. There are at least half an inch of fence unguarded. He catches uh, sight of a Cobra Stinger and tells Dusty that they can hitch a ride. Footloose stretches uh, out on the road and waves down the Stinger. The driver stops, gets out, and points a gun at Footloose, telling him that the Joe will help him earn points with Destro. However, Dusty climbs out of the sand behind the Cobra and tells him that he's likely to receive demerits. Which I thought so that I thought was the, cool. The moment was cool. It was yeah. like a lame line. I'm like, come on. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I thought it, I thought the the moment was cool with him showing that he like camouflaged himself in in the uh, and then coming out of that and everything. I'm like, this really is cool. a really great episode for Dusty. Like, yeah. obviously in the environment that suits his skill set, but we yeah. see multiple times like him putting his goggles on or him you know camouflaging with the sand. I'm like, ah, uh, like I would yeah. love scenes like this instead of just having a rando barbecue show up or air yes. show up, you know, like yeah. having them be there for a reason. This was yep. perfect. Yep. And I thought Footloose worked really well too. So yeah, I, I like, I like them teaming up and yep. their repertoire between each other was really great. Yeah. Uh, so th- don't they tie up this soldier dude? So, uh, no, they're, so they're, well, yeah, later on they do. So sitting in the back of the seat of the stinger, Footloose places a gun against the driver's head, urges him to place his hand in the security scanner, uh, which <laughs> surprisingly has Cobra commander's voice. Um, I know. I was like, when does when, I, I did think this? Like, when does Cobra Man take the time to do the recording <laughs> for all of like the the hand recognition right. or the identity identity recognition software? Exactly. And I'm, I was just like, like uh, Cobra Commander, when you've got a, I've got you free at five o'clock. If you could do a quick, you know, just recording quick, for me. Yeah, and he's we like, got oh, quick again. Yeah, we got quick scripting. We need you to read. So funny. So uh, that's then. This is when they ta- uh, toss the tied up guard out of the jeep onto the ground while they're driving uh, to Doctor Winter's room. Uh, and crying over her predicament, Doctor Winter's watches Dusty enter the room and announces, "Just think of me as your hero." But Fulus also enters the room through the window, shoves Dusty out of the way, and tells her to throw some casual clothes uh, on since she is uh, like getting rescued. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, a Cobra guard pounds on the door and tells her that it's time to turn out the lights, but when the uh, the light to her room remains on, uh, he bursts into the room and is knocked out with a punch from Dusty. The guard slams against an alarm on the wall, which just conveniently happens to just be there. Just happened to be there, yeah. <laughs> As uh, Footloose jumps out of the window with Dr. Winters in tow, more guards appear and attack Dusty. He throws a grenade, leaps out the window, grabs a drain pipe, and falls onto the stinger. Footloose asks uh, what kept Dusty and drives off. Uh, inside the stinger, Nancy Winter introduces herself to Footloose as Dr. Winters, and Footloose replies, Right, and I'm Dr. Footloose, and that's Dusty up there. He's just an intern. I actually <laughs> like I actually liked that line. That one cracked yeah. me up. <laughs> I did, yeah, I liked that he called Dusty an intern. And there's just yeah. a little bit of like I got I definitely got it more like Dusty was trying to like hit on her yeah. and make it a thing and but and Footless was way less overt about it, but I think this was a little bit of him kind of edging in on the on the lady. Yeah. Um, the and, be, and between okay. the two, I and between the two, I think that she liked Footloose more. Yeah, I think so too. I think yeah. Dusty was just coming off too much like character. Right. So the I like this kind of getaway sequence. I thought that was I remember yeah. liking it, except for the dumb like he knocked him into the alarm. I thought that was right. too convenient, but. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, I just made, I forget why I wrote this down. I just said that the Cobra soldier who was tied up, like, just gives up. Yeah. Like, was he a Crimson Guard too, or was he a Cobra soldier? I forget. I think he was just a Cobra soldier. Yeah. So I wrote that. So I'm just, I just have, uh, there's such varying levels of the quality of soldiers here. Like the Crimson Guards and the Cobra soldiers, like sometimes they come off of just being like really pretty awesome and amazing yeah. and capable. And then other times it's just ridiculous how they're just fodder. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And, and not loyal, at, you know, at all, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So now we get uh, his tank cut, uh, tank cuts them off and Footloose swerves out of the way. Dusty fires a missile at the his tank and destroys it while Destro is told by Major Blood that Dr. Winters has escaped. Destro activates the oh, wait, automatic defenses. So yeah. When this his tank blows up, did you see what happened to the driver? No. So he, he's, so he shoots the his tank, and I remember being like, "What's that?" And I rewound, rewound it, and watched it again. The driver like blows up out of the explosion and lands on top of a roof. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, and then and like, and you're like, "What?" Like it's so weird because they had to show him so that you didn't think right. he died, right? Right, right. But he he gets launched like forty feet in the air and just lands on a building roof. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh my god, that was interesting. That's great. So Destro activates the automatic defenses and the Joes evade the shots from the can- uh, from the cannon. Uh, more Cobra tr- troops with guns and flamethrowers and, uh, jump over the barbed wire fences with the aid of the loading dock ramp. Uh, the Stinger lands on the other side of the fence, and before the Jeep explodes, Footloose throws Dr. Winters out and grabs a supply bag before bailing out of the Stinger as well. Uh, three walk into the night, but Dr. Winters steps on a mine and activates the death zone. Uh, which, and they look over like, what's that? They, the camera just pans to the left, and there's a convenience sign right there. It's death zone. Death zone. And you're like, yeah. oh, dang it. Looks like we're at this death if zone. If we had only seen that sooner... <laughs> Before you stepped on the mine at midnight. Right. right. It's a big sign, and it's it right is. in front of it. Right. <laughs> uh, and I, but I like how the mine was in was before the death zone, though. <laughs> I know. It's like just to trick you. Right. Like, just for anybody who's not paying attention. <laughs> right. Um, while Footloose sits on the ground and meditates, that was the other funny thing. Cause, that was with such a hippie move. Like, it's yeah. so weird. Yeah, that was one of the one of the moments in this episode. I was like, "Really? Would a soldier really go? Wait, I gotta I gotta meditate right now." <laughs> no, this is, yeah, that was very strange. So, Cobra forces rush towards the Joes. Footloose then realizes that everything is everything. <laughs> he stands up and sets a rock on the landmine as Doctor Winter slides her foot off, and I'm thinking, "Gi Joe." <laughs> I know he was like, "Everything's everything, man." Like. Your foot is just like this heavy object, dude. And then he like grabs a rock. And it's like, right. and she says, "What?" And then she tells Footloose, "Don't call me man, man." <laughs> uh, so then they head into the minefield, uh, single file, and Footloose shoots at the ground to blow away the mines. But he doesn't just shoot at the ground in front of them. He's like shooting left and right and everywhere. I know, just shoot in a single file line and just right. go that direction. Yeah. Uh, laser guns, uh, rise out of the sand. Dusty yells for everyone to duck and turns back to destroy three guns with three shots. Uh, as one of, uh, one stinger runs over a mine and blows up the surviving drivers radio the others to stay back since the death zone has been activated. However, Destro orders 
the Cobra agents to pursue and will not turn off the defenses since the chances of the Joes escaping would increase. Uh, Destro radios the Rattlers flying above him that unless the traitor's dogs drive out into the desert, they are ordered to fire at the Cobra agents. Uh, at the last second, the Cobras drive out and nearly every one of the stingers and ferrets are destroyed. Which I would have been like, I'll take my chances with the Rattler shooting me from the sky. <laughs> yeah, no joke. Like I was like, th- this was definitely one scene where I did not see any people jumping out before the explosion. Like, no. They're dead. Right. That entire <laughs> squad of ve- you know, vehicle drivers and right. soldiers like are gone. Yep. So uh, Dusty tells the others that he feels sorry for the Cobras, but Footloose tells his teammate, no way, they're just living out their karma. I was like, dang, that was cold-blooded. <laughs> right. like, Footloose does not care. Right. Uh, one of the surviving uh, Stinger drivers reports to Destro that they have lost the Joes, while Destro growls that the Joes and Dr. Winters must not leave the desert alive. Cobra's targets slowly march uh, across the desert, uh, the dusty plains in the middle of a windstorm. Uh, Dr. Winters laments that the Joes are probably sorry that they ever set their eyes on her. However, as the wind pushes her into Dusty's arms, he laughs and tells her, well, not all that sorry. Uh, after a while, Bill lands, uh, lands, Flint hops out of an awe-striker and asks what happened to Footloose and Dusty, and CoverGirl reports that they are in the desert, telling Dusty and Footloose that she is, uh, is becoming tired. Dusty places a hand on Dr. Winter's shoulder and offers to carry her. So real quick, like when yeah. Wild Bill lands, like, do they not have a radio again? Like, <laughs> so a you can let them know ahead of time. Really solved yeah. a lot of problems. In this <laughs> right? Again, sky strikers are expensive. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I'm just. Yeah. I don't know. Like, uh, that seems ridiculous. Yeah. Just overall, like, like they could have already sent people out. Like, I don't know. But and then yeah, so it cuts back to the. I did like yep. this moment too, though. It's yeah. like. So, uh, so as, uh, Dusty places his hand on Dr. Winter's shoulder, offering to carry her, she grabs his hand, tosses him to the ground, and tells him, cool it, Buster. Footloose tells everyone to keep it mellow, since they are a hundred of miles from anywhere. However, three rattlers appear and attack. They dive for cover, and, uh, and behind a steep hill, Footloose and Dusty shoot down the rattler. <laughs> I know, I, again, I was just like, man, they're like, Cobra makes their, their aircraft out of paper mache. Except it's, when they have to bust. Except when they have to bust through windows. <laughs> I know. I was I was surprised. Like, um, uh, yeah, Flint took one down with a handgun. Yeah. Like this, you know, at least it's a rifle, but still, I don't know, man. Maybe, like one shot to the tail. And these are like just that. some powerful laser rifles, man. Yes. <laughs> Uh, as the two, as the remaining two turn around, a sandstorm appears and Dusty tells Footloose to continue his march while he tries to distract the Rattlers. The two men shake and Dusty uses his last clip of ammo to shoot down the planes. Uh, which I thought that was actually cool that he's like, you know, you go ahead, I'll hold these off. Like, it's a cool camaraderie between the two of them to complete that. And that he was running out of ammo. Yeah. Like, usually they're just firing up, you know, just yeah. constantly. Then nobody ever talks about, like, oh, I got, I need a new clip or I'm out right. or any of that. We never hear that. Right. So that, that was cool, too. So we get more Cobra Stingers appear on the horizon and uh, close in on Dusty, but the storm's fury increases and swallows Dusty's appearance. Uh, pulling his goggles over his eyes, Dusty happily notes that the storm feels good and it reminds him of home. 
Which I thought that was oh, really man. cool, too, showing Such the, a good moment. Like, and everything. Yeah. Like, if you were going to take, like, a quick, like, five to ten second clip of each character throughout the series and been like, this character embodies, or this moment embodies that character. Yeah, this would be Like, this was Dusty's moment. Like, that yeah. was that was pretty sweet. I like that a lot. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Dusty pulls out a Cobra agent from one of the vehicles while he is talking to Destro, uh, hops into the driver's seat, and tells Destro the driver has been given a two-hour furlough. Uh, the Footloose and Dr. Winters are worn down by the sandstorm and fall to the ground. Dusty contacts Footloose, who tells Dusty that they really need his help. Dusty locates them out in the Stinger's signal tracking system, but the Stinger's monitor shorts out, and all Dusty can do is pound the machine and call it Cobra Junk. Uh, Dusty radios his, his friend uh, that he will find him and that there is nothing to be afraid of. However, Footloose sees a, a tall, robed figure with a sword, and watches the man slice Footloose's uh, radio in half. Uh, inside a temple and tied to a stone pillar, Footloose uh, is introduced to the robed man who wields a sword and calls himself Jabal, uh, a descendant of the prophet of old. Uh, Jabal waves his sword and tells Footloose a cobra agent in Jabal's eyes, and he will now die. But Jabal sees the G.I. Joe logo on Footloose's sleeve and immediately cuts the rope. He apologizes and tells the two that his hunger for revenge has made him slightly fanatical. Jabal tells Footloose that he wears the markings of the chariot which fell from the sky. Confused by Jabal's description, Jabal shows Footloose the chariot, which is the mauler that was dumped by the Joes during the thunderstorm. Uh, as Jabal tells Footloose that uh, for too long the people in his land have been victimized by Cobra, Footloose pats the mauler and tells Jabal that the tank will prevent Cobra from violating his space. Um, after Footloose tells the others that he has just contacted the other Joes with the radio and the mauler, so there's your radio. Finally, someone well, had radio. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. It's like they had, you know, him and um, Footloose had little hand to hand, you know, right. hand held radios. Right. Until one got cut in half, but then also. Yeah, like this is why they didn't want to get rid of the mauler on the plane because the mauler they wanted to make sure it was secure because the mauler was the only thing they had a radio on that whole plane. <laughs> that is a big package for a radio. Right. Well, and I'm like, you know, maybe the there wasn't a radio because the plane was hit by lightning, short circuited, right. or something like that. You know, it's like a, you could explain away some of that, but yeah. Uh, Footloose explains that his teammates are on their way, and two Cobra turbo bubbles uh, fly over the land and spot Jabal. Uh, Footloose and Dr. Winters in the ruins of the temple and attack. Uh, Jabal leaps onto a stone and slices the engine of uh, the Cobra flight pod and crashes it, uh, which crashes into the wall. Meanwhile, Footloose and Dr. Winters hop into the mauler and destroy the remaining two flight pods with one shot. Uh, Dr. Winters tells Footloose that they don't make a bad team and then tells Jabal that he was fantastic. Jabal remains humble and uh, slight and slightly jealous Footloose tells them that they need to move out of the temple. Um, while riding in the mauler, Footloose hears Dusty on the radio of a stinger that has run out of gas and tells Dusty that he will pick him up since he is only a hop, skip, and a jump. However, Dusty and Footloose's conversation is picked up by Major Blood and Destro, who orders Major Blood to prepare the plasma tank for battle. Uh, while riding a camel across the desert, Dr. Winter's glasses slip off and her hair falls down and Jabal tell, uh, tells his desert flower, Dr. Winters, that they are not far. Uh, which that cracked me up too, like all of a sudden she turns, she slowly turns into hot doctor. Uh, she evidently yeah. doesn't need her glasses. <laughs> yeah, and her hair wasn't just like up in a ponytail. It was right. like, 
just short mullet hair. Right. And then all of a sudden it's like this long, like fair faucet hair. Like, yeah. wait, what? Yeah. Uh, Dr. Winters disbelieves any of Jabal's comments and tells him, uh, you gotta be kidding me. And Jabal turns to her and replies, not at all. You are very, very beautiful. Dr. Winters sighs, smiles, and tells Jabal to call her Nancy. Which, the other two, the two Joes were pulling this type of stuff and she was like, call me Dr. Winters. But, yeah, that's the, true. The, the exotic guy, he has the, the hot accent and everything else and a big sword and he's like, <laughs> oh, call, call me Nancy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Cobra appears before the Mauler and Dusty fires three of his missiles to destroy all of the stingers on both sides of Destro's plasma tank. But the last missile from Dusty is destroyed by a shot from Destro's cannon. And then Destro disintegrates Dusty's stinger. Uh, shoving a clip into his gun, Dusty decides that he is tired of running and begins to fire at Destro, who closes the hatch and yells at his troops to march forward. The Mauler arrives, and despite Dr. Winter's warnings, Footloose charges into battle and strikes the plasma cannon, but the cannon is not damaged. Destro rotates the cannon and hits the Mauler, which slides across the sand and slams into a dune. <clears throat> it was like a moonwalking move. It just slid right across. <laughs> oh, I'm, yeah, I remember that. Like That was very weird. Yeah. Uh, while Footloose mumbles that the whole experience was a bummer uh, for a moment, <laughs> Jabal Kareem... Uh, rides out, uh, rides a uh, camel toward the shooting cobras with a sword in hand and yells his own name. Uh, the cobras retreat, stand and fight, slithering cowards. Uh, Why are they retreating from this guy? He's on I, a camel with a sword. <laughs> hey, it's so lame. I would be terrified. <laughs> well, okay, look, that's me personally, but right. Ugh. So, uh, Dusty and Dr. Winters watches, uh, watch as the Mauler barely escapes Destro's next shot, and Dr. Winters tells Footloose via Dusty's radio that he can stop Destro's tank by hitting the unarmored, uh, back of the tank. Uh, although Footloose is unsure how he will shoot Destro, Dusty tells Footloose to keep his eyes open. Dusty removes his helmet and jams it into the wheels of the tank, which I thought that was a really cool move. Mm-hmm. Uh, causing the tank to circle and drive, uh, in, uh, drive into a sandhill. Footloose drives behind Destro, and Nancy yells on the radio for Footloose to fire. He begs the damaged tank to shoot and slams his fist into the firing controls. The uh, Mauler, of course, because that's how you fixed everything in the 80s, was to slam it and also <laughs> yeah, it would work. Yeah. Uh, the Mauler nails Destro's plasma tank, and the weapon flips over several times, lands upside down, and, dest- and Destro crawls out. Climbing onto a rope ladder attached to a Cobra Rattler, Destro tells the fools that they will regret their victory, but Footloose, Dusty, and Dr. Winters, who are hugging one another in celebration, are unimpressed by Destro's threats. Uh, a Dragonfly APC, a Vamp Mark II, and an Awestriker uh, race to help Dusty and Footloose. Flint radios from the Vamp to find out if Wild Bill sees the missing Joes while piloting the Dragonfly. At first, Wild Bill doesn't see anything. However, he changes his response, tells Flint he is not going to believe what he sees. As the Mauler leads several Cobra agents across the desert, Flint asks, what on earth? Is this a rescue mission or a parade? Uh, fireworks bloom. Uh, fireworks boom over the city as uh, Footloose and Dusty stand and wait to be pinned uh, with a medal from a large, in front of a large crowd. Nancy winks at them. Dusty tells his friend, I think Nancy likes me. Uh, and Footloose says, I think you are deeply de- deluded. <laughs> she, <laughs> winked, she winked at me. Uh, Flint tells both of the Joes to calm down since the king is about to give 
them a medal for liberating his country from Cobra, and he adds that he still doesn't know how the two did the job. A man announces that King Jabal is now present, and the two Joes are surprised to see that the man they fought beside is the country king. Jabal places a medal on each of the Joes' shirts and then turns and offers a surprise Nancy a tour of his palace. Uh, some gratitude, I liberate his country and he steals my girl, gripes Dusty. Footloose says, hey man, she's not your chick, I saw her first. Dusty says, you did not. Footloose says, I did too. And as the two Joes argue, the crowd continues to dance and celebrate their freedom as fireworks burst in the air. Okay, so I just wrote down, or is it? crazy dance at the end <laughs> and they're just like randomly shooting laser blasts from their can <laughs> from yeah. the cannons of their tanks yeah. it'd be like in the old west you're shooting your gun up in the air what yeah. are they destroying like those are it's not like they're shooting it straight in there and even if they did i don't know maybe if it's a light projected weapon as opposed to like a projectile weapon or something whatever it's lasers but right. they're like shooting it at the building like it's facing the palace right yeah. Like, what if we just, like, flip the camera and we just see the palace on fire, on explosions, fire. and then, like, G.I. Joe? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Nancy's jumping out the window. <laughs> oh, gosh. No, okay, yeah, so I thought that was a bit weird. Yeah. And I was curious what the difference between, like, a red, a, you know, a typical regular G.I. Joe red laser from a mall, yeah, from the mauler, and the plasma laser from the, from the Cobra vehicle. I mean, it seemed like like if if the Mauler if the Mauler had gotten hit by the plasma cannon, it would have been destroyed, right? Oh yeah. But they just never got a shot off. Yeah. It well, it got a shot off, but it, that's when it like slid the Mauler across the sand. It hit it, right? Yeah, it hit. But it's it. not like it cut through the armor; it just hit it. Yeah, it just hit it. it just like punched it. So I don't. Maybe it just like skip, skimmed it or something. I don't know. Um. Yeah. But. Although Joe, Joe's uh, vehicles are probably built tougher than the Cobra ones that were just disintegrated. Well, and they do. I mean, not as not a Sky Striker, but every other vehicle <laughs> uh, will typically hold up a little bit more. The, um, you know, but they do say that a lot on in throughout the cartoon. I think that probably was a plot device, or maybe something as part as part of their kind of world build up. Is that the Cobra, you know, vehicles and technology isn't as quality, right? Because uh, they mention that a lot, like Cobra garbage, or they're like, oh, you, whenever they're trying to right. use a Cobra vehicle or Cobra weapons, like they're, they're junky. Yeah, for sure. So they do refer to that multiple times. So it's like uh, potentially just the armor on a Joe vehicle is typically tougher than that of a Cobra one. Yeah. So what do you give this episode? Uh, I gave this one a uh, 3.5 Cobra Command. Okay. I gave this an ace, so four out of five. So it'd be a four, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was really close to that. I think it was, um, and you, you, know, I could probably be pretty easily convinced to go a little bit higher on it. Um, <clears throat> there was a lot of really good things. Like I said, yeah. I think it's like one of the ultimate dusty episodes. There's probably other yeah. ones, but this one has just had some great moments there. Yeah. Um, I love the partnership with the two characters. And that they, neither one of them was, it wasn't like a Flint and Lady J episode or a, yeah. a Duke and Scarlet episode. Like we're talking about Footloose and Dusty. Right. Or the majority of the episode, which is cool. And I'm, and I'm sure this is one of the episodes that made me love the character of Dusty. I, I know the figure made me love the character of Dusty also, but Dusty yeah. is definitely one of my favorite characters. And, and this episode probably played into that for me as a kid. So. Uh-huh. And it's like sometimes you'll see a character like, 
let me try to think of another quick example. Maybe you can help me with it where they've got some kind of accessory on their design that you mm-hmm. actually see them use. You know, it's like, oh, do yeah. we ever see like, like, for example, like Firefly use that little device that's on the side of his leg, you know, to set right. off a bomb. Like you don't really, you don't see him use it. I right. guess you see Destro uses arm rockets very incorrectly. Right. <laughs> um, but you know, so seeing, I mean, it makes sense. Dusty just reach up and grab his goggles. Pull them yeah. down over his eyes. It's a subtle, silly thing, but yeah. it, we just don't, we hardly ever see them see that, use yeah. their accessories for the purpose that they're made, right. you know? So I thought that right. was a neat moment. Yeah, for sure. Um, the only thing in this whole episode that, that made me only give it a four rather than a five is, um, is the whole, uh, fighting over the girl thing. Like that just kind of got old for me because I'm like, yeah. Would you really be doing that? Like, you're rescuing the scientist. I understand she's cute and stuff like that. But, like, is that really going to be your focus throughout this whole thing? Like, you're being chased down by Cobra Troopers. Are you really trying to decide who she likes better or who's, who's going to get her and stuff like that? Like, that was the only thing that took me out a little bit. But other than that, like, everything else I loved. I, lo- I loved the Death Zone. I loved Destro forcing his troops into the Death Zone. Yeah, <laughs> um, that was really cool. Showed kind of a ruthlessness to him. Yeah, I like the Sandstorm. I like Jabal. I thought Jabal was a cool, badass character. Uh, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, overall, I really enjoyed this episode. I would definitely watch it again without any problems. Like I said, the only thing I had a problem with was the whole um, squabbling over who does the girl like. I'm like, I could have done without that part of it. Yeah. It's like, I don't, I mean, it's a, it's a very kind of, you plot driven linear story, right? Yeah. You know, they, yeah. they've got to get this do- doctor. They're kind of stranded in the desert. They got to get out. So yeah. it's like, what are you going to do for a B plot? If you're not going to be cutting to a different location with another group of Joe's, you know what I mean? Like they do it very briefly to show that wild bill got back and they're going to go send reinforcements eventually. But yeah. um, there, there wasn't like a regular B story. So that had to be like the interaction of these three together. Yeah. But Dusty just came off as like a bit of a like corny womanizer and footloose just because of his like accent and the things he says, like he's just some weird hippie, like oh, 80s yeah. hippie. I really <laughs> like, I ended up liking footloose a lot more now watching this episode. <laughs> I think I did too. Yeah, I'd say so. Cause he was, he was just fun. He was like a character I never really knew, knew very well growing up as a kid. So watching this, I was like, Oh, okay. I get this character well, a little bit more now. Well, and him doing weird stuff like meditating to try and right. decide what to do. Like that was an interesting choice. But yeah, that's another thing that probably made this episode a four for me because I was like, I don't really see a soldier doing that. Even if even a hippie soldier, I just don't see him doing. Yeah. That. Yeah. Like it. Like if they weren't being chased, I could totally see him doing that. Like if they were, if they found like a cave that they were holding up in and trying to decide what to do next, I could see him meditating then. But they were being chased down by vehicles and everything else. So I was like, yeah, and. The solution was just to put something heavy on the landmine. Right. Like, why do you have to meditate to come up with that answer? That would have been <laughs> the very first thing everybody who's seen Indiana Jones would do. Right, right. You know what I mean? Just swap it out with something equally heavy. Or, right. you know, I'm sure you went over landmines at least once in officer training. <laughs> right. It was before right. It was before how to get out of a crashing skystriker. <laughs> <laughs> they slept through right. that part. So going into the last episode, Memories of Mara. Right. Uh, so uh, 
As the captain of the USS uh, Trogan uh, tells the communications room to signal the shark for backup, Duke asks Lady J if the submarine on the radar screen is not the Nur- uh, is not the Nurka. That Duke is putting it mildly, she tells him, and okay. adds that the ship is on the radar of uh, is a Cobra submarine. All right, yeah. So right off the bat, this mm-hmm. scene is why Lady J was my first animated crushes. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, so in my notes, I just wrote sexy lady J. Yep. Dang. <laughs> so she's wearing like her diving right. get up, which again is, you know, she's just basically showing a lot of leg. Yeah. But, uh, I'm like, oh man, it just hit for me as I'm trying to think how old I was when I was, when I see this. So in 85, 84, was, 85, I was 10. Yeah. So that's a good age for you. Yeah, I was I was a little young. I was like a little bit younger, just a few years younger. But yeah, so I was like six or seven or something like that. But yeah. I must have, it must have been more in, in reruns or I don't know. And maybe that awakened yeah. something in my little, <laughs> you know, first grade mind. But I was just like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> I like this character. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway. So uh, and they've never, as far as I know, they've never done a figure of her in her wetsuit. Right? I, actually, I thought of that too. I was like, I love that color blue. I thought yeah. it was cool because it's not her typical green or whatever. Right. And I just love the look of it. Like I yeah. was like, I like the design, the blue suit. Um, yeah. I was like, man, I want to do. I've been doing all of these uh, commissions lately for a guy, uh, uh, Carlos, who I, I don't know if you've seen him, like the Scuba Duke. Yeah. One, so it's like there's been two, and he wants a whole series of these commissions, and we'll we'll get to them eventually. But in general, so I've been researching like this this yellow and black striped uh, uh, GI Joe, yeah, I don't know standard GI Joe diver suit, right? And I love that she's not wearing it. I think in the original miniseries, right when the Worms of Death episode, yeah, is she she's in that right? She's diving, I think, yeah, yeah, but she's not wearing this blue suit, no. Yeah, well, they're all wearing like, the yellow and black. And they never really even did the yellow and black suit for, like, as a figure. Oh, yeah, they didn't make it a figure. I was going to say, it's in yeah. this episode. Quite a few of the dudes are wearing yeah. it. But... Yeah, they never did anyway, it either. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so I'm like, man, I would love to get, like, a custom figure of that or see that and through, like, the subscription club, yeah. you know, like. Well, that's the thing. There's stuff a like lot. That would be cool. There's a, I mean, I, and I realize that they didn't do this a lot, but there, there's a lot of times when we watch these cartoon episodes where I'm like, wow, I'm surprised they never did a figure of that character, but I know they were, they weren't really focused on making figures from the, from the show, you know. I know. You know, it's, we'll definitely talk about this when we talk about the state of Joe, but. Yeah. Like the subscription figures, definitely, all I heard, every time they announced which ones, People mm-hmm. complaining, you know, just people complaining about like the choices. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, there were so many. There's, I mean, there's su- such a wealth. Of, it's just a, yeah, of variations they could have got just by doing like sunbow variation. Right. Oh, absolutely. Even if it was one or two in each in each uh, set, like they could yeah. have gone through so many. But anyway, yeah. okay. All right. So uh, inside the Cobra sub, Tomax and Zamat tell Cobra Commander and Destro that the Trogan is. Highly vulnerable to attack since the ship has a fiberglass hull, uh, a trait of American mine hunting ships, uh, according to Destro. The Destro, uh, Destro orders the torpedo tubes to be readied, and the Crimson Guard commanders ask if Destro is going to capture the ship. But Destro peers back into the periscope and tells the twins that he is going to obliterate the ship. 
Uh, Polly spreads his feathers in front of the sights to Shipwreck's gun and squawks <laughs> that he wants to see some action. But Shipwreck waves the parrot out of the way and threatens him to get out of, out of his way. But the threat is cut short as he sees a woman swimming in the water. He grabs a life preserver, jumps off ship, and swims out to her. Uh, two missiles from the Cobra submarine are fired at the Joes, but the Trogan fires two missiles at torpedoes while Polly shouts repeatedly, Man overboard! as the rockets from the Trogan plunge into the water. Shipwreck mutters, Oh swell! and continues his swim. <laughs> I remember when Shipwreck sees the lady... Mm-hmm. And grabs the the little life preserver thing and jumps off. Polly says like a few things, and which is weird too, because Polly's like its own like sentient character that has yeah. full conversations with shipwreck. Right. Instead of it being just something that repeats, you know, like an actual parrot, right. it's like this right. weird car- cartoon, you know, Disney's Aladdin version of a parrot that has its own, yes, you know, personality and and can have a conversation with. You. But he says something like. Um, you know, like I hope she can swim. Oh know? yeah, yeah. Um, but it says that, but there's something. Whatever Polly says right before that, my notes were, Polly the parrot is an ass. Like, <laughs> oh, he because, totally like, is. Because like the way he says it, it was just like, so much for this lady. I hope she can swim. Like whatever he says, I was like, what the heck, dude? Like, like <laughs> parrot. He, he's kind of like what, uh, like people. Assume that R2D2 is like a sarcastic, smartass. Yeah. You just oh, can't for sure. But Polly, you can actually hear what the hell he's saying. <laughs> yeah, you're like, cool. where do you get off, parrot? Right. Like, what the crap? You know. Right. Anyway, and then and there's like man overboard, you know, because like yep. his his buddy uh, shipwrecks all. Yep. Being a hero, but he was just kind of like, well, good luck to that lady. Oh wait, wait, well, crap! Where are you going, shipwreck? Man overboard! Like, didn't care. It's like all of a sudden. Yep. So the uh, Trojans missiles strike the sub, and Shipwreck and the wo- uh, woman with blue skin are batted down, uh, batted around by the waves. Uh, and Destro becomes slightly unnerved as he sees that the Trojan uh, or the Trogan uh, remains afloat. Uh, Lady Jay's uh, asks the Trogan's uh, skipper, uh, Captain Hunt, uh, what the chances are that of their survival. He confesses that their chances are slim, and adds that unless the shark arrives, they are finished. Polly flies into the room and again repeats that there is someone in the water. Uh, Lady J concludes it is shipwreck, and while she runs out uh, to the deck, Duke climbs into a Skyhawk in order to attack the submarine, which looked like the tiniest Skyhawk in the world. Yeah, I think the proportions on this were a little bit off in general. Right. It just it looked like a like a. Uh, it looked like he was climbing into a coffin. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I mean it, it looks. Like a weird mini electric car, you know, right. kind of size thing, and like smaller than a fang, you know what I mean? Yeah, like small. Yeah, and yeah. then I did like that they're talking about like the logistics of the the shark getting there in time, and they yeah. call Deep Six. So Deep Six again is kind of coming in. Yeah. And does that come up, or do they already have this conversation? No, that's that that's what comes up. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. So yeah, go ahead. So, uh, so just as, uh, Tomax and Zaymont report the, uh, the presence of the aircraft, Duke fires a heat-seeking torpedo, but Destro orders the sub to crash dive and fires off a sunburst to throw off the missile's heat sensors. Under the supervision of Gung Ho, the medical, uh, the medic team on the Trogan, uh, lift the blue-skinned woman out of the water and try to perform CPR while Lady J asks a concerned 
yet troubled shipwreck if he saw the Cobra insignia on her wetsuit. Like, how could you miss it? It's, right. It's, like, it's huge all across her chest. Yeah, it's right there, yeah. <laughs> she wears a big blue suit. She is blue, and the only thing that's a different color than blue is the red <laughs> Cobra symbol. Yeah. So, Destro fires another uh, missile, but this time the target is the Skyhawk. Duke tries to avoid the missile. However, uh, it still follows him. Gung-Ho grabs a gun from one of the sailors. Uh, shoots at the oh, missile and destroys it. Uh, I'm like, holy crap! What a shot! That's a great okay, shot. Okay, so so the last two the last two episodes, like we saw, like Dusty, not Footloose, but Dusty was mm-hmm. a bit of a sharpshooter. Yeah, which I thought was pretty cool. And I was like, because yeah. he was like taking the time. He's like, I only got three shots left in my gun, and like aiming and pow 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 takes out the three missiles or whatever he was shooting at. And then Gung Ho here is like a you know trained marine. Mm-hmm. So again, like giving us a little bit of a glimpse into some of his background skills, like we've seen it here or there from others. And uh, like, holy crap, what a crack shot, you know, yeah. for him to shoot uh, an air, you know, water to air um, torpedo yeah. missile. That's moving. Yeah. Moving target. And, and you have to figure the Skyhawks a little bit in the way, too. Yeah, so I mean, it's obviously crazy unrealistic. And sure. from again, one of these impossible rifles that can take any kind of flying yes. vehicle or missile out of the air. <laughs> right. But still, I was like, well, that's a cool moment for Gung Ho. I did like that. That was right. a cool moment. Yeah. Even, even as absurd as it is, it was a fun. Yeah. Fun oh yeah. Too. Uh, the debris deba- uh, damages the left wing of the Skyhawk. Uh, Duke <laughs> orders the orders the deck to be cleared, and he screeches <laughs> to a halt at the end of the ship and teeters on the edge. Gung Ho rushes to the rescue. Uh, rescue Duke who's half-conscious, and drags him out of the Skyhawk, kicks the weapon hard enough for it to fall in the water, and uh, and asks Duke if he is okay. Now, the notes here say he's half-conscious, but Duke looked dead inside that thing. No, Duke's in a coma. Like, it was like... <laughs> he's like... He's like uh, he was, like, so, completely knocked out. <laughs> yeah, no, he was, he was knocked out. Gung-Ho... Throws him up over his shoulder like he weighs right. nothing, right? Right. And then just drop kicks the Skyhawk off yes. the edge of the this of the. Because you can ship. do that. I was like, "What?" <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I mean, like, granted, it was it was a it was a dwarven Skyhawk. I mean, it sure. wasn't like full size Skyhawk, but, but that'd still, be like, like that'd be like you kicking a smart car off of a off of a yeah, ledge or something it, with just your foot while you're right. carrying a two hundred pound man, <laughs> right? Oh my gosh. So this is again like with Duke picking up two full grown men and and body slamming both of them. It's just kind of like sometimes they get a bit super heroic, you know, in them. Except I believe a little bit. Yeah, I believe a little bit more from Gung Ho than I do Duke, though. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, the Skyhawk, I mean, that's got to weigh 1,000 pounds more. Yeah. 2,000 pounds? Like he just drop kicked a ton. He bench presses that daily. (laughs) So, uh, as the medic tries to use CPR to help the woman shipwreck rescued, she gasps and tells the medic that she can't breathe. Shipwreck relieves the medic and tries to help. However, he notices that the woman has gills on the side of her neck. Shipwreck carries her down uh, a rope ladder into the ocean and tells everyone to stay out of the way. When she is underwater, he tells Lady J that she is breathing through gills like a blasted trout, uh, slipping a mask over her Eyes, Lady J, and several divers prepared to dive into the water and help shipwreck. Uh, Tomax and Zaymot explain that unless the damaged submarine returns to Cobra Base, they are uh, are whale chow. 
that's the bottom line they add. And Destro reminds Cobra Commander that unless they capture the girl, she may reveal uh, the base to the Joes. Cobra Commander then orders a group of eels to attempt kidnap- the kidnapping operation. Ah, this was so cool. Yeah. I love, I love, th- I mean, you know, just in general, like we'll get to the rage and everything. I loved this episode. I, there's oh, so many yeah. reasons why I liked it. Oh, um, yeah. but just the, I love it. In general, I love the underwater stuff. I love yep. like, um, yeah, obviously torpedo wetsuit and the eels. And yeah. like I said, those yellow and black suits. I always, I always just dug the underwater stuff. Yeah. Um, me too. and, uh, yeah, as they're sitting there trying to take care of this, this girl in the water, how the co how the cobra eels like just sneak up on them, like and just yeah. kind of come up out of the water behind them. I was like, yeah. oh my gosh, like what a cool moment! It was really creepy and fun. It was yep. like, it, was, it was pretty sweet. Uh, Shipwreck's patient begins to breathe again and smiles at Shipwreck, who tells her with a uh, with a smile that she is going to be okay. But cobra eels appear behind the Joes, pull them under, uh, pull them under, aim their weapons at Shipwreck and the blue skinned woman. And the leaders of the eel states in the threatening voice, you're coming with us, Mara. Uh, as one of the eels grabs Mara and escorts her to the Cobra sub, Mara grabs a knife on the eel's belt, which I thought this was cool, and cuts the mask off. Yeah, but then drops the knife. Right. I didn't understand that part of it. Yeah, like, I thought it was really cool. Grabs the knife, yeah. cuts the mask, he can't breathe, she gets right. away. Right. I'm like, but, keep, but keep the knife. Like, keep the knife and stab a dude. Like, right. you, why would you drop it? Uh, Shipwreck struggles with two of the eels and yells at them to get their flippers off of them. Lady J and the other Joes resurface uh, with their guns in their hands and capture the eels by surprise. Deep Six arrives in the shark and dives into the sea after radioing the, the Trogan, uh, codenamed Antagonize, that uh, Peso is going to uh, is going down where it is dark and quiet. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zaymat reports the presence of the shark, and Destro concludes that the appearance of the Joes in the area confirms his suspicions that the Joes are not looking for mines, but the USS uh, Nurka, a submarine with billions of dollars of weapons technology that Cobra Commander captured despite the neg- negative advice of the Crimson Guard commanders. Fortunately, Cobra has, no, has not been able to pry the information from the Nurka's crew, uh, and the shark fires torpedoes at the Cobra sub, but it moves out of the way and toward the Trogan, uh, toward the Trogan. Deep Six hits the rudder of the sub with his lasers, and the sub is forced to surface. Man, this whole underwater, for this whole sequence of fight, I really, really enjoyed. Yeah. Like, I think, like, the blocking of it, the choreography of, yeah. you know, this happens and then that happens, and it kind of pins, we talk about it here in a second, but pins the, the submarine between you know, two antagonistic positions and, um, this, where was I at? Uh, well, I like too, how like it's, it started off with just a a battle between the eels and the Joes and so on. And it turns into this battle between, you know, vehicles and, you know, the subs and everything else. Like Uh I liked how it just kind of like almost escalated in size and everything. So, yeah. And then kind of leading up to this, as it would cut back and forth to like the, Destro and Cobra Commander and the and the Crimson Twins talking like I love that it was this yeah. red lighting like it was like yeah. all Hunt for Red October you know just yep. like submarine lighting I was like that didn't happen very often in the show yeah. and that it was so atmospheric make, yeah and that they had to make a decision as to whether to stay or leave and you know because of a real threat like that would be a real situation where you're just like look if we stay here we're going to die 
Yeah, exactly. Oh, one thing, one little note I had was I love the <laughs> the camera shot is as the shark shows up, then people on the ship start cheering. You know, the mm-hmm. Joes, like the regu- the regular yeah. sailors, yeah. and you get a you get the shot of these three sailors in a row, and they've got their shirt unbuttoned just as much as shipwreck typically does. Right. And they're all like their fist pumping in the air, <laughs> and I could just see it being like, "Hey!" Like, <laughs> it looked like. They were- <laughs> they were just oh. like the shark comes up and there's just like these three dudes like, in a row what just like fist doing? pumping like hey <laughs> like just fist pumping I thought that was oh, hilarious then, awesome. then um like uh yeah no down there in that moment where they've got to decide what to do like the last two episodes like Destro is like a ruthless leader but he oh, is yeah. so strategic yeah like I don't know if there's a better episode this it just really stood out to me where Cobra Commander is a bumbling you know, guy. Like, we see a lot of that. Okay. Right. But Destro, sometimes he can be, like, he makes mistakes or he misjudges, whatever. And, you know, he, he fails a lot of missions. But in this one, I was like, holy crap. He just takes charge and starts calling the shots yep. and strategically decides to go this direction or that direction. And yep. I was really impressed. I was like, oh, oh man, absolutely. Destro's the boss in this. Yep, for sure. So uh, Gung-Ho takes aim and fires at the sub after yelling, there she blows, as uh, Cobra Commander screams in frustration and states the obvious that they're under attack. Uh, Destro orders the last working torpedo bay to fire a missile at the Trogon, and as the torpedo flies towards the Joes in the water and uh, the USS Trogon, Deep Six flies out of the water and toward the torpedo, uh, warning everyone that the water is about to get choppy, shoots the torpedo, with his lasers and destroys it. As it oh, so this is what this is why it really stood out to me. It was that it was actually that moment when like yeah. Cobra Commander's just saying the obvious and he's stupid. Right. And then Destro was like, "All right, we're stuck. We're pinned between the underwater battle of yeah. the shark, which is which. You think about it is way more maneuverable. It might not have the arsenal, but it right. has two or three major torpedoes and its front laser cannon. And it has the agility. Yeah. And it has the the agility to to really wipe out this. Uh, the submarine, any submarine underwater is incredibly vulnerable. Right. Um, so he's like, all right, we got to surface. But if we surface, then we have to take on the ship. So he was like, look, if we fire at the ship, though, that pulls the shark out of the water to help yeah. defend the ship, which I'm like, it's brilliant. Yeah. And all oh, the Cobra Commander's doing is just like dance around saying, we're all going to die. Like, it's just like <laughs> so obvious to me how awesome Destro was here. Well, I liked also like, uh, Deep Six pointing out the fact, like, if I do this, it's going to get kind of choppy down there. Like, be be ready. Like, yeah, that too. It's just a little, just a little yeah. touch of yeah. So I like that. Um. So let's see. Uh, Looking to see where I left off. So uh, as the explosion shoves waves at the Joes, the Cobra sub escapes and ease uh, drops on Duke's radio transmission to Doc. Duke asks for Doc to prepare a dolphin tank and to rendezvous with the Joes on uh, Espiritu Island. Uh, Destro asks Cobra Commander if they have troops in the area, and Cobra Commander happily notes, oh yes, we do indeed. With a whale parked in front of a research facility on a building uh, with a gold dome, Mara swims inside a tank, picks up an underwater phone, and tells Doc, Lady J, and Shipwreck that she doesn't know where uh, where the Nurka or the Cobra undersea base is located. Lady J doesn't believe Mara, but Shipwreck replies with a uh, greater amount of anger than uh, that he believes Mara. 
Uh, Lady J says then, uh, personally, I don't, uh, I think you're a moron. Uh, and Shipwreck replies, how do you like to, to lose 10 pounds, toots, all from the neck up? I, I took note. Shipwreck threatens decapitation. <laughs> yep. What? <laughs> Jeez. Like, take it down a notch, man. You just met the lady. Right. This is not oh like your, it's not your wife and they're not threatening to kill her. <laughs> exactly. Like, what the crap? So, it's a bit extreme. Right. So Doc yells at both of them to calm down and asks Mara about the uh, conversion process since he thought the technology was not available. Mara explained that Cobra has progressed beyond the rest of the world for two reasons. Cobra doesn't have any restrictions on experimentation and also doesn't have a lack of volunteers, which I thought See, that was very insightful. That was very cool. I was like, yeah, yeah well, that makes sense. Okay, yeah. that's why they can push technology. That's why they can push like this genetic yeah. manipulation stuff. They just, uh, grab volu- they just grab volunteers and uh, quote-unquote volunteers, and then they just don't care what they do to them as long as they get the results that they want. So, mm-hmm. um, As their cells were changed with the aid of lasers, uh, with, of a laser, uh, something went wrong, and she escaped the nightmare because the scientists wanted to study her and find out what went wrong. Uh, while Duke holds a map, and Lady J points to an island, Kona Tonga, uh, and notes that the island would be the best place to hide Mara from Cobra, uh, next to Duke and Lady J, Doc adjusts a helmet filled with water on Mara's head and tells Shipwreck that she has 15 minutes of air in the tank. However, Shipwreck finds the most disturbing feature of the costume is his inability to talk to her. Um, the Joes are attacked by Cobra and Shipwreck, and Mara flees into the jungle. As they are walking through the jungle on the island, she removes her helmet and the water tank on her back. Uh, and leaps into a pool of water. She explains that if she is out of the water for too long, her skin dries up and causes a great deal of pain. Shipwreck grabs the helmet as she climbs out of the water and begins to stutter until uh, Mara kisses him. <laughs> Which did not look like a pleasant <clears throat> kiss. No. She basically just, like, comes at him. Yep. He's not expecting <laughs> it. It's, like, one of the most awkward animated kisses I've ever seen. <laughs> yes. It looks like she's eating his neck and face. Well, like, it, it, it was just, weird. At the same time, it's, and maybe it's because the animation's not good for it, but, um, we almost never see characters kiss in the show. Oh, well, that's true. Yeah. They don't, yeah. So this is like a, this was like a big moment in G.I. Joe, because even when we saw, that's like, Lady J being googly eyed over, you know, Flint leaving in Flint's vacation, she didn't kiss him goodbye. He didn't kiss her goodbye. Yeah. Not even on the cheek or anything. It right. was just, more implied. So maybe the animators just felt it was awkward. But it was they like, run, a, it's in the script, but I don't know how to do it. I think that's a big part. I mean, well, we'll talk about it more at the end, but in general, like I was really convinced by shipwrecks, like being taken with her, you know, yeah. whether or not it's like love or it's infatuation oh, or whatever, but just like, it was very convincing. And part yeah. of it was the dialogue. Part of it was how defensive he was of her. The yeah. fact that her life was threatened and he was the one who saved her. Like, I definitely, through the writing, through the voice acting and moments like this, like it really steadily built up to the point where by the end I was like, oh man, I really wish they could stay together, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. And, and you really do get a feel, uh, you get more of who Shipwreck is in this episode. Yeah. And than, than just being the smart Alec guy that makes comments left and right, you know? Um, he feels so, more real in this episode yes. than any other one, for sure. Absolutely. 
Um, she pulls away and tells Shipwreck that she just wanted to thank him for rescuing her. Uh, Buzzer leaps out of the trees, knocks Shipwreck to the ground, while the other two Dreadnoughts, Torch and Ripper, insult Shipwreck by stating that even though she kissed Mara, uh, she is still a frog, and uh, the Dreadnoughts laugh and make ribbit noises. Uh, <laughs> it's so weird and completely non sequitur that it would be the Dreadnoughts. Like, I, yeah. I wish it was somebody else. I wish right. it was just about anybody else. Right. Uh, Mara collapses to the ground, and Shipwreck tells the Dreadnoughts to toss her into the water since she can only breathe on land for a few minutes. But Buzzer states that Mara would uh, would just swim away. Buzzer then orders the other two Dreadnoughts to get their Cobra water moccasin. Mara stops coughing, leaps from the ground, and kicks Buzzer. Knocking out the Dreadnoughts, she, tell, uh, she tells a surprised Shipwreck that she was merely exaggerating, and then passes out. Uh, he catches her, tosses her into the water, and tells her to swim away, but she resurfaces and tells Shipwreck to follow her as uh, the water moccasin bears down on the Shipwreck with its guns blazing. Uh, a groggy bo- uh, buzzer notes that Cobra Commander is going to take uh, their failure badly. Um, with a map stretched out on a mauler, uh, Lady J tells Alpine, Doc, Duke, Rakondo, Gung Ho, and Heavy Metal that since Shipwreck knew that the destination for the Joes was Konatonga Island, they will travel without him. Uh, Shipwreck awakens on a beach and immediately yells Mara's name. She stands up in the water, flings her hair back, and yells Shipwreck's name and invites him into the water. Elated beyond words, Shipwreck yells aloud, Yippee, and dives in. When he surfaces, Marek again kisses him, and he states that she doesn't seem the type to join Cobra. Uh, she asks, how would you know? Uh, and walks uh, to the shore. Slumping down to the beach, she explains to Shipwreck, who lays down be- behind her, that she did what was necessary to survive in her neighborhood and learned that the only reason someone is nice is when they want something in return. Which I thought that was a really deep moment for a, a Joe cartoon. <laughs> yeah, for a throwaway character. Right. You know, just like, and I don't mean throwaway in a bad way, but I yeah, just yeah. mean that like a uh, cameo one episode character, like. Right. <clears throat> well, uh, not, to yeah. give, not to give anything away, we do see her again. So. Well. Um, I think we probably see her again because of the strength of the episode. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I doubt that, you know, I don't know. I'm just yeah, assuming. I don't, yeah, but I don't, I'm, think, I don't think they had big plans back. for Mara. You know, I think no. it was just kind of like a, hey, we need a fish lady for this episode. Right. And then it just worked out for all these reasons we're talking right. about. It just worked out really well. And yep. it probably got a good response for the episode. But in ge- yeah, in general, um, I liked uh, their interaction, how, you know, just, just how they kept moving to the water and then back yeah. to the shore and just showing that conflict of their relationship. And, yeah. uh, and like he doesn't know. believe that she would be a part of Cobra. And then she has this deep thing about like how she, like you actually get a backstory with her, of like how she grew up in a tough neighborhood and stuff like that. And she, yeah. And, and, you know, it reminds you like, Oh yeah, they literally just met that day. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and he's like, it doesn't seem like you'd be part of Cobra. And she's like, you don't know me. Right. And I was like, wow, this is, this is like, this is deep. Dra- I mean, it's pretty deep character drama yeah. going on here. Yeah. I was like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So we have, uh, Shipwreck then realizes that Mara does know the location of the base and calls himself a moron. Walking off to the water again, Mara asks if that's what Shipwreck wants. He immediately tells her that he wouldn't mind saving the Nurka's crew. However, he adds, if you can't afford that luxury. Uh, and he is tackled to the, 
into the water by Mara, and as he gasps for breath, she tells him lovingly, I am uh, so I'm attracted to morons. Shipwreck chuckles lightly and replies, and I've got this thing for mermaids. Which, again, I thought was a cool character moment. Yeah, that was my quote of the of the episode. <laughs> and I also noticed, like, at this point, that Shipwreck shirt is way unbuttoned. Oh, I mean, yeah. it's, like, out of frame unbuttoned. Yeah. <laughs> like, when it's just a torso-up shot. Yeah. Uh, he's just like, it's just sexy time for Shipwreck. <laughs> Uh, while pointing to a map, Lady Jane notes that Cobra has the crew of the Nurka and the ship. Meanwhile, at the underwater Cobra base, Destro tries to persuade the Nurka's skipper, Captain Jordan, to tell him uh, one or two of the access codes to the high-tech submarine. However, Jordan only replies with one word, never. And Destro leaves the room and walks to his command station, where Tomax and Zaymat pay him a visit in order to tell him that the repairs of the Cobra sub are almost complete. Destro says good, and the twins comment that he doesn't sound pleased. Destro explains that since Cobra Commander has not been able to capture Mara, uh, he believes it would be wise to abandon the base and scuttle the Nurka with the crew trapped inside. Again, very cold-blooded of Destro, and I actually really love the fact that they showed like the skipper, even though they couldn't really show torture being done to him, that he's like being basically in a torture room to try mm-hmm. to get information out of them and everything. Yeah. Uh, inside a room of the Joe's ship, Shipwreck tries to console Mara, who has just learned from Doc that her condition is irreversible. Uh, they then hear the call for battle and enter uh, enter the war room with the rest of the Joes, and Lady J notes that Shipwreck is not an experienced diver, but he replies that he will learn on the job. Besides, he adds he has a personal stake in the matter, which I love that moment, too. I, I made note of this, too. Just that. Um, OK, so this is kind of what I was referring to earlier in our podcast episode. Just that Lady J is an experienced diver. So, again, right. just one more thing in her skill set kind of bio sheet. Yeah. But that shipwreck isn't. And I find that very strange. Yeah, for him. Yeah. That not he a Navy SEAL? <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> Although in the cartoon, he's more of like this mercenary Navy guy that they remember they came across him in like a bar and everything else. Yeah. I mean, so. I don't know. Yeah. So I thought that was, I thought that was interesting to point out just that, um, like it's like a lady J knew that about him. Yeah. Right. Already. You're yeah. just like, look, you're not a good diver. Uh, so it makes me wonder like, what was the episode where she had to save his butt from almost drowning or not? Right. Right. <laughs> you know, deregulating in time coming up and he gets the bends or something, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. so that was the scenes we didn't see. But right. uh, I, th- I did find that very interesting that Lady J with her background is a more experienced diver than Shipwreck, who is a yeah. water based dude. But then also it made me wonder, like, why the heck is Torpedo and Wetsuit not in this episode? This episode yeah, yeah. And to me, like, we'll get into the rating. But for me, I'm just like, I'm sure there's writer's reasons or toy reasons or or whatever or i'm thinking I, i'm even thinking more so not so much writer reasons but i'm thinking more so uh they couldn't get those actors voice actors for this particular episode yeah and so i was thinking of it like that's what i meant like like logistical reasons yeah yeah there i'm sure there were logistical reasons why those characters weren't in the story but for the sake of like this would be like a great gi joe story if yeah. 
they were involved and used. I mean, Deep Six was there. Like, man, if you've got you've got a whale and cutter, and you've got you know um, shipwreck and all, and like Lady J in her blue suit. I'm like, oh yeah. man, the only thing this is missing is some torpedo and wetsuit. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I don't was wetsuit around yet. At this point. Well, so that was the other thing. That's why I mentioned toys. I was like, yes. I wasn't. I don't know if yeah. he had been if he had was released, but certainly we've seen torpedo before. So. Yeah, for torpedo for sure. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the thing I liked with this moment too, was this is like that hero moment where it's like, look, I, I know I might not be at the best, but I need to do this, you know? And I just like that yeah. for shipwreck. So yeah, it just shows how invested he was in right. the, uh, oh, okay. So, so wetsuit debuted in 1986, so he might yeah. not have come out yet. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So yeah, no, again, really good. That's again, all these little, moments and these bonds yeah. and these lines his dialogue like really pull these characters together yeah uh so the joes swim to the base and shipwreck signals for mara to stay outside after the joes blow a door into the base however mara enters the base lady jays uh splits the forces and one group enters a group of uh encounters a group of cobra agents while mara plants ex- uh, plastic explosives around the base uh, frees Captain Jordan and helps the man knock out the Cobra guards in order to rescue his men. Uh, Lady J confronts Destro in his control room. Unfortunately, she is knocked out uh, from behind by Tomax and Zaymot. Uh, take her to the lab, Destro orders the twins, who reply, you could at least say thank you. Uh, That's weird, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Setting the lasers to full blast in the lab that converted Mara to a mermaid, Lady J who is lying down on the table, slides into the laser chamber while the Cobra agents retreat. This was such like a Dr. Evil moment. Oh, so much. Like, why would you not just stay there and watch it finished out? Or just shoot her or Or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like she's knocked unconscious. Like, right. Take her out. Move on. Whatever. You know what I mean? Let's put her in this laser and double tap tap her in the head. (laughs) I know. Exactly. I'm just like, it's just such a, yeah. Goofy James Bond villain moment. Very much so. Uh, Shipwreck and the Joes run in uh, to the crew of the Nurka and learn that Mara helped them. Shipwreck finds out where uh, she went from Captain Jordan and tells the Joes to shove off without him if he is not back in five minutes. Shove off! Right. Mara, (laughs) who is beginning to feel the effects of being out of water for too long places another bomb on the wall of the lab and rushes to lift Lady J off the table after saving And she puts the bomb on the wall. Yeah. It just looks like she's massaging. <laughs> yeah. Just some weird play doh I get it was supposed to be C4 or whatever, it, but it yeah. is so goopy and huge. Yeah. It's very weird. It, it's what the ham turned into from the dinosaur episode. After it went, <laughs> it went bad. Just it went massaged bad. bad ham. It's all gray and gross. <laughs> right. Um, after saving Lady J, she collapses and begins to, uh, begins to the ground and begins to gasp for breath. And the timer falls off her belt and is activated. Shipwreck enters the room and Lady J tells him that Mara saved her life and the two Joes run out of the room. Aboard the Nurka, a sailor reports to Captain Jordan that the Cobra sub is leaving, but Jordan doesn't care about anyone but those Joes who are still inside, even if, uh, more than five minutes have passed. Uh, the base erupts. And the Nurka is forced to flee. 
which was like mere milliseconds after he just says, we're not leaving without them. And it's all of a sudden, all of a sudden, next thing you see is the, sh- the submarine leaving. I'm like, wait a minute. I thought you were waiting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I kind of think, yeah, I was, I was interested to see how this would go. And I thought, um, you know, the crew's kind of giving him a bit of pressure, like, uh, right. things are going bad. It's going to blow any minute. Right. And I, th- I thought that showed good resolve from the captain to be like, no, yeah. you know, we, we do want to wait for our people. At the same time, it's a good leader that's not going to like risk his entire right. crew for three for soldiers just, who said, exactly. you know, get, that, if, get out. Even if they're the ones that saved him, right. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I was like, they're giving quite a bit of responsibility and screen time to this like no name, you know, side yeah. character. I was yeah. like, oh, that's pretty cool. I kind of like this. Yeah. And he joined in on the fight, you know, when they were getting freed or whatever. Like he yeah. started, he jumped, he was with Mara and just kind of beating up dudes. I'm like, who's this guy? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So then we have uh, the base erupts, and Nurka is forced to flee, saddened by the loss of the Joes in the base. One of the Joe divers tries to console Captain George by explaining that he waited as long as he could. But one of the sailors under Jordan's command reports that Lady J, Shipwreck, and Mara are safely swimming to the surface, and everyone shouts a, hap- uh, shouts a happy Yo Joe. Uh, on a beach in Konatanga, uh, Mara and Shipwreck hold one another under the moon, and she tells him there's no other choice, Shipwreck. Uh, Shipwreck says Mara, and Mara interrupts him, saying, no, don't say it, please. It'll only make things harder. Konatanga is a beautiful place. I belong here. I belong to the sea. She runs away and dives into the nighttime waters, and on an empty beach, a sailor stands in the cold moonlight, slow waves uh, to the ocean, slowly waves to the ocean, and quietly whispers goodbye, Mara. So I remember when we cut to that last scene with them on the beach and the moon in the background, I was like, whoa, that's kind of like a real cinematic, like framed shot. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah absolutely. Like that, so that, I thought that was like composition wise, it was noticeably like well framed and balanced. Yeah. yeah. And then definitely at the end of this episode, uh, I, so I didn't look up to find out like when she reappears, but yeah. I, I, I thought I remembered that there was more episodes with her in it. At least one other, and um, and I remember being like, "Oh man, I can't wait to see see her in an episode again." Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Like that was my kind of go away thought. Yeah. Was like, well, for one, I was like, she's like, I got to stay here, and I got to thinking after the episode was over, like, how are they going to communicate with her or find her? I guess they know she lives on the island somehow, right. but I'm like, they should have left a radio or a sat phone or whatever. <laughs> Well, uh, and, I, and I don't know how many more episodes she appears in. I know there's one that there's a twist to her appearance, which is actually really sad. Um, mm. And uh, I don't want to reveal that because we'll eventually get to that episode. But I yeah. remember there there is a whole reuniting with shipwreck thing, and but then there's a sad ending to it that actually really made me sad because of the connection that they made in this episode. Right. Um, so. I just kind of felt like like they just kind of totally cut her loose. Like I, you know, not that they need to describe it in the story, but I just like yeah. I imagine they left a little, you know, just kind of they they would build a little cue hut for her, and so when she is above ground, she's got a way to communicate people right. for help or to get supplies. And I'm like, does she eat like a fish now? Like you know, right. all this kind of right. stuff. Right. I'm like, is she, how is she going to survive on this island? I don't know. Well, and she is another one of those characters where I'm like, I'm kind of surprised a figure has never been made of her. I know. So, I mean, reoccurring character, good, good yeah. design that's different, but could yeah. easily be, 
you know, just like customed, you know, based off of all other, uh, um, you know, casts and molds yeah. and stuff. And, and while Joe does have good, awesome female characters, there's not a lot of female characters. So, no, there's not much at all. So to make a figure of her would be another great female character to make a figure off of. So yeah, like when, yeah, exactly. There's not many Joe female characters. So why not take advantage of when the cartoon like throws you a decent one? Right. Right. Yeah. So what is your rating for this one? So I went, uh, 4.5 aces. Uh, okay. it was near, nearly Flint. Like I said, there's only a couple, my biggest thing that held it back was there's no torpedo. Gotcha. And I'm like, even if, they didn't have the voice actor, kind of like how Scrap Iron just showed up. Yeah. Like, how is he not even on the deck? Like, how is he not uh, a consultant on the on the submarine, you know, yeah. or anything? You know, just, like, that would have been great. And then, um, you know what I mean? But I'm just yeah. like, I may, maybe I'm expecting too much, because this was, like, a pretty awesome episode. Yeah, this one was a flint for me. So it was a five yeah. out of five for me, because... This is one of the episodes that I still vividly remember from my childhood. Oh, um, uh, yeah. So there's like a handful that I can, I can name you the episode and I can tell you everything that happens in the episode. And this is one of them. When I saw we were doing Memories of Mara, I was like, oh my God, I hope this is still as good as I remember it being when I was a kid. <laughs> and I actually think it, because I'm an adult looking at it now, I'm picking up all those nuances that I didn't pick up as a kid, or at least not knowingly picked up as a kid. And right. so I actually think I enjoyed it more this time because I could pick up all those story elements that we talked about. Yeah, I think that um, makes sense. All those subtle things and everything else. So, um, yeah, I love this episode. I love the character of Mara. Like I said, I wish they had used her even more. I do wish they made, had made a figure of her because it's one I would get because it is an episode that I remember. Like I said, there's certain episodes that just stick with me, and this is one of those episodes that stuck with me through my whole life. Um, yeah. It's just one that really always... I will always remember as like if you if you were to name your favorite Joe episodes just from your memory like this is one that I remember so right uh, and yeah I I agree that like, putting a character like Torpedo in there would make sense but to your point of what you were even saying for yourself like is it what I expected them to do that I'm that I'd be giving it a lower rating or is it or am I basing it on just what they gave me and like yes in some cases like it. They should def and with torpedo, it's kind of iffy because it's like they definitely should have put him in this episode. But at the same time, it didn't him not being in there didn't take anything away from me. That's that's very true, and I think I think I'm I, I'm being a bit unrealistic, and I and I think I could easily kind of bump that up to a five because I yeah I I came I came out of it being like that was a pretty great episode, like yeah. not just for GI Joe or for an eighties cartoon, like that's just a good story. Yeah. And, and, I, it's, and there's a lot of complexity as far as like taking those extra moments, like watch out the, the, the water's choppy or Destro really taking charge and making some strategic moves, you know, that we didn't, we don't normally see that in these episodes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I'd go to a five with it. I think I was, I'm yeah. just being a little too picky. Well, and I think it's one of those episodes too, like, um, you know how you get the, they'll make those, uh, DVD collection discs where it'll be like, uh, yeah. for other stuff that are like, uh, it's the best of G.I. Joe. And it's like, I would put this as one of those 10 episodes that they'd put on a collection like that because I, yeah, I, feel for it, sure. it I think it represents the property pretty well. So, and I think it's a good spotlight on a character where shipwreck's not a goof. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's a good sure. shipwreck episode, just like the last one was a good dusty episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and it, it shows also what we talked about earlier. It shows a sci-fi element to Joe without it being ridiculous. Yeah. When you first see this like blue woman with gills, you're like, what? Like, this is too yeah. far out there. But then us seeing her backstory yeah. of her volunteering as a Cobra trooper, them like explaining like they're not beholden to like testing on human subject laws. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, oh, well, that's. Yeah, sure. Why not? You know, yeah, they're that's pretty awesome. constantly like recruiting and kidnapping the best scientific minds in the world. Yeah. And then you give them the the enticements of, look, you can further science without any restrictions on what's ethical. I'm sure you're going to get people pushing the limits Absolutely. and pushing technologies. And I love that. Like, like Cobra's technology is so high because of that. Like, yeah. that was great. We haven't yeah. gotten anything like that from other episodes. Absolutely. So. So uh, I thought overall it was a good batch of episodes. Even the bad one, I still it still wasn't the worst of the bad ones. So, um, and I actually that's true. Yeah, that's very true. I, I actually had uh, each one of the ratings for each one of these episodes. So <laughs> it, it was interesting. Um, so uh, so yeah. Uh, one uh, last thing. Uh, I don't know. Is there anything last thing you wanted to say in regards to these episodes before we move on? No, I'm excited for the ones coming up because we've got a couple multi-part stories. Yes. And just kind of yeah. whatever you have that extra 20 minutes, even yeah. if it's a two-part story, like you, there's so much more development that can happen. I'm Absolutely. excited about those. Yeah, there's a lot more growth to the story and characters and everything. So, mm-hmm. um, so uh, the last thing I wanted to mention is I did promise the last episode that uh, we were going to have a contest. Uh, oh, right. So I wanted to announce the contest. So I do have an extra edition of Sky, the Skyward Omnibus uh, that will go out to a listener. I also have, um, so we're going to do multiple prizes. So I have that. I have uh, another prize I'll announce here. And then I'll have another prize to announce in the next episode. I just want to confirm that I'll have it. Um, but I also have Green Lantern Omnibus Volume 1 and Volume 2, which is the very first appearances it collects the very first appearances of green lantern hal jordan green lantern um i have volumes one and two in a hardcover edition they did new updated versions of them of this that i got and Mm -hmm. so i don't need the old volumes anymore they're still in they're still in like new condition so i mean they're they look brand new um so i'm gonna give those away because i don't need two sets of them um and then, like I said, I'll have one other prize. So we will actually have three prize winners. Um, and all you have to do to enter is send an email to us with a question. Because we want to do an all-questions episode uh, from the listeners. It can yeah. be a question about anything. It could be a question about any of the properties that we cover, our thoughts on them. You could be asking us to give a top five or a top three. Uh, it could be... Uh, anything about us that you want to ask about us, indivi- you know, individually, personally, whatever. Uh, we obviously reserve the right to answer what we want to answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it could be anything. Just send us a question. Um, and you send it to starjoespodcast at gmail.com. Uh, so send us an email. Uh, if I'm connected with you on Facebook, you can mess- send it to me through Messenger. If you're on our 
Facebook group page or fan page, you can send it through Messenger that way. So there's multiple ways you can send it. If you're on Twitter, you can send me a message through Twitter with your question. I will email you back or message you back letting you know that I have your question and you are now entered in the contest. Um, and then what will happen is when we actually do the drawing, uh, I will announce what prize it's for and draw the name. Um, and everyone goes in the same pot. Everyone goes in, in, into there. Um, the contest, I am going to run it through the month of December. So all the way through the month of December, you have, that gives everyone an opportunity to listen to this episode. And, you know, if you have not listened to this episode within a month, I'm sorry, you missed out. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so it's not, I'm not going to, I wanted to originally do it in time to get the prizes out to people by Christmas, but this will be an after Christmas celebration prize thing. Um, mm-hmm. just, you have all of December. So up through December 31st to send a question to us, just one question. And, um, I think that's it. Yeah. Just send us one question and okay. your name will so go Okay. So I wanted to just real quick, I've got, a couple of things also, since this is kind of leading into January, mm-hmm. uh, and I was thinking about mentioning this at the top of the top of the podcast, but this is kind of a good time to do it. So officially, January mm-hmm. 2019 is the 10-year anniversary of my first IDW published GI Joe book. That's awesome. So exactly 10 years, January. So as part of this contest, if you don't mind me piggybacking on that, no, go right ahead. I've got a, I actually have a bazooka head sketch that's done that I'd like to add to the giveaway. Nice. And, uh, we've talked about bazooka so much this episode too. Oh yeah. But, uh, so anyway, so bazooka head sketch. And then I, it's kind of similar to you. I have like a danger girl GI Joe. Uh, oh, yeah. Trade, trade, and I had it, I got it in the deluxe kind of hardcover edition. So I have yeah. my regular trade that's like paperback, but still nice. And I don't even think I opened it to read it. So it's just sat on my shelf and yeah. I got the hardcover one uh, you're and, right close enough to the same time that it's just sitting there, you know? Yeah. And that is one of my favorite things that have been done with G.I. Joe since it's been with IDW. So yeah, me too. I, it's just, it captures the, the sense of the cartoon and the property so well. Yeah. And it, ma- it meshes so well with the, yep. I mean, Danger Girl was definitely influenced by J.I. Joe, so it just fits like it's the same world. So I've got that trade that we can add to the giveaways also. And uh, I forgot one other thing I wanted to mention is that, um, it, it, and you can let me know, Robert, if you want to keep yours this way too, but uh, unfortunately this will only be for U.S. Uh, people. So because since, especially since I'm sending out multiple things, it gets yeah. really expensive to send stuff overseas or even into Canada or something like that. So right. unfortunately this will only be for us people. I will have something next year solely for international people. Um, but yeah, just because I'm doing multiple items, I do need to keep this only in the U S just to kind of keep the cost of shipping down. So, yeah. Um, so, um, but with that, uh, so like I said, send us a question. You can send it, send it by, to starjoespodcast at gmail.com. Hell, you can even call and leave us a voicemail, uh, 440-941-JOES, <laughs> 440-941-JOES. That will also enter you in the contest. Um, you can, like I said, you can message through the Facebook pages or message me directly if you're connected with me directly on Facebook or message me through uh, Twitter or message through Instagram. We're on Instagram as well. It's, uh, Star Joe's on Instagram. So any way I get a message from you, I will then 
reciprocate it back to let you know that I received it. Other than voicemail, I have no way of letting you know. But uh, I will uh, message you back to let you know I received it and that you are now entered in the contest. So, And then, like I said, probably sometime in January, uh, we will actually do a whole question episode. And that's probably when we'll actually draw the names, too. So... Um, but I just yeah. wanted to, I just wanted to have, and the, the questions can be for any of us too. You could specify one of us or have all of us answer it or whatever. So, um, and like I said, it could be anything that you want to talk about. It doesn't even have to be related to the show. It could be like talk about other comics or other characters or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, everything's free reign. So you just have to send a question and, and no, the question cannot be, can you enter me in the contest? It has to be something that we can answer. <laughs> uh, right have fun, have some fun answering for you guys. So, uh, with that, Robert, how can they find your stuff? Uh, it's just Robert Atkins art on social platforms. So Instagram, Facebook are where I'm posting the most lately. Usually on my Instagram is like the up to date. This is what I'm working on today kind of a thing. And then that kind of posts over to my Robert Atkins art group page on Facebook. Uh, but if you want to look at a catalog of previous work, just go through the albums and photo section of my Robert Atkins art Facebook or through the blog spot. The old blog page is still up. So cool. Uh, and you can find everything for star Joe's at star We're on iTunes, Stitcher radio, Google play and number of ways. Uh, again, you can email us at star podcast at gmail.com. We're on uh, Facebook with a group page and a fan page. We have a Twitter account. It's at star podcast. I have a Instagram account, which is Star Joe's, where you can see any comics I'm reviewing. We have merchandise available, uh, T-shirts and all that fun stuff with the Star Joe's logo on it. There is a YouTube channel. I have not posted anything recently on there, so I apologize for that. Hopefully that's going to change in the upcoming days ahead. Um, and But that pretty much covers everything. So with that, mm-hmm. I'll go ahead and close the episode by saying the Force will be with you. Because knowing us is half the battle. Take care, everyone. Birdies. Ha <laughs>